and welcome to episode 4 of the RF Generation Community Playthrough Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Rich, or as many of you know me on the forum, Single Banana. Joining me this month are my trusty band of loyal sidekicks, Floyd, known as Fleech on the forums, Jamie, known as Tech Wizard, and Sean, known as Ghost 81 We'll also be joined by two special guests again this month, so stay tuned to see who they are. In the month of June, we played Suicoden on the retro side, and on the modern side, we played Shadow of the Colossus. Please remember that you can find our podcast at our home on RF Generation, on Podomatic, and on iTunes. And you can speak with us via the forums on RF Generation, through Twitter, or on our Facebook site. Thank you for joining us this month, so let's get into the games. So for the month of June, on the retro side, we played Suikoden, uh, actually a game made by Konami on the PlayStation system. Sean was our host for that month, so I'm just going to kick it over to him to give a kind of a brief description of the game. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, we did something really cool this month and kind of switched up our roles. Typically, I'm doing a, a modern game with Floyd and... Uh, Banana and Tech Wizard are taking up the retro side, but we decided as a group we were going to flip it this month, so I was really excited about that because Sony PlayStation 1 is one of my favorite consoles. And after going over a few choices of games, uh, I chose Suikoden, uh, a game that I actually played for the first time about two years ago when I was really fresh uh, to the RPG genre. So it was really cool to revisit this game uh, with the playthrough community and uh, really dig deep into it. Um, the game came out uh, in 1995 in Japan and was released in North America in 1996. Actually uh, came out on, on the Sega Saturn, but only in Japan uh, two years later. And there's also... Uh, a, a Japanese Windows version, and there was a Japanese version on the on the PSP. Uh, it is on the PlayStation Network in North America, but uh, it seems Japan got all those uh, extra editions that we didn't get. It's a turn-based RPG, and the story is kind of loosely based on uh, some Chinese mythology that I believe uh, our special guest, <laughs> Sir Psycho, will be able to explain a lot better than I can. Yeah, that's So I don't know if that's a, a good place to start here <laughs> and introduce our guest. That's right. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, man, we uh, probably need to introduce our guest here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should have done that at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, like uh, Sean said, our guest this month is Sir Psycho. So uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, it's fun to be here. <laughs> and uh, just so that we kind of go through the game, I'll just rattle off the other participants. Uh, myself, of course, Sean, Sir Psycho, High Wind, Retro Rage, Disposed Hero, Dougley007, and Beauchamp also joined us. Um, so if, if you don't mind, real quick, Psycho, tell us a little bit about your history with the game. My history with the game, this actually happened... I started the series after randomly renting Suikoden 3 from Blockbuster back when it was still pretty new. I remember I bought 4 and 5 brand new, so it's been at least since 2003, 4-ish. 
and then I played one and two quite a bit later. Okay, okay. Um, how about yourself, uh, Sean? What's what's your current history with the this game? Well, like I said, in in 2012 was actually the first year that I actually played any RPGs, and uh, my dearly beloved late friend Jesse uh, was the one who got me into these games, and he lent me uh, both Sui Coden one and two at the same time. And the only thing I knew about either one of those games is that Sui Coden two was really valuable. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when he lent those to me, I knew. Uh, you know, that it was kind of a special thing, but actually playing them was the truly special part because they're both amazing games. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's when I first went through the first game. And the, the, one of the things we're going to talk about is the, uh, recruitment of the NPCs and how you build an army. And, uh, it was really cool because the first time I played the game, I just kind of blew through it and uh-huh. just recruited anybody who I tripped over. And, but there's, uh, there's a little more nuance to it than that if you want to recruit all the people. Uh, so this time around, I tried a little bit harder, and I found my experience to be more rewarding. Okay. Now, was that, uh, from the first time that both of you played it, was that something that you knew that you had to do? Was it pretty obvious, like, playing it for the first time? I mean, my, my history is this is the first time I've ever played the game, so I'll have a you know a, probably a different perspective than the two of you playing it. Um, but when you played the game for the first time, was that something that you knew you needed to do? I remember it sort of mentioning it during the gameplay, but did you know that there were that many players that you could recruit in the game? Uh, you know, I I knew it, but I'm not a very much of a completionist mm-hmm. when I play games. So there's a lot of games that, out there that are like this. Uh, the Persona series comes to mind too, where you have to f- form all the social links. And I'm, I'm not the kind of person who wants to find every single person or form every single social link in in those kind of games so i usually just let the game come to me and whatever happens happens so it's more of my style like i i knew that this was available but that's just the way i played it the first time right okay what about you psycho yeah the back art usually advertises the fact that there's 108 stars of destiny Mm-hmm. So you at least know that there's a lot of people to recruit, but when I first started, I didn't really care. I just wanted to play. Okay. Okay. So you didn't go through the completionist part of it either. And I think the first time I beat Suikoden in four, I only had like sixty. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm sort of the opposite. I'm and I think um I, I don't remember which um uh, uh, participant also mentioned this. I think it was Beauchamp. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm kind of one of those people when I play something, I want to. You know, especially when it comes to collections and things like that, I want to see it to the end. You know, I want them all. And uh, of course, I played this game, and and for the sake of time, I did. I did have a sheet with all the uh, uh, 108 stars on it that I used as I was playing it, uh, just to make sure that I didn't miss any. And you know, with the possibility of uh, Suicoden 2 lingering, which we'll talk about later in the show, um, I definitely wanted to. You know, have um, you know the, the special um, you know gameplay elements that you get by having the 108 stars of destiny when you finish the game. Um, so I guess the first thing that we can talk a little bit about maybe is the story, um, just kind of the storyline that went on with this game. Um, again, you know, people that listen, there'll probably be a few spoilers along the way, uh, but there were some really important storylines. Um, and I just want to hear from you guys about those storylines and how you thought those worked in the game and if it worked well. 
I'd like to give a shout out to Millich's wardrobe. We're gonna be talking. <laughs> a, we're gonna be talking about uh, some of the stories, which a lot of them are based on the character arcs. So you have groups of characters or individuals that show growth and change, or just have something that needs to do needs to be done. Mm. Not old Millich. He's just gonna dress wild and crazy the whole time, right? No yeah. changing that character arc. <laughs> Not really. Just maybe he'll wear. Uh, He'll cross-dress less often, probably. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was funny. I just uh, I remember playing the game at the beginning and just you know I got a little bit of a late start on it, so I remember someone in the thread saying, "Be sure to look behind everything. Look at all the suits of armor. Look in drawers and things like that." And um, I went to Millich's house and just started looking through his cabinets and just just cracking up. And I was that that line from Breakfast Club popped in my head. Does Barry Manilow know you raided his wardrobe? I don't know if you remember <laughs> that line from that movie or not, but uh, it was it was pretty funny. Just uh, you know, negligees and everything else, just just kind of cracking me up. Great sense of humor, uh, you know. This game, I, I thought I had a great sense of humor. So, um, and how about yourself, Sean? Um, any particular story arcs that uh, that you liked uh, during the game, or any that you want to point to? I really liked uh, the story of Futch and his dragon Black because <laughs> yeah. you enc- you encounter them in the beginning of the game and kind of uh, just within you're probably within the first half hour of playing the game and you meet Futch and he's kind of a jerk uh, but you get to ride a dragon right at the beginning of the game so that's really cool right <laughs> and then there's uh, you know, later in the game, when you actually kind of hook up with the Dragon Riders clan, he plays a, a very significant role and it's very emotional what happens to his dragon and everything. So that mm-hmm. was one of my favorite like side stories. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I, I did like that. It just kind of came came full circle at the ending, you know, with the uh, the cave and uh, rewaking the dragons and uh, not knowing what that kind of final ingredient was, which I'll, I'll kind of keep that to... Um, uh, uh, to myself, just in case Floyd's listening to this. Floyd wanted me to uh, be sure to tell everyone that the reason he's not joining us in this conversation today is because he does not want anything to be spoiled, and he's really looking forward to playing this game that he could not play in June. So uh, so there you go, Floyd. I told everyone so that you know. Yeah, n- <laughs> no promises. No promises. That's... That's tough. <laughs> uh, one of the story arcs that I really enjoyed about this game, um, there were two um, as far as, uh, I guess you can rename the character, but um, his name is, is Tyr, right? T-I-R? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, two, two of the storylines that, that I thought were kind of important in kind of pushing this game were the Ted storyline and the Jermio storyline as well. Um, sort of these people who had um, been around with Tyr his entire life. The Germio storyline, yeah, it, it was fairly interesting. I think uh, for a while I really got tired of having Germio in my party because it, um, it wasn't really that interesting of a character and not, not very good at combat either, in my opinion. But uh, the Ted storyline, I, I really, really enjoyed that storyline, you know, coming from him being so old and then playing such an important part uh, with the rune, um, I thought was pretty incredible. Oh yeah, let's uh let's take a moment and talk about the kind of the setting and this world that this game is set in, the whole series really. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, please do, man. And if you if you wouldn't mind, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you want to throw in uh, some of the background as far as the uh, traditional mythology that is kind of rooted in this in this game, uh, I'd appreciate that if you can. Well, um, the series got a lot of inspiration from one of the great Chinese novels. It's considered one of the four great classics. I'm probably going to be butchering the name. It's Shui Hu Zhuan, but it's where the game gets the ideas of the Stars of Destiny. And in that game, or not in the game, in the novel, there's a story of a bunch of bandits in the mountains, basically, or on the marshes, that kind of gather up the 108 spirits, which are Stars of Destiny. And then from there, they just kind of make an army and then are legitimized by the government, the Song Dynasty. And that's, it's based in like Taoism and various Chinese mythologies and Eastern philosophies. So there's a lot of that that shows up in the game. But also just what makes the entire setting set apart from other RPGs is like in Final Fantasies, every game basically takes place on a different planet that's really tiny. But in Suikoden, each game takes place in a different country on the same planet. So you'll have characters jump that can possibly jump from one game to another. And there's a timeline in the series as well. Like uh, Ted, he actually shows up in Suikoden 4, which takes place like 150 or so years before Suikoden 1. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Futch, which you already mentioned, he's one of the few to jump from 1 to 2 and then to 3. Because uh, from 1 to 2, there's a 3-year gap, and then from 2 to 3, there's 15 years. Oh, okay. So there's not... Cool. Futch is young enough to make that jump. Okay. And then uh, Ted, one of the reasons why his arc is rather tragic is because he wields one of the true runes. Which basically, anyone that wields a true rune is immortal, mm-hmm. so they don't age, and they can't die naturally. So when Ted shows up and whatnot, he's not going to die, but he does eventually. Mm-hmm. And then okay. Tyr takes over the rune, and that's kind of where the whole game starts. And it, it's based heavily on like the ideas of destiny with the stars and whatnot. Everyone's born under a certain star and they have a certain mm-hmm. role to play. Like Sarah's role is to wash clothes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting. That that's that's cool. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really um pick up on that and, you know, being a first time player had not really dug into the mythology of the game and so it's very interesting. And from my perspective and and hearing what you just said I thought the game really translated well for a U.S. audience or a you know North American audience, I should say, not U.S. But I think it really, uh, you know, so, some things don't always translate well. But I thought this game did a really good job and, and had such a um, just a human side to it, um, you know, as far as the storyline that it that really um, translated well and, and did a great job. Yeah, it really does, and um, that's one of the things that I really liked about this game is that it's so well written and the relationships with the people in the game that you have even if it's just a a one-off character who has a little side story you you really feel like you do have this like sense of a a ragtag like team (laughs) 
um, with the people who are helping you. And then, of course, like the main characters. Um, it's funny. I, I didn't feel I know that Ted is a main character and, and you know, his story arc is so central to to the main story. But I, I felt more of a more of a connection with a few of the other characters than I did with him, which isn't to say I didn't like him or I didn't, you know, understand his role. But I, I actually did like the, the Gremio storyline a, a little bit better. Um, but I think that's just a preference. But the, the way those characters were written was pretty amazing. Even uh, like Cleo and... Um, Oh, some of the uh, some of their other names are escaping me right now. But <laughs> what you haven't memorized all one hundred names. No, there's so many. I have the list in front Plus of me. Plus the additional actually, characters that you don't regret. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't get them all. I know you guys got them all. I only got about a hundred. I I missed a few somewhere or another. But I used, uh, I also used a guide. So yeah. you would think I would get them all using a guide, but I didn't. But okay. like I said, way more than the first time I played the game. So okay. Well, how do you feel about that, uh, for instance? Do you think 108 is is that too high of a number? Is it just about right? I mean, was it was it enough to keep you interested in finding these different characters? For me, yes, but well, I I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Like, oh, I wish there was more. I wish there was less. I guess I mm-hmm. could say it's just right. You know what I mean? It seemed mm-hmm. manageable. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess. I only missed a few here and there. I don't know. I, I don't know what I did wrong or whatever, but it, it was fine, you know. Yeah, I think there were uh, some. I think there were some people that um, were were had a little bit of a criticism of the game, saying that you know, well, how would I find these people? I mean, there's no way, you know, without the internet and being able to use guides and things like that. There's there's no way I'd have been able to find all of these hundred and eight characters, but. You know, when the game came out, internet was, it was there, you know, believe it or not. You know, in 90, right. 96, it was there, but it was very primitive at that time. So um, there weren't a lot of things that you could do, not a lot of search engines that you could click on to find information on Sui, Sui Coden, I, I'm imagining. There's probably a few sites, but, um, you know, it, it seems like it was just kind of a different type of time for gaming and I you know kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit as well um and and how at that time people were able to find this sort of information on these games yeah and I I do kind of agree I do see that uh what you're saying with that criticism I did see people making that kind of uh complaint and there is something to that I mean there's some people that you will find simply by you're in a town that has some kind of story event and the way to find that person is to leave the town and then step right back into the town and there'll be a new recruit there. Mm -hmm. And it's unless you realize that and start training yourself to go back into every town, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to, you're going to miss them. So there is something to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know what it would be like to play this game before the guides were out. I mean, I guess you'd have to ask your, uh, your college roommate or a kid on the playground <laughs> right. or what? Like, I don't know. Or you just have to go out and buy the Prima unofficial guide, which I'm still hunting right. down, and that's harder to find than the guide for two. Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely remember those days and, you know, going from being in the dorms and going from room to room, you know, playing some of the RPGs and finding new things and, you know, telling your friends about what you found. Um, it was a pretty cool time, you know, and... 
and and there were still things like Nintendo Power, you know, several other different magazines that you could get, you know, helpful tips in. And um, one thing I did like about the game was that it was very easy to go from city to city. You had a device that could transport you back to the castle, and then there you had the ability to teleport to any city you wanted to, basically. And the map I didn't think was so vast um, that you couldn't do, um, you know, a good deal of searching, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of trained myself to start going in a circuit through all the cities that I'd already been to. And, you know, just every time a major story event happened mm-hmm. to go and recheck every town, basically. Yeah. And some characters were fairly obvious, too. It's like, oh, you're not you're not strong enough yet for me to join you. Well, of course, you, right, know, you just right. need to level up. You know, I mean, it's you know, some of it was kind of a no brainer and, and some of it was, you know, just just by happenstance. I, I think one of the characters was Clive, who just randomly shows up, you know, when your castle's level four. Oh, yeah. People were complaining about him. Yeah. I was lucky enough to get him on, like, the second or third time I walked into town. But I spent, like, an hour grinding for the Nameless Urn, so I know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I, I just happened to to um, come across the Nameless Urn just in a battle. Uh, just just randomly walking from, you know, one one town to another. Just just came across and say, oh, I'll just hold on to that. And there it was in my inventory, of course, you know, when uh when I visited the shopkeeper. So Yeah, and that that right there is definitely the difference between the first time I played the game and this time because I decided that I was gonna get Jabba, who is a character we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The appraiser. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew, okay, I want an appraiser in my castle. So I knew I had to go to the area where that nameless urn was getting dropped by the uh, fairy boy is actually the the enemy that was dropping it most commonly. So find an area of fairy boys and just, you know, fight as many as you can until you get one. It didn't take too long, but like I would have never done that if, you know, in my normal like play style, you know, I wouldn't have gone out of my way to do that. But this time I wanted uh, an appraiser in my castle, so yeah, I yeah. went for it. Well, while we're on the subject, let's start talk. Let's talk a little bit about the castle, the castle building, and the the reshaping of the castle, and how that took place. Um, just want to kind of get you guys' thoughts on that. So the headquarters is a pretty interesting mechanic, since most other RPGs will just have you run from place to place and not really care about anything. Headquarters in Suikoden is something that you build. You recruit stars and they show up and wander around headquarters or they open up a shop. Or there's an addition where people live and just kind of hang out or train. So it really made you feel like you were building an army. And not only that, it made you feel like you were sort of building your own town too, right? I mean, it, it, the castle had everything that you could basically find in the outside world. Oh, just wait for Suikoden 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask about that. That was going to be my next question. Was there is is it sort of the same premise? Is there that kind of castle building as well? Uh, it's literally a village that you rebuild from ruins. Okay, awesome. Well, we have something to look forward to. <laughs> so, um, any thoughts, Sean, on the the castle building, or anything that you particularly enjoyed about it? Yeah. Um... I actually like that the castle starts out as a dungeon that you have to go through, so uh-huh. you feel like you kind of conquer it, you know, and the, the boss of the that cave is kind of challenging pretty early on in the game, so you really feel like you accomplish something when you take over the castle, and uh, I just like having the the characters having their own 
like some of them have their own side quests pretty much like the painter needs all the different color paints mm -hmm. and you know, like you can gamble with uh, some of the, you know, you can play the parlor games with, with the guys who would uh, have been doing that out in the world mm -hmm. or the spa. Uh, right. You have a, ba you have your <laughs> bath that you can decorate with the antiques that you find throughout the world. And I actually mentioned on the forum that the first time I played through the game, I didn't find Marie who was the innkeeper. Oh, so wow. like I stupidly had to sail across to that to the next city over to save my game, <laughs> but this time I, I wised up and I found her pretty early in the game. So then you have an inn that you can save in the castle, and I I, I thought that was cool, like kind of interacting. It's it like it's not just that you recruit a person, then they're in your army. You can actually go further and do things, and you know get stuff. You can get the books for the one guy yep. and. Like I said, the paints for the other guy, and he paints you a nice logo and everything, you know, the the graphic from the game. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I like, too, how the castle changed. You know, there were, basically there were four stages of the castle, and I liked how everything changed and it, it swapped, you know, it kind of swapped, and rooms would be built in different locations. People would move throughout the castle through the game. I thought that was just, just really neat and just kind of, it, it showed a kind of a progression, you know, as you're recruiting more people, you know, the people that that are staying there are really like working to build this castle and make it a home for all these uh, recruits. And I, I thought that was just a just a really neat part for the game, you know? Yeah, definitely. I'd like to give another shout out to Gaspar for funding the war efforts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> through, through gambling, of course. He's not going to fund them, you know. Uh, he's not going to be willingly funding them, but if you take his money enough, um, you know, he will give enough money. I think someone mentioned that on the forums. I can't I can't remember. Maybe it was you, Psycho, who mentioned that. It, but. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I gave the full walkthrough of how to get him. It's like, you'll want him. Free money. Yeah, yeah. And and the free money um basically came in handy quite a bit. Um I think one of the things and this will be a good transition is that one of the things a lot of people complained about um um seemed to be the the most common complaint about this game was the uh basically the inventory system and the armor system. Um just to kind of give people a background who might not have played the game. Uh each character had his and her own armor. Um, you could only carry six characters at one time, and so if you swapped out characters, they would take the armor with them. It would not stay behind. So you would have to um, either take it off of them before they left, and you had limited inventory space, um, or you would just have to rebuy everything, which is what I did. I mean, I, I just gambled and just bought the most updated equipment that I could once I had the castle. Um, so curious to hear you guys' thoughts and what your strategy was at that time. Uh, inventory in this game is it's old school it's like you if you were yeah. playing like an old school pc game where you have like a dnd &D party of five and everyone has their own inventory and then um, you had to manage them and a lot of people didn't like that i think it's one of the weaknesses of the game too mm -hmm. but um later games in the series go to a more community inventory where there's just one big inventory and then each character just has their own armor and then some extra slots for, like, um, scrolls for magic spells, um, okay. extra armor, like an accessory, like boots or something, and then, or healing items. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that 
it is definitely a major flaw of the game, but you know, people like us who love the game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we just basically are apologists for the game and we <laughs> say, you know what, it gets better in the next game. They pretty much fixed it, like like Psycho saying in the next game. So just deal with it. And uh, it's really, the, you know, one of the only major complaints that you can have with the game, and you you get used to it, you know. Oh, of course. And I think that was we had a similar complaint with Fantasy Star. Uh, when we played it for the Sega Master System, um, you know the inventory system on that was pretty horrible too. But you know, as as time goes by and as games get um, reworked and better and better, obviously, you know, um, the designers listen, you know, to the to the fans, the people who played the game, and they said, hey, we're gonna fix this the next time. This is something that people just didn't care for. You know, you can't you can't knock it out of the park a hundred percent. And I think with this being one of the very very few complaints that people had about the game i think it's it says a lot about the game and a lot about the developers and how successful uh it really was um now we mentioned that with armor um you know that was something that you had to swap out armor accessories helmets uh, but one thing that you didn't swap out were were weapons that was a, a different system on its own altogether right yeah and this actually doesn't change through the series you gotta fu- okay. go to blacksmiths and have them sharpen your weapons and it it's very expensive. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I actually um, I don't know that I've ever played an RPG that has a um, really like a weapon sharpening system. It's usually um, you know you just find different weapons um, you know throughout the game. So I thought it was interesting. I actually liked it because unlike the armor, I didn't have to swap it out or um, you know keep gambling to get more money to buy the best armor. Um, you know, I could just gamble and, you know, get enough money to sharpen my sword and kind of done with it, right? Yeah, and a lot of characters end up with weapons that fit their personality or their history. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, Flick's sword is named Odessa. Okay. Oh, right, right. And they they do get into that whole uh, sword naming idea in the game as well. Um, or, Or at one point, Warrior's Village, right? Yeah. They're pretty big on it, but everyone has a name for their weapon. Right, and in most cases, the name can change uh, as you upgrade it, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like Odessa becomes Odessa Plus, and yeah. uh, other weapons have go from having cool names to even cooler names, so it's pretty neat. Yeah. So while we're talking about the weapons, I think we can move on and talk a little about a little bit about combat and the combat sequences um right on yeah yeah this is a (laughs) really cool game uh for that um there were three types of combat sequences right um and i kind of wrote these down there was there was sort of like your regular kind of group combat um where you had six characters you could have up to six characters at one time fighting Unless you were Beauchamp and you ran out of the town fighting by yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let's see. There was uh, like a battlefield sort of strategy part um, game that we'll talk about. And then there was also a one-on-one type combat as well, right? Uh, where it was uh, uh, one of your characters versus like a general or, you know, another sort of character in the game. Um, so. Right. Maybe we should start, just talk a little bit about group combat first. Yeah, if I may, I'd love to take this one. Absolutely. uh, I feel like this is one of the major strengths of this game for its time. Uh, I mean, first of all, like 
all the attacks happen n- n- not exactly simultaneously, but the, the action is not, okay, one person goes, then the enemy goes, then the next person goes, then the enemy goes. Your characters are kind of all just jumping into the fray at once mm-hmm. and things are happening and the camera is zooming in and out and it's all very dynamic. And uh, when you get a critical, it, it zooms all the way in and it's really satisfying. But then on top of that, you have free will, which is it just makes everybody attack. So it it doesn't always work depending on your party configuration, because if you have Mm -hmm. somebody who's like a really strong spellcaster, you don't want to just have them do nothing or you don't want to have them attack because it'll be useless. However, like for just common enemies that, you know, you can plow right through, you can free will it every time. And it really like for for an rpg and this isn't like a super grindy game even no. but for a lot of rpgs you're going through hundreds and hundreds of these battles and it seems like the developers in this game were really smart about ways to make it happen a lot faster and not have you just sit there and get bored just mashing the attack button we're looking so, your way magical star sign <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> But no, there's so many games like, okay, what do you want this person to do? What do you want the next person to do? What do you want? You know, so where you can either free will it or you can, you know, you can do actually, we should talk about the Unite attacks, which we had a lot of talk on the forum about the Unite attacks and how kind of um, there's not that many, right? There's only about 15, Mm -hmm. but so it's, it's one of those things where, um, it's not like super useful. There's not a ton of utility to it, but Psycho actually brought up some uh, a few good ones. Mm-hmm. And, Kai, uh, I, uh. right? Kai and Tier have their master and student attack, yeah. which basically is a very strong attack against uh, all of the foes that you have at, at once. I use that the entire game. I mean that got oh, yeah? that got me through. Oh yeah, I mean that got me through dungeons. I mean, I, I I never had to heal like going to bosses. Just using that, I used that the entire game. It's OP, it was awesome. right? Right. It's completely yeah. so that, that's OP. Another th- yes. Right. That's another thing that just kind of lets you plow through the enemy. I personally, I used um, Meg and Jupo's trick attack. I, I mentioned this on the forum. I really like Meg's just character art. I thought she was very uh, cute, so I used her and. And uh, her Sick and Jupo have a <laughs> <laughs> they have an attack all unite attack that it, it doesn't do as much damage as the master and student attack, but it it's just really cute. And I I I am a sucker for good attack animations, especially like special attack uh-huh. animations and battle cries and RPGs and stuff like that. So this it's almost like a, a sensory thing more than it is a gameplay thing. Like I like the sound effects and and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, that's the, the United attacks were another thing that, um, you know, just streamlined that, that battle system so much. I just, is awesome. I love it. You can all, you can also mix in the United attacks with a uh, high level magic. Oh really? Yeah. If, okay. Can you, yeah. Can you explain that? A I don't think I even did that. I didn't or either. if I did, I didn't know about it. Uh, if you have like two elements casting level four magic in the same turn, they might combine for a higher effect so you'll have oh, wow. you'll have like a super spell <laughs> i didn't even know that was part of the game i had no idea yeah i'm not sure i i i'm not sure i did that at all if i did i didn't know it um magic is kind of just on the fringe for being useful in the game you're, mm-hmm. you're pretty if you take a magician along you'll pretty much just save him for the boss 
because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like an MP pool where you can mm-hmm. use an item and restore it. It's That's right. it's like a use system. So when you see that you have five next to the spell, that means you can use it five times. So that's right. So you want to blow yeah. all five of those on the boss. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a very good point to clarify, Psycho. I actually, now that you mention it, I use Luke, uh, who is by many accounts the strongest uh, mage in the whole game. I only used him in the very beginning of the game and on the final boss. So mm-hmm. I, I totally get what you're saying there. But yeah, there's no... There's no MP. There's just you have a you can only use your spell so many times and that's it. So yeah, yeah definitely magic. Like you said, it's kind of on the margins in this game, but very good point. Yeah, I did the same thing. I used uh I used Helen at Endgame, um, just because she had the earth magic, you know, that could damage all the heads, you know, because there was some immunity at the end of the game. So I actually um, you know, got her uh powered up and uh was able to um you know, use her for the end. Her armor was terrible, but the good thing is if you put them on the back row, you didn't have to worry too much. The top at the back row, it seemed like when you would get attacked by enemies, there was a certain area where the enemies would attack more often than others, unless they were, you know, magic enemies. Um, But one of the things I wanted to talk about, since we're still talking about sort of the regular kind of group combat, was the, the idea of the rows and uh, how there was a limitation as far as what your group could consist of because you had short, medium, and long-range characters. Yeah, you can only put short-range characters in the front row or else they sit in the back row and get angry at you (laughs) and do nothing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Medium characters are very useful because you can put them in the front or the back. It doesn't matter. And long-range, you can put them in the front, but... They're usually weaker with defense, so you should put them in the back. Yeah, I think I got one point stuck, and I think it was the battle that was in Cobalt Village, um, where I, you, you got, I can't remember the guy's name. Kuromini. Okay, okay. It, you, you get him, and then he automatically gets placed at the back row, and he's a front, a short-range character, so you can't do yeah. anything with him but heal during that battle. Uh, which which was kind of unfortunate because you just kind of get thrown in. He joins and then you get thrown into the battle. Um, but you know, other than that, I really didn't have a problem with it. Except uh, I got a little like, no- annoyed because some of my stronger characters I definitely wanted to use, you know, and wanted to keep them in. I was like, oh, I wish they were at least medium range so I could use them on, you know, on both sides. Yeah, so you could have um, some characters like there's a lot of hidden stats though too. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of stats in this game, like one of them the SKL I think it would translate to like the skill stat is like accuracy. <laughs> there's <laughs> like Victor, he's really strong. He hits like a truck, but his skill is low, so he misses a lot. <laughs> so you kind of have to weigh that option when you're building a party. Or other times you're forced to actually use characters, right? I think you're you're actually forced to use uh, Victor and Flick at the end. Yeah, you're forced to use both of them quite a bit. Victor and Flick play huge roles in this game. Uh, and as far as going forward, do they play huge roles? They play just as big of a role in Suikoden 2 as they do in this game. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about... Um, uh, one of the other combat sequences, which was the battlefield uh, strategy combat. That one's a bit more simplistic. It's just 
rock, paper, scissors, but you don't know what your opponent's doing until you get ninjas, and then you always know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, the ninjas are very <laughs> helpful. <laughs> always recruit the ninjas. Always a good idea for this game, especially on those battlefield sequences. Um, and I didn't know this, but you can actually lose characters during that battlefield sequence. Did you guys ever come across that? I've had it happen very rarely to me, maybe once or twice in all the times I've played these games. Now, do you still get a good save if you lose a character? Do you know? Uh, depends. Sometimes they just get wounded, which happens fairly uh-huh. often. Uh-huh. But very rarely they'll just straight up die, and then they're gone forever. Okay. Because I had my recruitment board, and I saw the character still on the recruitment board. They were blacked out on the recruitment board, which showed that I had you know, I had gotten them as one of the 108 stars, but during the ending, they were not included, or they were included in the ending where it kind of describes what they're doing now, where are they now, ending, Uh, and it just said that that character was dead, and I was like, oh man, if I just played this entire game and did not get a good save. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a bad save. Oh no. That's brutal. (laughs) That sucks, I'm just learning that now. Live. <laughs> My disappointment, live. <laughs> Your final screen, if you get all Hunter and Nate and they're all alive, it should show Tyr and Grimio standing next to each other. Nope, that did not happen. Oh. You could probably... Right. You could probably... Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, I'd just, I'd just download a save. You could probably find them anywhere. <laughs> all right. I'll send you one. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, and in the third... um. I guess, you know, that kind of covers the battlefield strategy. There's there's different things you could do. You could um, you could basically charge, attack. You could do a magic attack. Or you could do uh, bows, right? And each one, it was sort of like you said, rock, paper, scissors. One, one took care of the other. Um, and the only way you can kind of tell or um, get any idea was just, just by using ninjas. I thought it was fun. It, it, was, it was an interesting element of the game, and it took... It took it outside of um, just single combat and it allowed you to use the people that you had recruited, you know. And I, and I thought that was interesting to get to hear them sort of become their characters and sort of like yell things at the other side or criticize the other side, you know, before attack. So I thought that was a really neat factor for the game. I wanted one of them to scream out, your mother smells of elderberries. <laughs> but it never happened. <laughs> Sounds like time for a ROM hack or something. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Get on that. <laughs> so the third style of combat um, was another type. It was sort of like battlefield strategy um, in that it was sort of like a, a rock, paper, scissors where you had three options. Um, it was the one-on-one battles. There was a really really important one-on-one battle during the game um, that, that I definitely think we should cover and we should talk about. But... Sean, you just want to tell us a little bit about that one on uh, what one on one battling was for the game? Yeah, sure. Because I, I guess uh, other than the uh, we talked about the item inventory, and I said that was my only uh, kind of complaint about this game. But I, re- honestly, the the one on one duels are, would also be a major mm-hmm. complaint of mine because basically um, it's the same kind of thing: rock, paper, scissor. But what the what your opponent does is telegraphed by what he says, and really the only way to know what he's going to do is to read a guide. Otherwise, you're just going to guess and kind of hope you don't get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
unless unless Psycho has something to add to that, that's the way I saw it. And I've always used guides for these duels, even the first time I played the game, because I think that's just kind of it's BS, basically. I don't know any other way to put it, but <laughs> maybe Psycho can elaborate on that. A lot of times you can just tell, tell what they're going to do by what they say. Like if they say, oh man, I better take it easy, or something along those lines, they're probably going to guard. Mm-hmm. Or if they go, man, that hurt, I'm going to go all out, they're probably going to use their uh, special attack. Right. Sort of like an all-out attack. And, yeah. then it, and then in between will probably just be a regular attack. But sometimes there's somewhere you don't quite you're not quite sure so right you gotta think a little I was bit gonna say i'll i'll buy that to a certain extent but a lot of them are pretty ambiguous and when you have a, a character on the line let's say you just you want to get it right you know yeah there is a really really big duel starring our good friend pawn mm-hmm. and uh if he loses he's gone for good and i think someone lost him I did. <laughs> <laughs> did you lose him this playthrough too, Sean? Yeah, you know, I, I totally wasn't ready. And when I got to the part w- with his duel, I saw in the guide it said, make sure Pawn is a certain level and has a really sharp weapon. And it's like, oh, I haven't used him the entire game. So he got killed on the first Aww. hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good thing about that battle was that you could um, you could save right before i think that was a castle sequence usually before you would go into any of these combat sequences especially the battlefield strategy sequence or the one-on-one sequence a lot of times you could save right before it and that was really nice i think the only time that you couldn't do that and i remember someone complaining about this uh was where you um had to fight um uh was it rowand rwanda rwanda uh you had to fight this dragon before you fought him and so you had this really tough boss battle with this dragon and you went right into this battle with rwanda uh which was um, you're talking about kwanda rosman yeah i'm sorry yeah he's the first general right and then um like you fight his boss fight and then immediately go into the first one-on-one duel which caught a lot of people off guard yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And that that is yeah, that was one of those like kind of pacing and checkpointing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh but you're right though, uh, Rich. Other than that, you pretty much get a really good warning like uh we're going to attack so and so. Are you are you ready? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, okay, I better go save my game before yeah. whatever happens next. Yeah. And that's what I was doing just sort of it, you know, if I lost someone or if I, I lost the duel, I would just, you know, just reset. And I'm, I was pretty sure um, the first time I did it with Pawn, um, I actually died. So I just hit, you know, I just hit the reset button and went through it again and um, I think died again and then hit the reset button. And on the third try, I, I was able to save him, you know, with the little heads up. I knew that that was a fight that I could actually win. And I, I, th- I think maybe for some people playing the game, you know, from the beginning probably think that, oh, you're supposed to lose that fight. You know, I can imagine the first people playing it because I'm sure not everyone had him leveled up, you know, when they were playing. Yeah. Um, so I could, you know, definitely see that happening. But but I, I, I agree with you, Sean. I, it's This is, it was sort of one of the things I could have done without. I mean, it, it made the game a little more um, personal, I think it puts certain characters on a, a personal level, like instead of fighting uh, general with um, uh, with tear, 
like the father son battle. You know, you, you got a pawn who's just like step aside. This is my fight. You know, and, right. And so it does. It does kind of aid in the story a little bit. I think that's exactly what it is. They're they're giving the player a little bit of agency in something that he wouldn't usually have agency. Like a major battle might be a cutscene in another game, but here you have kind of a a little mini game to kind of play to get through a, a major battle or a, a major duel in the story. So it's kind of cool. And, and it's one of those, it's another thing that kind of improves in the sequel. And uh, in, in Suikoden 2, actually, the battle sequences are more of a, uh, a strategy game, like literally, like with tiles and you're moving your units on the tiles mm, okay. and everything. So it's definitely... Again, something they developed a little bit better in the sequel. So, okay. Oh yeah, right. the big army battles, the strategy battles in Suikoden Two. It's kind of like you're just jumped from Suikoden into like Fire Emblem. Huh. Yeah, it's really cool, actually. <laughs> I've, I actually rank it as my number two in the whole series, but Suikoden Five, man, those real time ones are awesome. So if you guys are interested still after playing one and two. You should check out 3 and 5 on the PS2. Okay, great. We did talk about combat and sort of compared it to um, uh, hand-to-hand combat versus magic. Um, We did say this game is not a very um, magic-friendly game. There's not a lot of magic in it. It's compared to something like Magical Star Sign, which was basically all magic, no combat, um, it kind of flips around on this, where magic is basically something that's often just used for boss battles. And um, I think Psycho said that's where he used it. And, you know, I have to agree, that's where I was using all my magic. I was just kind of saving it up, um, you know, for those battles. Uh, but one type of magic we didn't talk about was healing. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on that for a minute. Yeah, briefly is right. I don't <laughs> remember using... I think I had... For a little section of the game, I had Lapont and Eileen, and I believe Eileen has some healing spells, but for the most part, I just relied on medicines and mega medicines, which are the healing items. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely played a, a really small role for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, o- there's only a few healing spells in the game. There's um, the water runes, the water and flowing rune. But mm-hmm. most of the most of the healing spells are single target anyway, so you might as well just use medicine. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think with an unlimited supply of money, which the game has, um, you know, things like medicine um, are are not hard to come by. Um, some people did say something about the inventory system as far as medicine. They mainly just kind of stacked in sixes, um, and just kind of go along with what we were talking about. I I meant to pull this quote earlier, but something that Retro Rage said. He says. Um, that you, I don't like to have to constantly swap items with people. That makes buying, equipping, uh, weapons and armor a nightmare. I wish if if it was a community of things, so it could something was unequipped, I could easily equip it on someone. A lot of times, I bought an item I didn't know I already had because someone else had it sitting idle in their inventory. And that just kind of goes back, you know, to what we were saying. But I did I did want to get if, give him some credit for that as far as bringing that up on the forums. And I think it went into a, a really good discussion. And um, anyone who's interested in seeing a little more about that, please uh, check that out on the um, the link to the Suicoden thread. Let's see. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to mention about the game? Anything that stood out or... You know, enjoyed, disliked about the game. 
another th- you know what? another thing that uh, another thing that stands out with the game is just the story itself. A, mm-hmm. a lot of other games are just like, oh, the world's in danger, save it. Mm-hmm. But this is very much uh, as much of a political thriller as it is like a save the country type of story, because there's mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes with generals and black magic and an emperor, and you find out that not all of it is as it seems. Like, you just mm-hmm. think that the emperor is corrupt, and right at the, like, not to spoil anything, but our good dragon buddy gives him a visit, and he's just like, yeah, go ahead and take that plant. Just do it. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. it was, uh, and the way I described it was the king is not, you know, not really corrupt. It It is the king. It's Barbarossa. But he's, he's sort of poison-hearted, right? Um, apparently, Wendy, the magician, looks like someone um, that he was very fond of. And so that, that sort of poisons him. You know, from what I understand, it, it was less of sort of like a magical kind of control. Um, he was actually in control. It was just he was just bewildered by this lady. Yeah, it, she yeah. has a resemblance to his wife who has passed on. So he's actually a widower. Right. And um, Wendy is where all the all the bad mojo came from, because she is she's been chasing Ted for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. because she also has a true rune and she wants two of them so she could be even more true and more powerful. Right. So let's talk a little about uh, boss battles in this game. Overly difficult? Are there any that you really struggled with? Any that you particularly enjoyed, disliked? Um, I, I've found in general that, you know, actually just to throw it out there that this isn't really a hard game. Uh, like I said, there's not a lot of, at least for me, I didn't find that I had to grind a lot and, and the game kind of makes it hard to grind because it, it, it lets you hit a ceiling and then you just stop getting EXP basically. <laughs> and there were a few boss battles that, you know, maybe the first time you get your butt kicked and you want to chuck the controller, but it you'll get through it if you just think it through um but just to backpedal a little i wanted to just kind of echo uh psycho's uh sentiment about the story i also was really one of the things that really sticks out about this game for the um for me from my personal experience is the story Mm -hmm. just because you have all this like political intrigue and there's like you know, spies and all this other stuff. And, and like Psycho was saying, it, it's not everything is as it seems. And it's, I think it's kind of cool that, it, you know, it's a game based on political rebellion. And it's almost, um, you know, it does kind of almost make it weird that you're fighting all these monsters and stuff that are, <laughs> you know, some things that are from more traditional RPGs, but that the overall story is one of, you know, this political intrigue that that's really sets it apart for me from from other games so i just wanted to throw that out there yeah but would it be boring if all you did was fight other humans the entire game i mean the monsters yeah no i'm not saying (laughs) i would want it any other way it's just kind of a a funny quirk you know yeah and there is magic you know like psycho was saying there's magic central to the main story that's right you know as far as windy and ted and everything so it's not like totally out of place that it's it's supposed to be this like grounded in reality type of world you know so and you do get that at the end they do tell you that wendy is the one that bringing these monsters to fight right um you do get that very close to the end of the game uh which is which is you know maybe 
would have been a little bit helpful at the beginning of the game, but at the same time, you have to wait for that to develop as far as the story because you know you're you're sort of realizing what the problem is, and that Wendy is sort of the source um, of this problem. So you're right, it's true. It's not exactly clear to you in the beginning. I wasn't I wasn't kind of putting that together as I was saying that, but yeah, that's definitely true. One of the things I did want to talk about um, a little bit is the final boss battle. Um, I thought that was a really cool battle. I really, really enjoyed, um, you know, that, that each of the heads uh, had a specific uh, resistance, which I, I don't know about um, you, Psycho, but I, I did use uh, Sean's drawing, which was amazing, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I would love to have a poster of that to put in my damn game room. <laughs> it was so great, the little stick figures in the heads. And, and and the best part about it was, like, seeing that drawing, and then, like, actually, I was like, oh, man, this is good. Like, just trying to figure out what the battle at the end was going to look like and what it was going to be, and that's all this massive dragon. And I just started laughing. It was so great. That That was... That was awesome. That that was just one of those things. Is like, man, I really don't want to click on this spoiler, but this is just being built up so much that I have to. I have to see this. <laughs> yeah, and right right after that was posted is when I showed up with my uh, final boss strategy, which you used. I'm not sure if very many other people used it. The Hellion one, because using her circumvents all those immunities. Uh huh. And she has a buff. Right. Yeah. I use that actually. Um, after seeing your recommendation to do it, I that that's what I did, and and I had to sort of level her up, which which kind of brings me to a to another point um, of, of something I liked about the game. I wanted to talk about, and I'll throw this out there before I forget it. I really liked how well you could bring in new characters and how quickly they would level up. I really liked the level up system on this game. Yeah, if they survive, when you if they survive, they level up fast. Yeah. Right. It, it's just great to be able to, you know, that you don't just have to do all this crazy grinding to get them up to the level you're at. It's really it's really balanced and adjusted really well so that they can earn experience. And if there's characters you want to take to the end of the game or that you want in certain parts of the game, you know, you can just put them on the back row, basically, and just, you know, just level them up, especially, you know, taking out a lot of trash mobs. And I, I thought that was just a really really well done part of the game and something that the developers really put a lot of thought and time into. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, guys, any other thoughts about the game? Uh, it seemed like some people were <clears throat> had some problems with uh, the music. Okay. And uh, Oh, you know, I was just going to throw out, I, and I'm sorry, I, I, we're just like kind of pushing for time, so I just want to throw it out there. Like, maybe we should... Uh, wrap it up with talking about the graphics and sound uh, a lot of people did complain about the music I love the music in this game and I love the graphics so <laughs> I mean maybe if we could talk about that sure I love the graphics as well they've beautifully drawn 2d sprites in a 2d world and background and in battle the backgrounds are 3d so it kind of gives, shows you the power of the PlayStation's 3D capabilities while using mm -hmm. uh, sensible 2D sprites. Yeah, exactly, and it's awesome. I, I thought so too. I, you know, even the first time playing this, I thought, you know, because I'd played RPGs around the same time. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo came out in '94. 
Suicoden came out in 96, and then Final Fantasy VII came out in 1997, just to give our listeners a little bit of perspective where this game fell in. And I thought the graphics were wonderful. I thought they were great. And one of the things I really... I like the portraits of everyone. Those are really well done and beautiful. Um, the, the sprites, I, I thought, looked really good, you know, for the time that it was out. And, um, you know, just a beautiful game altogether, I thought. Um, the music, I'll, I'll probably differ with you guys on the music, sorry. Um, and you may have seen that on the forums. I, I did not hate the music, but I thought that at times some of the music got a little bit repetitive and, and some of the um, some of the tunes really weren't long enough. Um, and it just kind of looped and looped upon itself in certain places, especially the castle. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that one gets graded into your head because yeah. it's only about a minute long. And then mm-hmm. anytime you got to do anything in the castle, it's probably going to take at least five minutes. So you're going to hear it five times. Right, right, and, and that would be my that'd be my only knock on the game as far as as far as the music. I thought um, in other places it was wonderful, and the way it, it changed up was was great, and uh, it was really well done. Um, so I'm not I'm not attacking it in that sense. I just think some of the pieces could have been a little bit longer, um, and not been so repetitive. And that that was my only concern with that. So yeah, just I I don't disagree with the. Uh the music in the castle getting a little annoying. I think maybe it didn't get to me as much as it got to some people as far as being repetitive, but I totally, that's totally valid to me. I really, I think one of the, one of the best things about the music is during those like tender moments when you have that like, uh, uh, acoustic guitar come in. Uh, I don't know if you you guys probably know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Are you talking about the moonlit night theme? I I'm sorry I don't know the actual name of it but I'm sure that's what it is just if if you're it's usually takes place during some kind of dramatic tender conversation in the game and it's just it's so beautiful and so perfect I think the first time you hear it is when you're um you're talking to Odessa in the middle of the night Okay yeah that sounds about that sounds right I'm I'm you know I can't swear by it but yeah that's that's such a beautiful piece of music, oh, yeah. and it's it's used to great effect, like such great effect for a text only. You know, you're reading a, a text on, an, on a screen uh, type RPG. Man, it really gets the job done. A lot of the best songs in this game come back in Suikoden Two and for the rest of the series. So mm-hmm. you have that to look forward to. The Moonlit Night theme is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the theme of narcissism, which you hear with like Millich mm-hmm. and Greg Minster. And then I liked a lot of the town themes because they varied. You didn't just hear the same town theme every time you walked into any town. Right. There could be three towns next to each other, and they all have a different song. Yeah, and they definitely lend to the to the character of the towns, which is pretty cool. So before we move on and talk about the future of the podcast here, what we're going to be doing in a few months <laughs> as far as the playthrough, I thought there was an interesting statement on the forums, and I'll let you guys address it. Another sort of um, something that someone had a problem with the game, they said um, character development is one of the most important things for them, and I thought a lot of why I had issues with starting was just there was just so many of them, and the storyline doesn't directly involve many of them, so you don't develop feelings and depth for a lot of them. And and I want to say this, this was 
by one of our guys that plays a lot of our games, Beauchamp. And, and I want to say this is sort of like one of the things he said about it, but to be fair, he ended up loving the game. He, he it started out, he had, he had some issues with it and um, some gripes about the game, but I think all in all, he ended up just championing this game by the end, right? Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say about that as far as you know character development in this game. I think in this game you learn that not every character needs to be tragic or have be the center of some long character arc. Like I mentioned Sarah earlier, she just washes clothes. That's all you really need for some of these characters. Right. And with 108, I mean... Yeah, they all, <laughs> obviously. they all can't have some unresolved issue from the past or anything like that. Some of them just need... Some of them are just shopkeepers. So all you gotta mm-hmm. do is, hey, open up a shop here. Yeah, exactly. I don't have... Um... I just I agree with Psycho there that with so many characters, not all of them need to be developed. And I think we acknowledge that on the forum. But if I may just kind of segue into the fact that uh, this might have been the best playthrough that I've hosted from my perspective. Like we had a lot of really good conversations uh, throughout the playthrough on this game. And one of the cool things was seeing people like Beauchamp and Retro Rage who weren't really keen on the game in the beginning, but then watching them as they played start to get hooked on it was really cool. So, uh, but not only that, we had a lot of participation. Most everybody finished the game, and uh, you know, a lot of people got all 108. So, this was a really, really good playthrough, and I'm really proud of uh, everybody. Uh, and I just want to say thanks. So, I'll second that, and I think one of our members and. Again, I don't recall. I think it might have been Beauchamp that said, if it wasn't for this playthrough, I wouldn't have finished this game. I would have probably put it down, you know, because I think he had a little bit of frustration at the beginning. But that's, you know, that's what the playthroughs are all about. It's it's about all of us sitting down, playing a game together, helping each other get through areas if we're having trouble, and just having a good time and enjoying something for the month. And, uh, yeah, Sean, thanks a lot for hosting. Thanks a lot for suggesting this game. It was, it was a game that I really enjoyed. And this was actually, this month was actually, we broke a participation record this month with uh, Sui Coden and uh, Shadow of the Colossus. We really knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it was awesome. Good job, everybody. Um, and I'll just read something that kind of segues uh, good into uh, a quote by Mr. Disposed Hero, who, of course, played this game as well. He said, uh, I originally played Suicoden back in the late 90s, had virtually no memories of the game, and my lasting impression was that it was a slightly more above-average RPG for the era. So when I revisited for the playthrough, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I was enjoying the game. I walked away from it this time feeling like it is indeed the gem that Grey Ghost says it is. So, kudos, Sean. Good pick. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks. It <laughs> yeah. was my pleasure. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Unless you guys have anything else that you'd like to talk about, I'll kind of open the floor up for anything. But if not, on the forums, everyone was enjoying this, uh, especially toward, I guess, about the third week. Everybody was just really loving this game. And everybody's like, oh, man, we got to play the next one. We got to play Suicoden 2, right? Uh, but then we got a little issue with the you know, the price of the game. Um, one of the things that we typically do for the playthrough is we always try to pick a game that's around $30 or less, at least. Uh, we try to keep it around there so that we can maximize participation as much as we can. 
we're very much hoping, and after a vote, we had a strong contingency of people who already had the game or would probably be willing to go out and get the game to play Suicoden 2. And, of course, what's happened is PlayStation Network has not released Suicoden 2 yet. Uh, we do have some hope that maybe in the next few months, since they pulled it from PlayStation Network, um, and then there were some rumors that they had... Um, done something right what, what do you remember what the rumors were uh what happened was suikoden 2 got a rating from the esrb that's it for the ps3 only okay so so there was just hearing that there's sort of a glimmer of hope and we had some members like oh i don't want to wait that long to play it i don't want to wait till it comes out. i don't want to wait a year to play it i want to keep this you know this this recent experience fresh in my mind so i said okay well let's do this how about if we wait until just wait a few months and play it. So as we've already announced that we actually will be playing Sweet Coden 2 in September. Hopefully by that time, since they did a rating for this game, we're, we're really hoping that we'll get a, a PSN release um, on this game. But uh, right now, I'm going to turn it over um, to Psycho to tell us a little bit about Sweet Coden 2 and just kind of give us a little preview of that game. Uh, before I jump into that preview, I will say that that rating has been pulled from the ESRB site. So I don't know what that means for the future of the PSN release. I think, okay. personally, I think it was bad timing. Mm -hmm. It came out really late, and people are buying up PS4s, so the audience is starting to split. So maybe they'll revisit it by making it available for the PSN on both the PS3, PS4, and the Vita, maybe. But um, okay. other than that, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview, spoiler-free, or as much as I can make it, about what you can expect from Suikoden 2, and that is basically everything you can imagine about this first game has been improved either marginally or significantly. So some of the complaints we had, like um, the inventory, uh, the short-looped music, it's all gone. And the tactical combat system, Suikoden 1, it's mostly like rock-paper-scissors, you just have a counter and you go for it. So we could in two, it's like that rock, paper, scissors game mixed with like Shining Force, Fire Emblem, that kind of stuff. It's really, really insane. And it could have been a game on its own. And then one-on-one uh, -on -one duels are kind of the same for the most part. But I think they made the messages a bit more clear. Like what the character will say to what they do. So you have that to look forward to. And then... There's a lot of returning characters, too. I mentioned earlier that Victor and Flick both return, and they play just as big of a role right from the beginning of the game. Clive comes back, which a lot of people didn't like recruiting him. In Suikoden 2, he's very easy to recruit, and he is a part of a long side quest, which is essentially a speedrun of the game. I wouldn't recommend it if it's your first time playing it, but I might try it. I'm kind of juggling the idea just to kind of show people it. Uh, Pesmerja which a lot of people didn't get until really late, because he's one of the last recruits in this game. He comes back, and you learn more about him, and his relationship with our good arch-villain buddy, Uber. Futch makes a return. He is being uh, led around by Humphrey, one of our good friends, too. And after what happened with him, he is kind of an exile now, and he gets a new friend, which everyone loves, named Bright. So we saw the end of Black Saga... And how that led to Futch's future being in doubt. But yeah, 
Futch has a bright future ahead of him. And then there's um, Vicky and Gene come back. They're in every single game. But Vicky's probably my favorite star of Destiny because of the mirror mm-hmm. and the ability to teleport everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Also, you have a cast of villains, which is second to none. It's not just the main villain who's exceedingly, extremely excellent. It's the entire cast around him. And the man who you think is the main villain may not be. So it looks like we have uh, old returning characters and some nice surprises to look forward to. Um, I've looked at this game a little bit online, just looking at some screenshots, and it looks like the artwork is even improved upon. Although it was it's great in the first game, it looks like um, a lot of it, a lot of the detail and attention to detail is even better in the second. Suikoden 2 is gorgeous graphically. It's one of the best-looking 2D games on the PlayStation. All right. Well, I just want to say a uh, really big thank you, Psycho. I, we really, really appreciate you joining us, and uh, just really good to hear some of the background and stuff that I think, you know, Sean and I uh, probably wouldn't have, you know, dug up about the game. Really good hearing about the uh, the story and sort of the mythology behind it. So thank you again. Really appreciated it, and hopefully we can have you on the show again in the future. All right, it was a pleasure. All right. You can call, you can call me in in September, too. <laughs> we may just do that, right, Sean? Foreshadowing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Appreciate everyone who played, all eight members, and we look forward to having all eight members back playing with us in September, and hopefully we'll have a few more. Thanks, guys. Have a nice night. Thanks. So for the modern playthrough in June, as many of you know, what we did this month was we switched up the hosting, and um, I actually switched up with Grey Ghost and got to play a modern game and host it this month. Uh, Shadow of the Colossus was released in October of 2005, both in Japan and the U.S. at that time. Um, In Japan, it was called Wanderer and the Colossus, released by Sony Computer Entertainment and Team Ico. Um, and then it was also released again as a HD remake in September 2011 in the Ico and Shadow of the Colossus collection. Um, we did have a lot of participants this month and actually a record-breaking attendance this month. And one of the participants, um, and let me make sure I pronounce this name right, it's Wieldbile52, right? <laughs> Am I pronouncing that right, sir? No, I think that you're. That's the that's the Scandinavian pronunciation. <laughs> we we use the standard uh, North American pronunciation when you're in the uh, you know when you're in this time zone. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got Bill from the Collector Cast joining us. Uh, if you didn't notice his voice, um, and um, he is a big fan of Shadow of the Colossus. And when we announced that we were doing this game. He immediately sent me a text. He said, oh, please let me join you this month. So welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us. No problem. And we also have our usual cast. We've got Floyd. Hey, everybody. I just want to add that Bill is a colossal fan of Shadow of the Colossus. (laughs) 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 And then also joining us is uh, Tech Wizard or Jamie. Hey. 
it'll be here. All right, so let's get started talking about this game a little bit. First thing, I uh, just wanted to kind of talk about the, um, the landscape and the environment of this game. I think um, as much as the story, uh, as, we, as we like the story and it kind of carries this game, uh, we kind of want to save that to talk about a little toward the end. And um, to me, the landscape and environment of this game was really a character in itself. And so I just wanted to, you know, kind of get everyone's thoughts and opinions on um, that aspect of the game. I really just want to say how amazing the game looks for PS2. Like, so many gamers strive to have this open world feel, and then they're full of, like, loading screens and these invisible walls and parts that you can't really see that well in the distance. And this game, for the age, managed to pull off something that a lot of more modern games can't even attempt. Like, you see something way in the distance, almost like what that uh, Zelda trailer in the most recent E3 was talking about, where you see in the distance, then everything you see is something you can do. Uh, and get to. And it's just amazing that they managed to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that's kind of come close to that uh, uh, amount of just scope and scale in the environment uh, that I've played uh, that just comes to mind is uh, Skyrim. And I only really get that on the PC version where you can increase the draw distance to go, you know, like really, yeah. really far out. Like on the, I think the little bit of the console versions that I played, uh, you do see like a little bit of pop up here and there, um, which happens sometimes in this game. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, for... Uh, uh, for when this game came out, uh, which you know, 2005, like Rich said, uh, I remember being in a game. I was living in Florida at the time, and I was in a GameStop, and I just saw, you know, someone playing this, and I just. At first, you kind of look at it and you're like, you know, you're not sure. I mean, it's this enormous landscape and just a dude on a horse just kind of, you know, riding. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking like, you know, what what the hell's going on? Like, where's he going? Like, where are the bad guys? What's happening? <laughs> and it just kind of yeah. draws you in with this, with the mystery and the intrigue of what is even going on like what's happening so it's it kind of like right from the beginning when you look at the game the landscape is as much a part of the uh you know what makes the game as anything else yeah Uh, oh sorry go ahead uh yeah i I agree i mean there's this feeling and and you know just speaking of what your first experience was bill with walking into the game store you just get this complete feeling of isolation you know, when you're looking at the game and it's completely created by the environment. I mean, the mountains, the the trees with really no leaves on them, you know, the gray scale of the environment um, and the lack of um, the lack of organisms, I guess, the lack of animals, birds, you know, lizards and things like that. It's, it's all very, very sparse mm-hmm. in the game. And I think that that is one of the most phenomenal things about this game is you're as you say, when you when you first look at it, you're like, what what in the world's going on here? And, and I can say this was my first time ever seeing or playing the game, and so, you know, trying to piece all of this together and and find mm-hmm. out not only what's going on with the story, but what's happening in this world or this environment, um, was completely fascinating for me. Yeah. And as you come across like all these different things, like uh, there's so many games, you know, you're you're kind of playing the game and then you kind of hit that invisible checkpoint or invisible wall and then the cutscene yeah, exactly. kicks in and then it, it's, it pans to the bridge and it's like, we don't use that bridge anymore because of the catastrophe of blah, 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 blah. And it's just, you know, the exposition is just given to you and you come across those things and nothing changes. Like you see this bridge and you just kind of get to look at it and you say, 
you know, what, what you just think like what's going on, and then you start to think, I don't know what's going on. But does that mean that you know the character I'm playing doesn't know what's going on? And uh, uh, you you know you hit, you hit these desert landscapes and you find these temples, and nothing is explained to you. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Limbo in that way because you just sit down <laughs> and play Limbo. I know I'm, you know it's a tangent, but you sit down to play <laughs> and you're not given anything. You just have to play it and figure it out. And I, there's something about games like that that I just love. And this was kind of the first time that I you know, played something that was this enormous and deep and didn't give you anything, just said, go out and do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what drew me in. I mean, everything that we've touched on so far is all told without dialogue or any exposition. Mm-hmm. And everything is told through through the setting it's just so foreboding and, and ominous and mysterious. One thing I really liked was the opening shot with the bridge uh, when you're first entering the Forbidden Land. And it's just such a massive scale from the building that you're going to to where you're standing. And then it starts to pan off to the side and uh, you start to see more of it and you're like, wow, this is massive. And then it starts to see more of it and it just keeps feeling like it's getting bigger and bigger. And it's like, holy crap, this is actually huge. Yeah, you get that sense of uh, enormity of yeah, the world. Yeah, and I compare it to the opening shot of the first Star Wars movie when you're seeing that Star Destroyer go past, and it just seems to keep going and going <laughs> endlessly. And it really feels like that kind of sense of the awe. The music in that intro sequence is beautiful, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really good. One of our members actually mentioned sort of the vastness of the game, and I just wanted to quickly read a comment from uh, Highwind. He says, Seems like everything about this game is big. The world is huge. Some of the pathways and whatnot are really long. I also like some smaller details they put in, like when you save at the stones and reload, you're asleep against it. Or when you fall a long ways or get hit hard, you don't jump to your feet. You may lay there for five seconds. So, yeah, I mean, you know, his his discussion of how big the land is and, and just the feeling you get um, is it, just incredible. And yeah. one of the things I noticed about the game is I, I'm not a big fan of heights. I'll just go ahead and admit that publicly. <laughs> um, and there was a part, especially um, if you guys remember going up the ramp and transcending up to where the third Colossus was, yes, where you would have to make that jump across. Yep. I mean, I missed that jump several times <laughs> and I could feel, I could feel my stomach. Me too. Just, just curl me too and i was oh my gosh i i ask i ask my wife that sometimes i'm like like if you're like it's it's usually with first person games but it can happen and stuff like this like in borderlands uh 2 if i jump off a cliff because it doesn't hurt you and you just fall down even though i know the in-game character is not going to get hurt i get this feeling where i'm like oh geez and (laughs) i asked my wife like do you get that she's like not at all so i guess it's just a thing with some people but yeah same thing yeah, and, and just like looking over like a precipice or like a cliff or something like that, just looking down, I mean, I get a little bit of vertigo <laughs> like in doing that. It's just very strange um, that a that a game, um, you know, can sort of induce that. I don't think I've ever had a game do that to me before, and that was just, uh, you know, odd, but, you know, special in a sense. I mean, it just, it, it says a lot about how much time they put into this game and, you know the graphics and and how good everything looks that you're getting sucked in so hard that you know those things are affecting you you know yeah, bodily just as they would in real life right right it's amazing i don't really think i've ever felt that myself for the uh looking over the cliff but i definitely know what you're talking about when you're falling and especially right. if it's a long fall mm-hmm. actually one thing i want to mention in response to what highwin was saying about the little details is something i noticed when i was just uh, looking for some lizards at one spot and there was a pond nearby next to a couple trees and uh 
aggro the, the horse and he went over and he just started uh, casually drinking some of the water <laughs> and there's so many little details like that where uh, the game does these very natural and casual feeling things right. and uh, it feels like it, they nailed it yeah that's really cool i never yes and, that. and another great little detail that i, I think everybody uh, uh has come across even if you didn't realize it is when the the you know when you press the button to like call it depending on the distance that argo is from you the call is different so if he's I like if he's, if he's 10 feet from you it's like hey <laughs> hey come here <laughs> hey you're looking the wrong way just come right over here and if he's a little yeah. further away it's like yo buddy i'm gonna yeah right over here and if he's far away, then you know it's either like a yell or it's like a like a whistle. And yeah. if it's during a fight, it's it's intense, and it's like <laughs> uh, yeah. it's 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 under duress. Um, and and another example of just little little things. It just it just takes somebody making the game to say, you know, either it would make more sense if, or wouldn't it be cool if? And it's you know those are the little things that uh, that make a difference. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like when your voice is quieter too, when you're up close, a lot of times the horse reacts a bit slower. Mm-hmm. And then as you get farther and you're starting to yell louder, the horse is, he sort of almost jumps and reacts to what you're saying faster. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think uh, when you're not uh, yelling it very loudly to him, he's like, oh, whatever, I'm just yeah. continue eating grass. And <laughs> yeah, he can run <laughs> over really to me. And, but one, I mean, there is like the one little thing that, that bugs me is the... Uh, the mount your horse button and the jump uh, button yeah. being the same thing. Uh, yeah, that drove I'm sure nuts. everybody is just, you know, like, I, I don't want to hurdle my horse. Like, I just, how about if I'm within like five feet of my horse, just get on the horse. So that's, <laughs> it's a minor complaint, but it's something that, you know, I ran into. I just gave yeah. up on the actual proper mounting and always use the R1 jump and grab <laughs> onto him. <laughs> my, my favorite part is when you would be at the top of a cliff and uh, you could actually climb down the cliff and you'd have to dismount your horse and then you would get to the bottom of the cliff and he would just be sitting there waiting on you like you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it happened to me a few times. Like, hey, what like, took you so long? Why did you go this way? I mean, you know, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, you know, just exceedingly beautiful. And one of the, um, the designer, and, and if someone, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, please, please correct me, uh, but is it uh, Fumito Ueda? Is that is that the correct pronunciation? Does anyone know? I think so, yeah. I just so actually watched a video on the game, and that sounds like what it was. Okay, okay. He was the, uh, he was the designer of the game and uh, the leader of Team Ico, and it said a lot of his games had this quality where they uh, lack severe economy of plot, check um overexposed illustrations desaturated light and sparse dialogue so uh, i i can definitely say that this this game fits into all of those categories which some of them we'll be talking about a little later but um definitely i, I love the way um j- just the just the game i mean just the black and white you know the the oversaturatedness you know raising your sword and you know just the the beams of light you know or the sun just kind of flashing at you you know, at times when you would, when you turn certain ways, I mean, it was just, you know, in totality, just, a, just a beautiful, beautiful game. And, mm, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ueda really knows how to use color to, uh, like convey an emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, and I imagine that's so, so much tougher to do. I mean, I've, I, I've worked in film before and I've, I've shot color things and then I've shot things that we've actually shot in color and then transferred over to black and white. And you really have to be conscious of like what you're wearing 
and you know just what the different contrasts and grayscales are going to be when you're when you're uh, you know shooting film like that and to be able to do it in designing a video game on a complete basically a complete grayscale maybe a you know a few tinges of color every now and then or, or something that looks sort of like color is um is, is quite quite remarkable you know to do something like that it's quite yeah, a feat. i think i remember reading an article about um I, I want to say it was the first, uh, the uh, Adams Family movie, uh, but it might have been something else. Mm-hmm. Um, something where it was black and white, I can't remember. And uh, they mentioned that this room, which was supposed to be kind of a, a dark and foreboding room, uh, in the actual filming was like hot pink, because that just <laughs> popped up nicely on the black and white filming. Right. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, so we'll move on a little bit from environment and landscape and, and talk a little bit about the, um, the meters that were used in the game. Um, as you, as you may recall, there was a um, basically a stamina meter and a strike meter, which basically um, your stamina meter and your strike meter were the same. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had a life bar as well. Um, so I, I guess I just kind of want to talk a little bit a little bit about that, how that kind of worked, and how, how you guys felt about that. You know, specifically that stamina and strike meter, how it worked with the game. As I was getting the uh, the fruit to upgrade your stamina bar or no sorry the lizards for the stamina mm-hmm. and I just never noticed it going up until <laughs> one part along the game and I looked at it and it's like hey that looks bigger than it did before <laughs> but uh, every time you get one of them it, it's such a minor increment uh, that you just don't even notice it really yeah like on a larger TV you can, like you I mean the life bar you can see easier because you because it, it yeah. increases in size the stamina meter it's really just like a pixel's worth and like you kind of see it glow and then that little dotted line just kind of expands just just so slightly and it's the same thing like uh, it was like uh, I think I didn't even realize what it was until I think I restarted the game like after I finished the game I restarted on hard mode and I thought oh wow they give you a lot less life and stamina on hard mode <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize that it was you know because I had collected all those things and yeah, it's one of those things that, just like the classic Krabby's favorite and Duke's favorite, Super Mario Sunshine, <laughs> the more, like, sunshine you collect, like, the game is getting brighter and brighter and brighter, and you don't notice. And then, like, if you go back to, like, the beginning of the game, you're like, wow, it's dark. So oh. it's like, you don't even notice until, like, you know, you get a whole lot of it, that the difference that it makes. Yeah. yeah you don't notice until the side-by-side comparison. Mm. I think I posted a picture in the thread of the... I know I got the achievement for the complete or like the the largest uh, uh, life bar, I believe it was. Right. And uh, yeah, the, the stamina, I didn't uh, I didn't get the achievement. So there's actually more lizards and fruit than you know. Like your bars will max out, and there are still like lizards and fruit you can collect. So the the max bars happen before the uh, you know captured all lizards or like got all fruit achievement happens. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So okay. after a point, you might uh, if you didn't know there was more to the bar that uh, you might think oh okay i've already maxed it out right yeah mm-hmm. but there's actually more in there i just yeah. found your picture yeah it's massive compared to what mine was <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and honestly like you know unless you're taking it's almost like the end game of an rpg like if you know when you get to like that point in like most final fantasy games we're like okay i can go beat the guy and finish the thing or i could just go like do like side stuff for 30 more hours um yeah. so you kind of have to take time off from hunting um, all these uh, uh, monsters to uh, you know to just hunt for like fruit and lizards. Mm. So it does get a little uh, you know monotonous, but uh, 
if you if you really want that life bar, if you really want that stamina. And one of the things that kind of bugged me about it is I really wanted the life bar and the stamina so that I could go after time attack mode and go after hard mode. Um, but uh, the the life bar and the stamina only applies to the main game that you're playing in. Once you go prey to one of the defeated statues to enter time attack mode, um, it gives you the default size of life bar and stamina. So it kind of bugged me a little bit, but I understand you know why they do it because it's like a ranked mode, so they don't want mm-hmm. you to you know have an unfair advantage. Right. But, uh, I just thought it was uh, you know I was like, well, what am I doing this for? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things with the time attacks that uh, in this video I was watching I didn't realize, but uh, it says that you actually get some sort of mask. I think it was after you've beaten yeah all of them. Yeah, yeah. there are rewards for yeah. your. Uh, you know how well you did in the time attack mode. Yeah, yeah so it's not just like for showing off that you right. beat them so fast. There's actually something to it. And just like everything else in the game, the game does not tell you anything. <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. so you just do a whole bunch of stuff on hard mode, and then it's like, oh, congratulations, here you go. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I forget what the exact rewards are for exact levels, but you can get a uh, uh, the locations of all the lizards revealed to you, locations oh, really? of all the fruit revealed to you, um, I think the, the the queen sword, which is a reference uh, to a weapon in Eco, which kills anything on the first strike. Um, there's a spear. Um, there's a whistling arrow that distracts Colossus. So like you can shoot this arrow and they'll kind of follow it so you can get them to go where you want them to go. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool unlockables if you uh, decide to put the time into uh, time attack mode, but uh, the game won't explain that to you. So you either have to just kind of figure it out on your own or like follow uh, like an online uh, uh, guide. Mm. Yeah, that'd be really cool to try. I, that's something I haven't actually tried. You young whippersnappers <laughs> playing this spiffy game on your <laughs> spiffy PS3s. In my days, we didn't need achievements. We just had in-game screens. And we loved it, by gosh. We loved it. <laughs> um, I just want to add about the uh, the lizards and the fruit. The, I, I, I would say I did the same thing as Bill, that uh, like sort of three-quarters of the way through, I... I took uh, some time off from hunting down the Colossi and just searched out as much fruit as I could find and as much as many lizards as I could find, and it didn't feel tacked on. It felt really natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I uh, basically my my strategy was I I'd noticed that a lot of the uh, the silver-tailed lizards were on the save temple, so anytime mm-hmm. I was on my way to track down a Colossus, two of the things I would always do is if I saw a temple, I would just you know, in the distance or whatever, I would just make a run to the temple, go ahead and collect. And then um, I would also just kind of check out the trees like really quick as I would go by them, though, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that wasn't as easy. It was, you know, easier said than done, right? I mean, those yeah. those fruits, you know, they're, they, they're they blend oh, in. See, yeah, uh, like, it's tough. Yeah, it's, uh, you would imagine like, oh, it's a black lizard with like a shining white tail. No, they're hard to see. Uh, same thing with the fruit like you would look up and like it's kind of it's a little bit of that like oversaturation of the light kind of bleeding around the edges of the tree but like Mm -hmm. it is hard to see a lot of this stuff so when you find one and sometimes you find yourself just shooting arrows into is that is that a fruit i was shooting an arrow into that and then and (laughs) then it's either yes or oh no so it's a big leaf for a branch yeah, sort of strafing around the trees as well because you're like, well, maybe I just don't have... And a lot of times it would be that way. I, I just don't have a good angle. Right. And I can't mm-hmm. see the fruit from where I'm at. You can't see it from one side. You can yeah, only they, see it from the other. Yeah, they'd be obscured by leaves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very natural and, and very well done, I thought. And, and it's exactly what you would do because like a lot of times in like... Uh, I know this is a third-person game, and in a first-person game, you would kind of you know bring up your iron sights or you know whatever weapon you're in. And if you don't have a good view, 
while keeping your weapon aimed up, you would just strafe to the left or right and continue to get a better view. Um, But that's not, you know, that's not how this works. And I don't think it's how naturally most people would do it. You would kind of, you know, bring your weapon up. You kind of try to get a view. No, I don't have a good view from here. Your weapon comes down, you walk to a better vantage, and then you you bring your sights up again. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very deliberate uh, in that way. I have to say one thing that I found, and this is one of the few flaws for me anyways, is every time you pulled up the bow, uh, it seemed to sometimes start you facing in a way you didn't want to be facing. I yeah. think it's relative to the way your character was standing, and that wasn't always the way the camera was facing. Yeah, I, I don't think the control is perfect, um, and I, I, I really do wonder if it's intentional. I, I don't, I've never read any uh, interviews about it, but but you're absolutely right. Like when you when you pull, you know, I'll, like I'll I'll turn a certain way, and I'll assume that since I'm tur- I'm facing that way now, if I pull up the bow, that's the way I'll be facing. But you'll be fa- you'll like kind of come up in the view where the camera's looking, not the character. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit weird, and I I agree. Which isn't too bad for the fruit, but then you get into the Colossus battles, and it's gonna be a major problem. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, you're aim- yeah. aiming aiming at walls, and yeah, yeah. Whether that was intentional or or not, uh, this game does defy a lot of video game conventions. It does, yeah. And like it, it really does its own thing. And when whenever you do something, you feel rewarded for it, which is that's what I like yeah. the most. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point. It's 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 weird how there's not a whole lot of things that this game does that you're like, oh, it does this just like they did in that other game. Like, everything that's done in this game kind of feels unique to this game, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I, mean, I can't think of anything as I was playing that I was like, oh yeah, this is totally a Zelda thing or yeah. something like that. I mean, like, there's there's, there's no, I've, I've, I can't think of any other stabbing mechanic that works the way this one does. Any other, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stamina, climbing. And mm-hmm. I forgot who, I think it was in the comment that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, Tech, about... Uh, Oh no! It was Highwind's comment when you fall mm-hmm. a long distance and you don't get up yeah. right away. Oh, right. it it yeah. drives you so crazy, but you're <laughs> glad that it's there. Yeah, exactly. You fall off oh, like yeah. a thirty foot cliff, and you're like, okay, get up, get up, get up, and you're like, ah, he's probably got a problem with his ankle. Yeah, <laughs> but it brings you into the game. Yes, mm-hmm. like it re- that, that sucks you in, especially um, if you're fighting a colossus when you fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it really ramps up the tension like and it, that. And it's like yeah. one of those things where you know no one making this game was like, well, you know, no one else does this. So we can't do it. They were like, no, like this makes sense. We're going to do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. which uh, in some cases I meant some of the things are going to be things from other games too, but it's not necessarily that it's from another game. It's just that it happens to be realistic too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stun was, for me, a little, a little aggravating at times, um, you know, in some of the battles, especially with some of the quicker colossi, um, it became quite a problem and uh, probably cost me a, a life, um, especially against um, one or two of the colossi. I was say it cost me probably a couple dozen lives on one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I did like the stunning kind of when you fall, though. I guess mm-hmm. my issue with falling, I felt I always felt like I didn't lose enough energy when I fell. I know that's an odd complaint to have, and you know, that's but when fair. you fall from that great of a height, you would you would seem to like you would at least lose like you know half the three quarters of your life bar. And right. I, I thought that the penalty for that wasn't as great as I would have liked to have been. And maybe you know in harder mode, which you know I haven't played yet, maybe that's something that they've added. Maybe one of you can speak to that. I don't know. I would have really liked it if you could like permanently break your leg. 
That would have been cool, though mm-hmm. really frustrating. Like Bushido Blade. Yep, you get up limping, and it's like, oh, this game's going to be so hard from now on. <laughs> and not even like, and it, was, it doesn't come back when you die. Like, you die, you respawn, your legs broke. Yeah, yeah. But I guess in, in one way to defend it is it, it, it sort of adds to the story, if you will, it, mm-hmm. because you're in a very surreal environment. It's, it's, it's not something that you would say, these events are actually happening. You know, this is almost like a fantasy or a dream world, right, mm-hmm. apart from the rest of the world. I think, and we talked about the environment, and that kind of sets that up. So, you know, not taking that sort of damage and being able to fall from such great heights without breaking a leg, yeah. um, you know, you know, maybe even adds to the story a little bit. I'm sure that's something they thought about when they were designing the game. Right. Yeah, I really don't maybe, feel yeah. like any, any game needs to be 100% accurate. Uh, like, unless you're building a simulator, you shouldn't worry mm-hmm. about uh, making it real life, because so many times uh, that can be detrimental to the story if you're playing something that feels like you're uh, taking out of a textbook. Mm. Right. I mean, not everyone's fighting rock giants every day, right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't have to go for perfect realism in the rest of it, too. Yeah, this game really felt like um, like it was a legend or a folk tale or something. Yeah, and absolutely. So, like, maybe that's how it all sort of works. It's almost like that, um, uh, I guess we'd be called narrative, uh, not narrative dissonance. Maybe someone will correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, you know, that there's the storyteller could be flawed or could be embellishing mm-hmm. things yeah unreliable narrator that's yeah. it yeah quick note before we go on is uh, lizards i forgot to mention that um i didn't actually know that the white-tailed lizards even existed um i think i had killed a few but i didn't realize that there was any difference to them i thought it was just like a kind of variant on the other ones and uh, uh so for the longest time i was literally killing every single lizard that i saw <laughs> i was doing that too <laughs> yeah and yeah. It wasn't until I realized, hey, these ones seem to be respawning. Like they wouldn't give you internet response. Man, so. This place has a lizard problem. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys realize the first uh, white-tailed lizard uh, can be shot uh, without moving from your, you know, where you start the game. No, huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. So when, when you first load the game up, uh, if you look straight up to where the voice is, you know, kind of instructing you, um, there's one kind of walking around on the inner upper dome, and that's huh. and they actually you, you can see it in the cutscene. Um, if you like rewatch the cutscene and you're kind of like, it's, it's almost like a hint, like, you know, Hey, look up here, check this thing out. And then you look up and you can shoot them down. That's cool. I was too busy firing at doves. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go on to combat and stuff, what did you guys think about the camera? Did you have any issues? Because I know that a couple of people at least were complaining about that. I, I think, it, yeah, at first I had issues where I was like, oh, I don't think the control is very good. And then it kind of settled into more of like a learning curve thing for me where like I was fighting the camera so much to be perfect. And then when you kind of let the camera go a little bit and you kind of realize, okay, like when you're riding, you know, like at full gallop, it's not supposed to be centered, you know, right behind mm-hmm. you it's kind of got that off-center like cinematic look um yep. you kind of have like that button once you kind of learn how to use that button where you just focus on your enemy um it helps out a lot um especially while uh while riding because trying to steer and like you know look at the uh you know your your foe at the same time is kind of nutty um but yeah, yeah. At, at first i thought it was you know the control was the camera control especially was a little bit loose but kind of the more you get used to it um, it, it just feels like, you know, part of the game. Mm-hmm. I agree. It took me a while. Um, it took me maybe one or two Colossi before I kind of got, got the, 
you know, the controls down pat and, and understood how to move, you know, how to use the button to where you could immediately face the Colossi. And that's that's one of the techniques I used quite a lot. I know some people still complain saying that, you know, well, that, that didn't help me as much. It, it really helped me. And, mm. um, you know, just kind of get used, getting used to just the motion and, and the controls. Once I got over that slight learning curve, um, I didn't have any problems whatsoever. I mean, I, I thought it played really well. I mean, anytime you you you're playing like a a, a 3D game on a 2D platform, there's always going to be something, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I thought compared to other games, um, and mainly, I think one thing I compared it to was N64 games like Mario and um, Conkers and things like that were. Um, um, like foreground stuff would like completely block your view. Yeah. I, I never had that problem in this game. Mm-hmm. I think once you learned to stop fighting the camera, it became a lot easier too. Yeah, and the, the one that uh, helped me more even than the uh, L1 to look at the Colossus uh, was uh, the L2, I think it was, uh, to center your camera, which wasn't exactly center, but it basically just followed where you were walking. Mm-hmm. And I found that was really helpful, especially while riding the horse, because I could mm-hmm. alternate between L1 and L2 and get an idea of where the Colossus was and then quickly turn back to myself. Because if yeah. I had to spend the time to go 180 degrees with the analog stick, that just would probably send me crashing into a wall or something like that. Not go so well. Yeah. yeah. The, the only instance I had with ever having an issue with the camera that I can really specifically speak of was the uh, the 10th Colossus. Which was dirge, which was the uh, the sand tiger, like the sandworm, where you had to, um, oh, right. you know, uh, where you had to fire um, your bow uh, rear facing as it was chasing you, which was right. cool. It was cool, but so frightening. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those googly weird eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I think Floyd posted a picture of those eyes. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking up. about I was thinking about that when control came up, and I was like, oh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that once you know we go through the uh, the list of colossi. But but absolutely, the I remember that one being really frustrating because I kept running into things because because mm-hmm, uh, you're riding blind. But mm-hmm. I don't like just this last time I played it. I don't know why, but like I, I think it's it's because uh, uh, I, I you know I kind of did what I would have done if I was being chased by this thing. Like I'm on my horse, I'm galloping. I look forward. Okay, everything looks everything looks clear. There's nothing in front of me. Now I'm gonna look back at him, and then he comes up, and then you fire the arrow. So I think you know the the less you think of it as a game, and the more you think of it. Okay, how would I you know react in this situation? Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, definitely that. Uh, I mean that. I don't think that fight's possible without uh, using that mechanic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You have to stay locked on, or else you're not going to hit its eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the opposite is uh, with the the towering ones that are like walking around you, the four legged ones and stuff like that. And you sometimes get kind of tangled amongst their legs and trying to like get away from them. But if you're that close and you hold down L1, I've had it where I tried that a couple times and the camera is just like whipping back and forth as it's trying to track <laughs> the head of the Colossus. <laughs> just wasn't going well. So those are the ones where I'd really avoid that and then wait until That's I'm That's really unfortunate because it never happened to me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's just any time I was really close and I tried the whole L1 to kind of get an idea of where the main target uh, symbol on him uh, was and uh, it would try to follow it but because the Colossus was moving too much the camera was just going on crazy now one other quick uh, thing while we're talking about controls um did anyone here use the uh the 90 degree quick turnaround while riding the horse or did you even know it existed 
I knew it from the comments, but I didn't know how to do it, I think, or if I if no, it was explained, I didn't try yeah, it. Yeah, I don't ever remember it being explained in the game. Um, I'd have to double-check the manual, but I remember I was just, you know, I was on some forum, I was reading something, and someone said, man, riding the horse is really tough. And someone said, oh, just use the, you know, the quick turnaround. And it's like, I think you press, like, down, triangle twice fast, and I, I forget what it is. Um, and but he does like you know at a full gallop he uh, your horse will dig his heels into the ground and at the same time kind of do like this sliding turnaround and start galloping the other way. Wow. And I really wish they would do a better job. Like I know they're trying to keep everything kind of very like subdued and like you know figure like the story out for yourself. But I kind of feel like you know that would be a thing that if you told more people about, they'd have fewer complaints about the uh, the riding controls. Mm-hmm, um, but uh, if you haven't tried that mechanic, even if you finish the game, I, I recommend you just jump on the horse and try that turnaround, and just imagine how much better you would have enjoyed playing with that. Yeah, yeah, that would have saved so many times of me crashing into the wall and uh, <laughs> have to deal with the horse slowly turning around. I think for the first couple hours, I had a few complaints about riding the horse, but. Then I thought to myself, if I was riding a horse, I'm control. I'm trying to control a wild animal that probably doesn't want me riding it. So that's why that's how I learned to accept that it wasn't super responsive or you know super tight. Yeah. Like it, I kind of put myself into those shoes, and it it made sense for me, and I kind of kept that in mind and got used to it. Yeah, I mean, once you once you do it, um, I had problems with it at the onset as well. But once you do it, and you you get a feel for it, you get used to it, and just it feels natural, and it's you know it's neat, you know, it's it's just a different mechanic, you know, like like mm-hmm. you were saying earlier, some you know this game does a lot of stuff that other games don't do, you know, and it wasn't just you know completely you know fluid responsive. It it made you learn how to you know how to motivate and how to move the horse, and yeah, it was one of the things I really liked about the game as well. Mm-hmm. Though when the horse is moving slow, it can definitely be a bit of a struggle to get them to start moving. And it did take me a while to wrap my head around the controls, because in most games, uh, at least from what I've seen, it's pretty straightforward. It's just like, uh, you turn in the direction you want to go, and that's where you're going to go. But uh, this, it was much more relative to the position of the horse than the camera. Right. Like, that threw like, me off like a bit. You're pu- like you're pulling the reins, you're not steering the animal. Exactly. So like yeah. you'd, pull, yeah. you'd pull the reins, and like if you held the reins... like. It, you're like you're almost like pulling the horse that you're steering a front wheel drive car from the headlights. <laughs> a little bit, and it's yeah. It, yeah, it's it's not like you're you know moving uh, uh, the whole animal. It's yeah, it's you really had to kind of get into relative uh, steering mode. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely takes a while to get your head around it. I think kind of related to this, um, one of our members, Beauchamp, um, who was very active uh, this past month on both playthroughs. Um, had a had a good point um, in here. He said, "All right, calling it a night, getting used to the controls took longer than I thought it would, but was able to take down the first two colossi." I am reminded that games used to have unique controls before you could tell the console what you preferred controls were for everything you play. So, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I I agree. I think uh, that nowadays everything is kind of like, uh, oh, this is Call of Duty controls, or this is the Gears of War controls. Right. Everything kind of fits into a, a box, mm-hmm. and back then everything had its own. Yeah, page. there there are things that like had a feel, and mm. uh, like there's things that kind of fit into those general categories. But uh, yeah, there, there was a time when you kind of had to get the feel down of whatever game you were playing. Uh, and I was talking to Krabby about this not long ago. With a, a, I was playing Darkman on NES, and I was like, <laughs> it's it's really weird. Like the the jumping mechanic is yeah. like. 
like when you jump you have more or less momentum than you think you should have from like you know oh. years of Mario and other platformers right. and he's like yeah you really have to kind of get the feel of the jumping mechanic and that's just yeah. you know how if a game is going to have a unique control scheme and not be based off someone else's uh, structure that's that's where you you're going to have to get used to that feel it reminds yeah. me a lot of Prince of Persia too with the jumping and mechanics running and stuff in that game they're 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 quite awkward uh, but it's just something that you have to learn and um, you know once you once you learn it, and it just kind of becomes second nature. I mm-hmm. think that's, I think that's what makes certain games special. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, it's just what makes a game a game. You know, it makes it unique. So yeah, I think I'd say probably safely ninety nine percent of people, their frame of reference for controlling a vehicle would be a car game, and a car does not control like a horse. Not at all. No. <laughs> So, like, points for realism here that you or you have to steer, um, you have to steer Agro's head in that direction you want to go, and then he will make that turn. Right, and then you have to accelerate him and let go of the turning. Otherwise, he'll just keep turning in in place and do yeah. a circle. And actually, in response to what you're saying about the jumping controls, um, uh, as much as we're kind of talking about it being a little clunky and awkward and difficult to get used to, I really liked how at certain times, well, actually a lot of the time, it felt really fluid too. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of hard to explain, but it's uh, like um, it's two sides of the same coin. It's fluid and clunky because uh, I love how on certain moments you can really do a nice transition between running and then this like arm flailing jump into your horse and grab it and then just go off and uh, shooting arrows off the back of the horse while standing on the back of the horse if you want to (laughs) (laughs) just all this crazy stuff and uh, like at times it can feel awkward with a bit of the platforming but some of the transitions between uh, play styles just felt so smoothly and realistic that it was uh, i thought it was really well done i don't know what you guys thought about that but i don't know why you would choose to like take a running leap at your horse well, like I, I said, with the difficulty of the mounting and jumping <laughs> being on the same controls, that's just how I chose to do it. <laughs> no, I always just got up beside him and, you know, jumped, and if I got on, I got on. If not, I kept trying. I, I was, every time I stood next to him and jumped, and I, I instead of mounting him, I'm always thinking of what this horse is thinking of me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's, it seemed like the hitbox for mounting was just really small, and... Yeah. I uh, would more often not jump three times in a row before I actually managed to get on the horse. My wife walked in the room a couple times. She said, what are you doing? She said, just get on the horse. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know what it reminded me of, too? Like, it reminded me of Portal Portal 2. Say Apple. And then you jump. (laughs) It's like, okay, you jumped. What you just did was a jump. Say Apple. And then you jump again. Okay, forget it. (laughs) Let's not get on the horse. Yeah, pretty much. Since we're on the topic of mounting, um, <laughs> Rich, you, you, you had a good uh, quote about, I don't, I don't know if this was mounting the horse or mounting one of the Colossus, but... Uh, Colossi, yeah. Oh, okay. We'll it save was. that for later. Do you, do you I, mean, I mean, are you going to call me out on this quote? I mean, is, is this, is this uh, something we feel necessary to do? Call me uh, out I, on this I, quote? I think so. <laughs> All right, go, go for it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I can't remember which one it is, but... Um, uh, Rich had a lot of trouble <laughs> getting on top of one of uh, one of the colossi, and because um, as some of you may know, uh, Rich, uh, some of the collector cast guys, and I uh, text back and forth, and I get this message from Rich, and he says, "Man, this guy's just so hard to mount." <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, 
<laughs> I think he's just playing hard to get. <laughs> so. Not on the first date. <laughs> Keep at it. Just imagine sending that to the wrong number. No, you, you send back. You say, "Well, Rich, he's got a really small hitbox." <laughs> yeah, oh man you guys uh keep this up i'm gonna have to mark this as explicit on potomatic yeah. <laughs> hey well at least we're not playing that game mount your friends <laughs> i guess this is a great time to transition into talking about combat what do you think yeah. <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> but, but yeah um and to kind of segue and to talk a little bit about what i was referring to i think that was early on in the game and i was uh that was the first Colossi, and the way to gain purchase further up the Colossi was that you had to sort of stab him in the back of the leg mm-hmm. to get him to kneel over so that you could reach a, a different point. And it took me a while to figure that out with the first guy. Um, that was one of the, oddly, being the first one, it was one of the tougher puzzles for me to figure out in this game. Uh, but, uh, it, it, you know, it just, I guess, once you... It just kind of goes to show once you learn sort of the intro game mechanics and how the game works and that it is a puzzle game as well as a, you know, awesome, like, um, action-adventure game. Um, Once that kind of sinks in, your brain starts, you know, processing it and working toward trying to figure out these puzzles. And so that's sort of what, I guess, that that quote of mine was was leading toward. (laughs) I've I've said that to lots of people about this game, too. Uh, I don't know if I've told you guys this. My first experience with this game was on a PlayStation Underground demo disc. Um, For people who don't remember, PlayStation Underground was something you subscribed to, and they mailed you something... Uh, I don't think it was specifically a magazine, but it was like a, like a package you'd get like every couple of months or something. Um, and it had like demo discs and like, you know, patches and stuff you could iron on your shirts and whatever. It was like the play, old PlayStation fan club. It was kind of like the Club Nintendo of Sony. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, I don't remember there being a whole ton of online content, but I wasn't really active, you know, on, you know, on the internet at that point. So uh, there could have been, um, but yes, this PlayStation underground disc shows up and shadow of the Colossus is on it. And all it is, is that first fight. So you finish that fight and then it's like, okay, thank you for playing, you know, buy the game when it comes out. So I played that fight again and then I played that fight again and playing that fight like a dozen times before starting the game was really helpful for me in kind of really kind of pinpointing where the control was, how the climbing mechanic worked, how to manage your stamina. Once you got to like, you know, kind of like a, a quote unquote rest spot on a Colossi to, <laughs> you know, okay, release and see if, you know, he doesn't knock you over, like grab again to make sure you don't, you know, get thrown off and then, you know, rebuild your stamina. So it kind of gave you like all those uh, little skills and I tell lots of people who are having trouble with controls, I say fight that first dude like six times, mm-hmm. like just do it over and over again because once you really get that, uh, uh, you know that the, not even get the control down. Once you understand how the game wants you to play it, and you yeah. start playing the game that way, you start having more fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you have to really think outside the box with a lot of these, and often you have to kind of throw out your past experience with uh, the classes for the new ones uh, for the methods to beat them because i found that some of them i get to it and i'm like all right well uh, the other one was like this so i'm probably gonna have to do something similar in this one and it's like no it's a completely different fighting style and completely different method to take them down yeah. absolutely yeah, i think if you think of every boss fight as a bit of a puzzle mm-hmm. you know and and not so much of an like an action thing 
It's just like, how am I going to get to the glowing sigil on this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all about figuring that out. I mean, how am I going to climb this thing? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's where, that's where you're going for. And you start out, you know, you've got, you've got basically two weapons, you've got a sword and you've got a bow and that's it. And you have to, well, I, I guess you could consider the horse as a part of, um, your arsenal, your mm-hmm. arsenal, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was required for a few of them. Right. It was, it was. And, and one of the things I really liked about the game is that, that it used a variety of, you know, even though you only had like a bow, a sword, and you know, and the horse as as part of like Bill said, your arsenal. I, I like how the game just really kind of, even with the large number of colossi that were in the game, they really switched that up. You know, you just weren't trying to climb. You had to figure out, you know, kind of a piece of the puzzle and and use these, you know, limited resources to actually climb, you know, the colossi. Or right. or I would say the environment a lot of times was I, a yeah, piece abs- of this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the the, the mm-hmm. first one that we're that we're talking about here is definitely, you know, it, it, it it's kinda like your primer to the way the combat works. You 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 like you make a beeline straight for them. You mm-hmm. figure out how to get up. So you start to re- you you kind of realize at first, okay, the only way I'm gonna like at first, I kind of thought maybe I have to wait for him to swing his club down, and then maybe I can climb up that way. I tried it a few times. No, it wasn't working. And that's when you kind of figure out, okay, let me try climb up his fur. And then you see this the, the 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 things on his back, and you have to react to those things. You're like, oh, okay, so there's something there. I need mm-hmm. to go explore that possibility. And it kind of it's not just for that one guy. It kind of teaches you, you know, explore the different possibilities of how you can do this. Use your head and find a way to get get around it. Um, mm-hmm. So the first first uh, uh, you know Valis, uh, as you're you know so you figure out how to kill him and you're like, okay, great now I know how to play this game, and then you move on to number two and it's you know not quite uh, the same that there is no way to do that. Yeah. Uh, you have it's, it's and that's what in, introduced so very quickly just a f- number one number two, you can go straight for him. You have to use the environment. So already in the first two uh, uh, enemies in the game, you're kind of being shown this is what you're going to have to do for the other 14. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there isn't any one solution to all of nope. them besides uh, the uh, ending stabbing motion, but otherwise it's all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. One thing actually, what you said just made me think of this is that it seems a lot like the game is about exploring, and it's not just about exploring the environment, but it's also about exploring the Colossus, too. Mm-hmm. Like, every battle is uh, a journey, and you're trying to explore the arena and the uh, battleground, and just trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And it's not often very clear. Yeah, yeah, the path to success is never um, obvious, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you're going to have to do some trial and error. You're going to have to um, see what works, and... Um, you know, find out, like, build your strategy from that. Yeah, like, uh, on some of the ones that I had trouble with, a friend of mine who's played the game before, uh, he's like, uh, well, all you have to do is just hold down L1, and it shows you where the weak points are, or hold up your sword, I mean. And uh, I'm like, well, finding the weak points wasn't really the part that stumped me, it was finding how to get to the weak points. And right. that's often the real battle. Like, once you get to them, then you've pretty much won, unless it's one of the ones that will throw you off. Yeah, but right. otherwise, for the most part, uh, you can just struggle throughout figuring it out, and then you get them, and then right. you're done. So one thing that I had a little bit of confusion over is that I keep seeing everyone in the thread, and in other places too, mentioning a name for each of the Colossus, and I couldn't figure out where the names came from, because <laughs> like you guys say, uh, there's no, no information inside the game, and I've read through the manual, there's nothing there. I watched through the credits, there's nothing there. So 
does anyone have an explanation for where the names come from? Like you got Valus and Quadratus and Gaius, and I just didn't know These where they came from. These are unofficial names. Basically, like fans have fan uh, names? named the Colossi. Okay. Um, I'm sure Fumito Ueda um, has somewhat more official names for them. But just going down the list from 1 to 16, we have a Valus, Quadratus, Gaius, Phaedra, Avion, Barba, Hydrus, Kurumori, Basaran, Dirge, Pelagia, Phalanx, Cenobia, Argus, and Malus. Yeah. And those are all sort of... um Solosia there? Oh, Solosia too. Yeah. yeah, I missed that one. Um, and they're all sort of Greek names, which kind of tie into either their environment or... Their appearance, right? Th- their appearance or something like a, a theme oh, okay. that surrounds them. But overall, they're more, more or less fan names, just to kind of uh, designate uh, which ones people are talking about. Pretty much. That's why, yeah, like in the thread, we either call them like Number 3 or Gaius or, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was confused about that because I hadn't played the game before, so the whole time I was kind of watching it, I was like, well, there must be somewhere where these names came from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, let's let's talk about that moment when you're playing the game and you're you're searching. Of course, you're using the sword. The sword um, is something we haven't talked about. It performs two specific uses. It performs the, you know, it does damage, of course, uh, you know, with the stabbing, Uh, but then it also... Uh, provides the ability to track down the colossi as you hold it up uh, and you focus it um, and it points to where the the colossi are but the one thing that I wanted to talk about just for a second and and briefly is the um, um, one of the cooler parts of the game I thought was entering the area where that colossi is and waiting Mm -hmm. on that that kind of cut screen Mm -hmm. uh, that happens that is one of the coolest and most intense things especially Seeing it the first time, you know, with the with the Minotaur with Valus, uh, just that just that first initial kind of reaction to, okay, I'm here, you know. Yeah, but at the <laughs> same time, you're like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> you just see him kind of slowly walk by, and you're like, whoa. I mean, you just you kind of get you, you know you're going out to fight these giants, but then then it just kind of walks by you, and it's just it just kind of your mouth just goes agape. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first yeah. time it happens, it's amazing. Yeah. I just want to say that uh, I'm glad you mentioned the light mechanic of the sword. Because that, uh, we'll probably touch on that later. Um, but that is significant to to the story or, or the mythology of the game. Mm, sure. But anyway, um, so back to, uh, where are we, Valis? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, okay. Let's talk about uh, how the fights went specifically, um... Uh, so uh, for Valus, uh, the simplest one, as Bill mentioned earlier, you just have to basically run at him and figure out what to do, and pretty quickly you figure out it's the fur that you have to grab on, which is one of the few um, connecting features between uh, each of the colossi, except for a couple mm-hmm. of them, uh, where uh, you just have to hold on really tight and uh, slowly <laughs> climb up to where their weak yeah. point is, in this case yeah. on his head. Yeah, he basically serves as the tutorial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and for yeah. such and for such a simple fight, he he requires, uh, you know, fur, like the like the fur grab, stabbing, jumping and grabbing, and then kind of like the uh, hang on, uh, uh, you know, navigation while conserving stamina. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it kind of requires a couple 
of the uh, basic skills uh, required for most of the colossi, but but yeah, that that kind of grassy, mossy fur. Uh, that like most colossi are made up of two like areas, like an area you can grab onto, and like a hard shell, rocky area that is uh, 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 sheer and you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of learn uh, where you're able to go and where you're not. Uh, so for yeah, for Valus, um, so number one, he's fairly straightforward. Um, you make your way all the way up to the top. There's only one sigil, uh, and uh, you know he doesn't do too. He's not too aggressive with trying to throw you off. He will usually kind of like you know lean his head down. So, and it also kind of teaches you, whoa, <laughs> this, these guys aren't happy yeah. uh, that we're stabbing mm-hmm. uh, them in the head, and uh, you know you, they really do try to throw you off. So um, before you have your stamina built up. It's actually kind of nerve-wracking where, like, uh, you kind of think, okay, maybe I have to, you know, back off to his shoulders and maybe kind of calm down for a minute. Um, if you know uh, uh, exactly, you know, how quickly you can get up to that uh, sigil, you don't have to uh, recharge at all. You can do it on the first shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another important part is the sigil is on the head. I think that's a really important for being the first Colossi that you fight because... In a majority of these colossi, that's where your sigil is. That's where you're going to locate at least one, right? I mean, some of them have multiple sigils, but it kind of gives you kind of a good starting point where you can... You can say, okay, well, this is probably where at least one of the sigils is going to be. Yeah. yeah. And later on, when like you, when that sigil on the head is stabbed and disappeared, and he's not dead yet, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense too. Like the sigils help you, but a lot of times they're in fairly clear weak points on the bodies. Like the head is an obvious weak point, and yeah. uh, the heart for some of them, things like there, that. There were, yeah, we'll get to it, but there were two specifically that I'm thinking of that. Yeah, I you know for a while I was like, where is this? And I had to use the sword, and I was like, oh, that's where it is. Yeah, yeah. So the second yeah. battle was with um, Quadratus, which was the sort of, um, I think Taurus Major was the other name given to this. There were there are also these, you know, like you like you said, there was these sort of uh, Grecian names given to these um, uh, each of these colossi, but there were also sort of like surnames that people had put out there for them and this one was sort of um had characteristics of sort of a bull so taurus major um four-legged and the the way this fight kind of went was this is the fight where you had to use your bow really for the first time um Mm -hmm. and fire at the bottom of the feet which are sort of glowing to give you an indication okay something might be need to be done here um and it was very slow moving and um you know even the foot was over you for a long time before it came crashing down, so it gave you yeah. plenty of time to react. Mm-hmm. If this is the one I'm thinking of, because it has been a little while since I actually finished the game, um, uh, I think the way I was doing it was actually not waiting for him to try and crush me, but I was uh, watching for as he walked, and his foot lifted just enough where you could actually shoot under it. Mm-hmm. And it was a little more difficult uh, to hit, but it was a lot safer because then you're avoiding being crushed, and you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about being super fast about it. So I think that was uh, yeah. the one I, I'm thinking. I, that's the way I had done it. I, I think that was me too. Yeah, I, I didn't wait for the for the crush to happen. If you kind of hang out underneath him, um, the legs will come up now and then, or he kind of just like bucks up a little bit and just kind of like you know moves his uh, yeah. you know hooves or, or whatever you call it, and either it does leave you enough of a gap. And then uh, uh, I think he uh, ends up uh, 
kind of, you know, like getting knocked over on his side and then you have to grab onto him and that's how you're able to, uh, you know, gain access to the, uh, the upper areas because his, his legs are sheer, you know, for a good 15, 20 feet up. So there's no way. And for a while, I think the first thing I tried was jumping to the fur from the horse, uh, which I couldn't get to work. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I might have tried the same thing where I was trying to like grab onto the leg somewhere thinking maybe there's a ledge to hook onto, but just mm. wasn't working. Because that's one thing too, is uh, like I was saying about uh, each fight being quite different, where after the first one you think, uh, alright, well, it makes sense to try and aim for the legs and uh, cl- climb up the legs that way, and then suddenly you're like, there's nowhere to climb, so what do you <laughs> do now? <laughs> yeah. And then once you get on his back, I think he had, like, it wasn't a complicated thing, but it was kind of like like a maze of uh, armor that you kind of yeah. had to like, you know, just yes. navigate through just while you uh, made sure that your stamina was uh, uh, at a decent level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to perform sort of like a semicircle movement around his body from his front leg, you right. know, up, up around his body to, you know, that certain point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, sigils located, um, the head once again, um, you know, the place we're used to. And then they threw in a second, uh, which was at the sort of the lower back area as well, and which was, I think, was this one of the ones where uh, you couldn't hit both of them in random order? Like I know some of them, uh, they were all available to hit at first. And then other ones, like, I think this one, you had to hit them in a certain order. Is, uh, like, is that true? To, I, I think yeah, so. I don't know. One of the things I noticed in the game was if you had your bow out instead of your sword, then yeah the sigil would not appear. So I, I noticed a lot of times yeah. that if I had my bow on, I'd be like, where is the sigil at? And I, <laughs> yep. I kind of, and, and I yep. think maybe, maybe that might've tripped you maybe. up. Maybe because you used the bow first that you didn't pull out your sword until you got to the yeah. head. It's a, it's a lot like sting in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. That's possible. That might be what it is. I, I just uh, thought I remember that I might have tried to pull out the sword and I couldn't find yeah. it anyways, and it didn't yeah. seem to appear until after defeating the one on the head. But maybe it was just that I had the bow. Yeah, there were certain colossi where you could not, um, where there was a sigil or two that would not appear until a certain point. Um, mm-hmm. um, one of them I'm thinking of is the next to last that, that had the sigil inside the hand. Um, right. You had to yeah. actually get to that point first uh, before you could you could attack that sigil. So the third was Gaius, uh, the Earth Knight. This was a tricky one. This was one of the more challenging colossi, I thought, um, being sort of at the beginning as the third colossi. uh, A pretty tough battle, and uh, it really made you think outside the box. This was really the first puzzle colossi, right? Yeah, and he was my favorite to this point in the game. Yeah, I agree. I felt like I tried so many things <laughs> before I, I figured it out. And the thing is, I felt like I tried the solution and it didn't work. Um, and then, like, I tried some other things. Then I went, because, you know, you look around your environment and you're like, okay, there has to be a reason why there's a platform in this area. Yeah. So, you know, you try to lead him over to it. You try to, you know, and then he keeps swinging his, you know, he's swinging a small building at you. Uh, and you know, so it's like, okay, like there's gotta be, let me see if I can get him to hit that thing. And I swear I tried it once. I didn't think it worked. He probably didn't hit it. Um, but, uh, uh, it, this is one of the ones where there's several puzzles to solve. So it's not just like you, f- you figure the first thing out. Then there's the issue of, you know, getting up, crawling around, finding, you know, again, multiple sigils. Um, so this was, uh, 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 you know, after Rich got over his vertigo from climbing up, uh, <laughs> uh the spiral of doom to, uh, yes. to reach this point. Um, 
this was this was a great fight for me. This is actually the picture I have hanging in my uh, in like my game room is is a picture of this Colossus. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like the visuals, on, but this was also my first Colossus that frustrated me to the point of like throwing the controller on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the first two you could just go straight for the Colossus. This is the first right. one you really need to use the environment. Yeah. And uh, there was no way to, uh, else to do it, really. And yeah. I hadn't quite realized that with the game, that it involved the environment so fluidly. And before that, uh, I was just assuming that they were all going to be similar to the first two, where you just can kind of run at them and then figure it out. Mm. And so I wasn't really looking at the environment when I was finding this one for the first few uh, deaths. And uh, it uh, ended up getting to the point where I had to look up a walkthrough. And because I actually felt like I had the solution, but it turns out yeah. where I kind of did something that wasn't uh, that worked, but it wasn't what you were supposed to do. Um, right. Because, <laughs> because what I first did was I uh, got him to hit down the sword thing, I climbed up the sword, and then when he pulls it back, he kind of has like a whiplash effect where it launches you into the air, and the very yes. first time that happened to me, I actually grabbed onto the fur above the bracer on his arm. <laughs> I was like, so all right. So you did the so speedrun method. Yeah, I <laughs> did. Great, and, yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to, and I was like, okay, well, this must be the way to do it. It's hard, but uh, like it felt like that was the way to do it because it got me up towards where I was supposed to be. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. I, at that point, I was like, all right, there's nothing else to do. This is just what yeah. you have to do. I actually thought cool. I was. I thought I was supposed to. Besides, like trying to use that little, you know, uh, uh, kind of platform for him to slam his building into that, you know, destroys his bracer that allows you to to climb up. I tried to get him to fall off the platform oh. down to the water below. That's something I, didn't I was. Try. I was sure that was what I had to do. I said, <laughs> okay, he's too tall. But if I can get him to fall off that thing, his head will be at my level, and then I can jump onto it. Um, and of course, that's not a thing that you can do. You're yeah. overthinking it, Bill. I was. <laughs> but even like Jamie said, like him being like pulled back up and whiplashed and, and being able to grab on, you know, during that instant says a lot about the game. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool that, you know, that you can kind of manipulate it in that way and try something else and that the, you know, the game still allows that, you know, without you having to get past the, the, the part with shattering the bracer. Yeah, there's never um, one set... Uh, defined way of going about things. Mm-hmm. The problem with that being that uh, once I did that once and then I f- proceeded to fall off because I just made a mistake uh, after being up there, I was like, okay, well, this is the way to do it. And then I kept trying and I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it a second time. Yeah. And so I got so frustrated because I thought I was doing it the right way and it wasn't working. And so that's the point where I had to look up a walkthrough and it's like, oh, that's so simple. Why didn't I think about that? And this was the first Colossi too, where it forced you... I mean, I, I assume that everyone, you know, knowing that this a sigil's definitely in the head, you know, this was one of the first Colossi where you take the first sigil out and you're like, oh my gosh, where's the next one at? Yeah. And you figure out that you have to uh, you have to descend down this Colossi. So not only, you know, are you, you know, typically you're just, you know, you're going um, vertically. This is the first one really where you have to descend down his body and, and you know, maintain control and stamina. Um, to to get to this new location, and and he's not an easy one to descend because his shoulders have a wider, uh, uh, you know, they have a wider berth than his waist does. He's got like an hourglass type body, yeah. so you can't just let go of the fur in his back and then re-grab because you're not there anymore. So you either had to crawl down manually, or you had to kind of go down his shoulder and you know really time that jump 
to where you would land on that platform, kind of just above where his waist was. But uh, yeah, I actually had forgotten about the second point. And when I so when I'm playing on this playthrough, and I was like, oh, I have more work to do. Mm-hmm. So the fourth colossi, we'll go ahead and move on, um, was Phaedra, um, which was sort of um, the other name given to Phaedra was Equus Prime, which uh, Equus is, uh, you know, uh, horse, horse, absolutely. Yeah, this is a really tall horse one. <laughs> this was a, a bit of an aggravation. This was the one that um, had the bunkers with the mm-hmm. tunnels underneath them. Yeah, and I didn't love this one. No. Really, he was one of my favorites. Really? Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed. Yeah, he this was film. he was more of a giraffe looking dude to me, but I think Equus uh, uh, makes some uh, makes sense as well. Um, so since you liked him, why don't you go through uh, kind of uh, uh, why he's your jam? Okay, why why Equus is my jam? Um, apparently, I had taken a really different approach to battling him than everybody. Um, there's that sort of platform type thing hanging off his backside which you mm-hmm. can jump off uh, the horse and reach but I wasn't able to do that so I thought okay I can lure this guy over to the bunkers and then I'll run in the bunker come out another side and while he's still distracted trying to find me I was able to jump off the uh once I came out, I jump off the top of the bunker onto his uh, like tassel mm-hmm. type things. Huh. Yeah, huh. almost like a fire escape hanging off his back. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. do that fire escape thing. I, I, I did a totally different. Oh, you approach. mean the tassel like hanging off his head? Yeah, yeah off his, off his, the sides oh, of his face. That. Yeah. Okay, those. Yeah, because he had like these little dreadlocks with like stone tassels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Off his head. Yeah. <laughs> He's a Bob Marley of the Colossi. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, I I did the same thing as the first as uh, the first part of you. I I've never done that jump off the horse onto that you know a uh, 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 fire escape on his back. Um, but uh, I did the same thing. I lured him into a tunnel, and then I went out another tunnel. And while his head is in there, I didn't jump on the tassel. I did jump onto the fire escape. Um, but yeah. uh, I think it took me so long to get him distracted the way I wanted him to be um, mm-hmm. that I was just uh, just frustrated by the time I finally got him uh, to do what I wanted to. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a uh, it's it is a very uh, environment uh, driven uh, puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot I, I think a lot of people ended up just saying, oh well, if I can just you know jump from the horse, I can get to that too. Yeah, yeah I think um, this was one of the. This was one of the horse optional battles. Right. And I totally didn't use aggro at all. I didn't mm-hmm. either on this one. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was one where uh, I, I went, uh, like when Bill, I went for the uh, back fire escape method. And um, uh, I just uh, I had so many times where uh, he saw me and he pulled away from where he was distracted that mm-hmm. I, I figured if you go anywhere near the front half of him, he's going to see you and it's not going to work. So I just assumed that you had to go from behind somehow and... Um, yeah, I felt like this was one of the ones where they weren't very responsive, and he was a bit slow. Uh, so, I mean, they're all slow uh, in a way, but uh, yeah. this one felt like uh, no matter what you did, he would uh, go somewhere you didn't want him to go, basically. And it, it just felt like uh, the tunnels weren't really working for me. Mm-hmm. I think uh, part of the problem being that you had to actually go most of the time to the opposite tunnel, and you also had to kind of really make sure he was lured right to the one that you first entered 
because yeah. there were sometimes where I went too quickly into the tunnels, and uh, then he didn't yeah. actually notice where I went in. What helped me a lot on the sec on this most recent playthrough, because I've played it multiple times. So on this most recent uh, community playthrough, since I knew exactly what I wanted him to do, and I just wanted him to do it faster. Um, whenever I'm trying to lure one of the Colossus to a place where I want him to go, I never just let him see me or whistle or anything. I shoot him with seven arrows, and then once they're walking towards me, then I, I take my route. Um, so I don't know how often you guys would use the arrows to kind of get them to come to you. I did later, but uh, on this yeah. one, I think I hadn't quite figured that out yet. Yeah, yeah. it's it, if you if you decide to play through it again, um, using the arrows to you know just as like a, uh, a kind of like a nudge. Um, it's it makes the a lot of the fights a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah, I used arrows quite a lot, even from the beginning, even with uh, Valus. That's how I got his attention. So. And I love how they all stay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, that's you bury awesome. forty arrows in the fur, and then like you know, by the end of the fight, they're just falling out. <laughs> I was totally hoping for like a, uh, a Lord of the Rings Legolas slamming the elephant kind of scene. Yeah, <laughs> with the Colossus. <laughs> I was totally hoping for that, but they didn't have that in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the fifth. Um, Colossi was Avion, the uh, Delta Phoenix. This was the the flying Colossus. The first time mm. that uh, that you actually get to battle one of the flying Colossi. This was the one over the water, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you oh, had to get their attention with the bow, and then you had to jump up and grab the wing as they swoop down to attack you, which yeah. was just really cool. Yeah, that was <laughs> such an adrenaline rush. <laughs> oh, of all the, of all the moments in the game cuz there's a lot of great moments in the game, but this is the first moment where you kind of realize what the like the realm of the possible cuz every one of these they're, they're kind of showing you more of like what can happen. And then in the later fights they're combining several of these, you know, different uh, different things. So, you know, the fir- like you know, you get to the area, you see that cutscene, he's flying around and you're like how am I going to get up there? And you really, there's really nothing you can do. It's just sheer walls everywhere. You're in the water. You kind of get on this platform and, you know, you just have to eventually kind of fire an arrow at him and he kind of like, you know, reacts and he starts flying towards you and then he swoops down. And if you don't jump and grab on, he'll just knock you off into the water. And that that happens a few times and you're kind of like, can I grab onto him? <laughs> and the first time that you, you know, you time that jump and you grab onto him and all of a sudden you're just flying in the air. That's such a, a cool feeling. And one of the great moments, uh, uh, there's later flying moments in the game, but it's the first time where you kind of realize this is what's possible mm-hmm. and this is yeah. what I'm going to have to do. And, uh, uh, it's a great moment when you get up in the air. I love the, the rushing too, of like the wind going past and everything. It just yeah. adds mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Yeah, and knowing that you're going to have to walk out on the edge of those wings, wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Just just really cool, but again, you know, with my uh, my sort of fear of heights, you know, that was, yeah. you know, just kind of like <laughs> tiptoeing out there, uh, but just, just, just really neat. Yeah, I was really surprised with this one, how stable he felt, though. Like, you were uh, flying in the air, and he's flapping his wings and stuff, but you could walk around without holding on for quite a long time at certain points. Right. If, if he wasn't violently flapping, or if he wasn't, you know, kind of middle of one of those, like, a banking turns, mm-hmm. um, you were pretty good just walking. I mean, even even though you were good, you still kind of felt like at any time you had to be ready to grab oh, yeah, on. I had my hand hovering over the grab button the whole time. <laughs> right, but, yeah. So, But, like, so you, but, yeah, you, there's, a, I believe, a sigil on each wing, and then one way back on the tail. Uh, which is uh, yeah. kind of like you know it extends a little bit back further, uh, a little bit further than I thought it might. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this 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 was a fantastic fight. I mean, once and and similar to the first one or two fights, it's one of those fights where once you realize how to mount uh, uh, the Colossus, 
you've pretty much won the fight. You just have to, you know, maintain enough stamina mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to be able to do that because. On a lot of guys, if you fall, you can incur damage. Uh, on this fight, you're most likely hitting water if you fall, so you're, there's probably not a ton of risk of dying unless when you jump up uh, to mount him, if you miss the grab and he just slams into you, that does take health away. Yeah. Uh, one thing, actually, that I just remembered is uh, the fact that when you're trying to recover your stamina, normally if you're on the ground or anywhere on a platform and you crouch, it'll recover way faster. And I was just wondering, uh, did you guys actually take advantage of that very often? Like in oh, all the, the time. Colossus fights? I mean, uh, like if you could find a spot without fur to actually sit down without grabbing? I actually didn't all that much. I, I oh. normally would just stay standing. Um, I, I Yeah, no, no real reason. Just uh, I think I was just wanted to, I was just so aggressive with like wanting to keep the fight going. I didn't want to feel like I was taking more of a break but uh it probably would be uh, the smarter thing to do would be to recover quicker with the crouch mechanic yeah and but of course if there was no solid platform of um armor to sit on it didn't really work because you just grab onto the fur and waste more of your stamina Mm. Mm -hmm. so the the sixth colossus um was called barba um or as uh, the other translation was the goliath this was the um the bearded giant um, it's awesome. I called so, him Beardo. Beardo. Uh, called him Beardo. Really reminded me of a, a dwarf. Like, uh, with yeah, beard. I really, I really feel like he was just looking for a beer. <laughs> looking under the ledge for his lost beer. Yeah. Right ale. <laughs> Little did he know. This, and this, and this one, I think, if no, because this is the second one that separated you from your horse because. Gaius, um, you had to climb up without your horse. Um, so uh, I believe this was, if I'm not mistaken, you had to climb down into this area. And once you got low enough, then he mm-hmm. uh, was revealed. And um, I remember being pretty scared because uh, I, you know, I really I wanted to get away from him. And like you're you're trying to jump and scale over these walls mm-hmm. as he's kind of like walking behind you and he's crashing through them, but you're not looking at him mm-hmm. uh so and i think i died uh, at least once uh, the first time uh when i you know thought i could just run up to him but uh yeah you eventually have to you know make your way to the very back wall and uh you know like as his name implies he's got a, a big bushy beard <laughs> uh and uh that's that is your uh key to success mm-hmm. yeah i think with uh, a lot of the bipedal colossi you or at least i instinctively wanted to just go like mano a mano and just you know take him on that way but with uh with barba you had to run away from him and i was actually doing this uh this battle while a friend was over who had uh also beaten the game and so i come down into the temple and barba comes out of uh out of the passageway and he's saying run run Yeah, it, it it was the first uh, first moment in the game where I I felt scared, like I felt tension. Mm. I think uh, when I was doing it, uh, I like Bill. I think I tried to rush at him first too a little bit, and uh, then I quickly realized nothing was working, and so I had to run. But I think just the fact that I wasted time. He was really close behind me when I was running, and I don't think I died, but it definitely uh, did some damage when he was crashing through the walls mm-hmm. and that definitely racked up the tension quite yeah. high and i think he's he's fairly straightforward you know once you kind of are able to scale him i believe there's a is there was there a second sigil he did him? have a second sigil yet 
Yeah. Sort of little, like lower back right. area. He got that when he was in college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't talk about that night anymore. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of the, the first colossi that I felt, you, you know, it, he, di- he didn't come out, you know, really aggressive. Um, but, you know, except for crashing through the walls, but it seemed like <laughs> he was kind of aggressive, not really, but kind of. <laughs> it seemed more with this that he was sort of curious about what you were. I mean, when he like leaned down, when he when he would lean yeah. down and he would like look at you with his face. I mean, it's yeah, it's sort of terrifying at the same time. But there's yeah. a there's there's a, like a hint of curiosity that you know mm-hmm. that, that makes you a little more Kool-Aid. sympathetic. Mm-hmm. What is this little thing in my temple? <laughs> yeah. right. I, I, I do feel like if something was on a beard, like, because a lot of times when you're on the back of the Colossus and they're, they're kind of like, oh, they're swinging, they can't get to you. I kind of feel like if you're hanging off his beard, he'd be able to swat you away with his hands. Yeah, um, I'm surprised and, I didn't do and that. that. And that's just, you know, one of those uh, things that, uh, you know, again, like, I, I try not to pull, pick apart, like, every little thing. It's just something that kind of stood out to me, so I thought I'd mention it. Yeah. I think, yeah, like in, in hindsight, once you've been away from the game for a while, you kind of say, yeah, he, he could have just swatted yeah. me off his beard. The one, one issue I had uh, that may have uh, stopped that is uh, the first time I grabbed onto him, I basically got lost in his beard. <laughs> 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 like, I, I climbed into it, and I went pretty much inside of it, and I, I just got disoriented. I couldn't figure out where I was and which way it was it's up. It's so and warm and fuzzy in here. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a bad country song. <laughs> Lost in your beard. <laughs> ZZ Top? <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually just gave up. I let go and, and tried it again because I couldn't figure out how to get around the beard. <laughs> a funny ZZ Top fa- uh, fact. The only guy without a beard is Frank Beard. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> They could have given him, you know what they could have done to get to get around the couldn't reach his, you know, swat you off his beard uh, uh, a problem. They could have given him Tyrannosaurus arms. <laughs> they could have. And then he could have, like, <laughs> feebly swatted at you in vain. That would have been funny to see. All screeching. <laughs> so the, the seventh colossus uh, that you battle is called Hydrus. This was the water colossi. Um, also had the name of Leviathan. This was the only water colossi, which I was kind of surprised I don't know if anybody else felt that way. Yeah, I mean, a little, a little bit. Um, th- this one was one that I absolutely hated dealing with the first couple times I played the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this most recent time, knowing how to defeat him, it's it's you know it's not as uh, tricky. And that's and that's and that's not because I had beaten it before. Because there are fights that were long fights that I enjoyed the process of figuring out how to you know. The, the first time you go through some of these boss battles, it's like could be like a 25, 35 minute thing. Yep. And then like after you know how to do it, it's like, okay, well, it's five minutes or whatever. Um, but this is one that I did not enjoy the process <laughs> <laughs> uh, of figuring this guy out. So um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's, it's, it's an interesting idea. Um, I just don't know if I, you know, I just didn't enjoy the process and the, the puzzle, you know, it's like disliking a puzzle room in a game, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what was the method to, uh, to latch on to him was it you kind of had to tread water and then when his more or less tail right. came up you kind of grabbed on before he submerged again that's or something. How I did it. yeah right yeah. yeah so so you kind of you know same thing and, and i guess the other reason i didn't like it is because i like using arrows to get attention and you couldn't fire arrows underwater mm. um while you were in the water so you kind of get his attention and by using uh whatever button l1 uh that uh you know locks your view uh on the colossus um he comes up at you and you have to, you know, kind of move beyond 
or at least what I did, I moved beyond like kind of like the the path of his head coming in at me. So I wanted to avoid that electricity that are coming on like uh, coming on his back. But once you made sure you avoided the electricity, you had to kind of follow him so that you could grab the tail, uh, you know, kind of uh, once it surfaced. And then, you know, once you were above water, you kind of regained your uh, uh, air, which was also represented by the stamina meter. Mm-hmm. And as you, you know, kind of ran, you know, further up to, uh, you know, uh, the sigils that lined his back until you got to his head. Um, the other thing I didn't like about this is it didn't seem possible. It probably is, but it didn't seem possible to do it in one shot. To like, you know, like get yeah. one of them, get the next one, get the next one. Like I felt like no matter what happened, I had to like start the process over again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I ended up taking him down. Yeah, because you could take part of it out and then you would have to, at some point he would just dive and you would run out of right. air. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But I did like the process of like moving when you would surface. I love that. I thought yes. that was yeah. awesome. I love like moving yes. a little bit when you surfaced and then when the water would rise again, you just grab on again and go under and then come back up. I, I did really like the process of the fight. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. If you could just do that all in one, you know, motion or in, in one try and not have to, um, you know, latch onto him again, it would. I think it would have been a much better fight. Yeah, but at the same time, there's some other ones that, uh, especially later on, uh, they throw you off so much that you can't do them in one fight either, or in mm-hmm. one. Ab- absolutely right, and you know why I'm cool with that is because the process of getting back on the Colossus again to me in those later fights is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just mm-hmm. getting his attention and waiting for him to walk by me, and you know, going around the thing and grabbing his t- like. I, 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 it's hard for me to explain. Like, I don't know if I can pick it apart in a way that makes sense to me, even now that I'm saying it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I know exactly what you're saying because lately you're right later in the game, some of my favorite fights you can't do in one shot, mm. but jumping from your horse onto a thing, getting up in the air, running, like there's, there's things about that process on those later fights that are so much fun for me. I guess just like, you know, treading water, like, okay, Marco. Yeah. Where yeah, are you? Yeah. Come, it was come, really come back over to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised we totally skipped over his environment because he he had a really cool um, like a pathway setting. getting to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you sort of enter that area, you come out on the bridge, and yeah. uh, you had to dive into the water. But when you're on that bridge, you can see him just swimming in the water there, just doing his own thing, mm. um, which really made me feel like I don't want to you know battle this thing <laughs> i think after reading your comment about that i was actually looking for him coming up to him and i couldn't really see the spot that you're talking about where you could see him from a distance i don't know if maybe i was looking in the wrong spot yeah i don't remember being able to actually see him swimming around until you got up close no you you could uh, there there was a few spots on the the tower the, near the top of the bridge where you could actually, mm-hmm. you know, see the sort of the sparkling the electricity in the water yeah. and, and whatnot. Yeah, you couldn't see him clearly, cool. but you could see like the electric shocks or whatever. Right, right. it was sort of a flash. Also, not yep. from remembering it, but maybe it just didn't stand out to me. So, did you spiral down that uh, tower? Or? Jump. I jumped. I jumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was. Um, yeah. I mean, you knew you were going to take any damage, so. Um, you know, jumping was easy, you know, just, just a quick, you know, no brainer there. And Mm -hmm, then, and then another thing I noticed that kind of bothered me a little bit about the game, when you would run out of stamina or air as you would go underwater, because the stamina meter would act as, um, your air meter, yeah, as sort of an air meter as well. Um, one of the things I noticed was that you didn't take damage when you ran out of air, you know, you, you assume you might take some damage as you go into the top, but you didn't. 
easier when you're already dealing with a fairly difficult Colossus to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I think now we're just being nitpicky. Yeah, a I guess bit, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for realism in a very unrealistic <laughs> game, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say about the uh, trying to take him out in one shot thing that uh, I think the most I felt I could manage was uh, taking out two of the spikes at once. Um, because if if you hit uh, one and then you run as fast as you can without having to stop in between that and the next one, you can sort of manage two. But yeah, you definitely can't get all of them in one go. Yeah, um, I think he took Because like, uh, Rich said, once he goes down under, then it's uh, with that big dive, then you really can't follow him at that point. <laughs> yep, yep. And it doesn't matter how big your stamina meter is because you can't move mm-hmm. once you're underwater. So yeah. All right. So move on to the fourth colossi, which was uh, Kura Mori. I guess I'm pronouncing that correct. Um, um, the other translation that I found online was a uh, wall shadow, which I think is appropriate for this uh, colossi. Mm-hmm. This was a sort of a lizard-like colossi where and you had to use that, uh, almost like Colosseum type yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. It's it, it's like a tall. Coliseum, like a Coke can <laughs> kind of, uh, uh, you know, like the internal, you know, spiral uh, uh, structure. And uh, yeah, th- this was a really interesting one. A little bit frustrating until you kind of figure out what's going on, especially since he's throwing projectiles at you, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe is the first one who does this. So you kind of now, instead of just kind of taking your time and being leisurely about it, you now have to be extremely defensive because mm-hmm. you could get, you know, exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was really reminded of like a snake pit with this one. It felt like the kind of place they might throw uh, prisoners or their captured enemies into, and then uh, yeah. fight off. Or ba- or Batman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he he's also one Colossus that doesn't notice you right when you come in. Yep. So you have to uh, you have to whistle or you have to shoot him mm-hmm. with an arrow. Yep. Yeah. Once it does notice you, it's uh, definitely one of the Game more impressive on. ones. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think it helps out if you can uh, get him to notice you and then drop to another level or climb. It's you could do either drop or climb to another level. I think it's easier to drop to another level because you're going to have to jump down on him anyway once you knock him off. Yeah. Um, so what I think what I did was like I got him to see me, and once like the projectiles came at me, I knew he knew I was over there. So then I would you know uh, go around. Uh, you know, to uh, the another level, a little bit lower, and I, you could either do one of two things. Um, you could shoot his feet out, like either like like both top feet to kind of get him to tumble down. And I think if you had uh, sight to his uh, like underbelly, like the stomach, you could shoot him there to get him to pop down as well. Oh, if you I could get him, that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, if you can get him positioned like in front of you where he's, uh, so that's that's another thing you could do is if you get his attention and then he comes over to like you know whatever kind of like a hole you were kind of sticking your head out of but you drop down one level and stay in that same area if there is a hole in this uh, concrete there you just one shot on his belly drops him straight down oh wow that would be a lot easier so it's 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 tri- it's tricky to to uh to get it lined up because there's not always an open spot under each uh you know, because it's it's not like a pre-made like you know kind of like wall uh, or sorry um like windows it's almost like you have there's like kind of randomly placed like kind of cracks and breaks in the wall right. and like yeah. cages. So it's, you, you either have to know exactly where they are or just get lucky with it. But I think more often than not, I just shot the legs out. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would say this was one of the more annoying fights for me. It's, it's really tedious to hit those legs, to, to be on the move all the time, to escape the, uh, the sort of the, the fire or the acid breath yeah. that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you got him down on the ground on his back, you really only had one or two stabs at the sigil. 
And yep. so you had to rinse and repeat quite a few times. Did you guys, once you knocked him down, did you run down or did you jump down? Should I jumped down. Yeah. Okay, good. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I jumped down too, but after I got his attention, I'd run down to sort of like the third or fourth floor so that when I did jump, it wouldn't be such a... You know, such right. a painful blow. Well, I think when I was doing it, I didn't uh, even go that high to uh, knock him off. I think I only was knocking him off from the second floor. Like, I don't think he had to go quite up to the third or fourth. Yeah. I didn't want to take the stairs that much, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've never tested this myself. Um, it's just something that I've read, is that the higher you knock him down from, the longer he stays down. Oh, really? Hmm. That might be um, makes sense. I've never I've never actually tested that, um, but it makes sense given yeah. that they you know the higher the player falls down from, the longer they're stunned for. Yeah. But if you knock them down from higher, you either need to be a good deal lower so that you're closer to them, or position that jump very precisely so that you can land on him and not mm-hmm. take uh, as much damage. Mm-hmm. One thing that felt both the damage a bit too is if you tried to uh, line yourself up with any outcroppings part way down or just pieces of rubble you could kind of like interrupt your fall a bit and then it resets the amount of height that you're falling from for each drop so you don't take quite as much damage that way i know that that helped me out for a couple of spots because if you just went straight down from top to the ground you're going to be stunned forever and then he'll get up before you can even move so um moving on to the ninth colossi um that we had to battle was uh, Basarian, or as the other name was um, Storm Echo. This was the turtle, basically, the turtle colossi, where you had to use the geysers to lift him up. Um, and then you had to, once lifted, you had to use the bow on the feet uh, to turn the uh, sort of the turtle over onto its back. I think this was probably my favorite out of all of them. Really? Yeah. This was the most frustrating one for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really? I would say well, top two worst for me. But no, really? I'm interested. Please, Jamie. I think for me it just was the first, like they all felt epic, but I think this is the first one where it just really felt like a massive scale because you're in such a big field and you need to use the horse to move around and uh, the way he comes in and just everything about him uh, made it feel much more epic than the previous ones I thought. And even though he's somewhat slow, once um, you get out there uh, he seems to kind of pick up speed a bit and uh, it doesn't take him very long to go across this massive field even though you're trying to run full speed away from him. And I think, if I remember right, uh, it had a bit of a storm thing going on, too, in the environment at the time. Mm. Uh, like, uh, the winds were picking up, and I don't remember for sure if there was lightning and stuff, too, uh, but it definitely it felt like a bit more of a darker environment there. So how how did you guys get um, Basaran to hover over a geyser? Uh, I would just... Arrow, yeah, I guess that, that worked. Like, But once once I had his attention, I just keep driving aggro in a circle around that uh, geyser until Basran would be right over that spot yeah. geyser came up. It was really tricky, like the the depth perception. You would always think, okay, well, he's over the geyser now, and, and it wouldn't even be, for me, I know a lot of times it wouldn't be close. I mean, luckily... I he had to be, like, perfectly above it. Yeah, well, almost. I mean, I, I, there were some times where it was a little askew um, over the geyser, and it still worked for me. Uh, yeah, I think but, the hitbox uh, was pretty forgiving on this one. Yeah, but it was still really aggravating. Plus, you got a turtle shooting freaking laser beams at you. So, I mean, (laughs) it doesn't help matters. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I wasn't anti this fight. I just, uh, you know, and and again, it has a lot of the things that I like about a lot of these fights. It's, you know, it's based on the environment. You have to, you know, stay mobile. Um, Being on horseback helps with the projectiles, but you could, you know, you could do pretty well on your feet as well. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something about it didn't it's it didn't really resonate with me. Um, it just seems uh, uh, it just seemed like kind of uh, 
I don't know, like, I don't want to say stock, because that just sounds, like, so, like, generic, but, uh, you know, it, 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 there wasn't anything in it that when I was done with it, I was kind of left with the same feeling as I was after some of the other guys, like, whoa, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty intense. I agree. I think one of the, the points was, once you, once you learned how to mount the Colossi, it became a very average and easy fight. Um, the, the tough part was getting him to flip over, and then traversing him quick enough so that when he flipped over you would be in a spot that was um where you could gain further purchase or access right you had to do it really quick I, this one I, I i used a lot of the um the kind of the jumps you know you'd grab and let your meter fill up and you would jump forward uh, i use that a lot for this fight just because you had to be so quick and if you had the horse uh, jumping off of him it gave you a bit of a head start too i like just getting that extra height off of the horse jump mm. Now, okay. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and just say that I think the next one is probably the least favorite of most people. Yeah. Um, for me, not necessarily anything to do with like difficulty or anything. I just found him kind of mediocre and boring, basically. Yeah. And, and before we go any further, this was, this was Dirge, the Sand Tiger, which we've already mentioned a little bit before. Yep. Oh, sorry, I skipped a uh, number there. Yeah, okay, I'm thinking of number 11. Um, okay, Dirge, no, this is oh. <laughs> Yeah, least favorite still. Um, yeah, definitely one of the ones I didn't like that much, but uh, no, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm thinking of... <laughs> I was saying the same thing, like uh, 11 is my personal least favorite, uh, okay. which we haven't talked about yet. Um, Dirge, I really, really, really liked the latest time I played it. I think the first uh, few times was when the kind of uh, the camera problem the, and the control problem mm-hmm. that hadn't really made itself apparent for a long time since you kind of got used to it. It kind of for the first time you had to, you know, be be doing things while you were on horseback with the camera that you hadn't done yet. So maybe it was an experience thing. The first few times I played through, I didn't enjoy this fight at all. Just this very last playthrough, though. I really enjoyed this fight, but I just kind of have a feeling that this is a frustrating fight for a lot of people because of the way that you have to manipulate the camera to uh, to uh, get. Uh, uh, in, in a nutshell, you have to get this, uh, like you know, it's kind of like it's the sandworm from Beetlejuice. Um, so he's chasing you, and he's mostly under the sand, and it's this kind of like you know this big uh, kind of underground environment with like stalactites and stalagmites and like you know big rock walls, mm-hmm. and as he gets close enough to you. His head kind of comes out of the ground, and he's got these like you know cra- crazy eyes. Oh, like he yeah. is insane, and you have to fire an arrow into these while on horseback. So um, if anything you know pops up in front of you, or you know you your your horse steering while looking backwards is not great, it's a frustrating fight. But uh, uh, once you kind of you know get to the point where you can really manipulate the camera and the bow and arrow the way that you want to. I think it's a great, great fight, but I think a lot of people have difficulty with it the first time they play it. Yeah, I think a lot of first, uh, first-time players are going to have trouble with them. But I, uh, you're you're talking about um, steering aggro while you're trying to aim uh, aim the bow. I right. I let aggro just do his own thing, and nine times out of ten, it was okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was the most exhilarating and terrifying battle yet. Just, just you know trying to run away from this guy and seeing those those eyes <laughs> yep. they yep. will haunt me <laughs> i i like the the style of him like the visuals and stuff and the eyes definitely that was pretty awesome but um also what i was saying earlier like i said that was definitely more for number 11 um because i didn't realize which one we we're talking about here but uh for this one i didn't like him because i was so stumped on what to do 
and I actually <laughs> had to uh, look up a walkthrough for this one because I didn't realize that you could fire backwards off of the horse. Like that, uh, if I'd known that, I would have probably figured it out on my own. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit that I had to look at a walkthrough as well. Yeah, but only because I was like crippled with fear from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys use your game genies? <laughs> Need to get one of those. My my favorite thing about this fight was when you would actually hit him in the eye, and then you would you just you could just watch him like kind of crash into one of the walls and just get knocked out and stunned. I thought that was yeah one oh, of the neater things. It <laughs> yeah. felt it felt like a Zelda battle in that way to me. It like, was really uh, Zelda esque, wasn't it? Yeah, like oh shoot the glowy bit, and then oh mirror 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 wall, yeah. <laughs> like. There's so many Zelda battles that are like that. And it's not a bad thing. It was just like the only battle that kind of stood out as like yeah. being different in that way. Mm. I, I think I uh, thought that there was something to do with making him crash into things. And mm-hmm. that's part of what stumped me because I didn't realize that I had to do something with the eyes first. You didn't know uh, how to make him yeah. crash into I didn't know how to make something. him crash. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to like put myself in, uh, in front of the rock and then like as he got close run out of the way and have him crash into it and yeah. that wasn't working yeah i think it, i think i tried that yeah, yeah and then i was just kind of like standing there on the rocks watching him going around for must have been a good half an hour trying to figure out what to do <laughs> i just couldn't get it it wasn't it yeah, and you know we haven't mentioned at all yet and we've all been stumped on you know most of these guys the first time through um the game does give you hints it in does. the form, yeah. in the form of uh, you know the 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 presence, uh, uh, Dormin or Dormir, whatever you say. That's a good point. Uh, uh, as uh, uh, and it's, I think it's cool that that's who they have guiding you, mm-hmm. given the story and the way things end up turning out. Like he's he's the kind of the one nudging you, like, hey, hey, buddy, and but at the same time, they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. You'll, you'll you'll get a hint, and it's like, oh, uh, you have to do this. And you're like, well, of course I have to do that. <laughs> you're not helping. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I was just like, uh, shut up. Let me figure it out myself. <laughs> yeah. Can you stop? Yeah, stop saying it. You've said it 13 times. Like, go on to hint two. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about hints, uh, the music. You know, if, if you were doing the right thing, the music changed. It, it, like, it, it picked it. up. It, like, it crescendoed into something Love more it. intense. Yeah. Great topic to and, bring up, and also the, uh, the when the music changes when you kind of get to the area and it's like, Da-da. and like you're looking around like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> and then like you know so and I, I forget what the name is, but if you get the soundtrack, I, I think the name of the song is "A Way Opened." When it just starts like get like picking up and like da 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 da, and you're like, yes, yeah. I am the best. <laughs> yeah, that's how you feel. Yeah. Oh, it is so great when that music changes when you find something. Mm-hmm. So, Celosia. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've already developed some pre-hate by going out yep. of order for this one. So, <laughs> yeah. Oops. We'll talk about Celosia or the uh, the Flame Guardian. This was the first very small colossi, one of the yeah. smaller ones, which was cool. Yeah. So and and I don't think he was my least favorite because of his size. Um, I really feel like more than any other fight, I felt like I was doing the thing that I had to do to beat him like a hundred times before it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, you know, you try to get back to that very back area where you can kind of jump behind that fallen column, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna try to jump in this thing and jump up and jump up and jump up and I'm gonna get on him, and then it's like, no, like stop doing that. So okay, I'm gonna stop doing that. There's some fire over there. I'm going to go get that fire. And you can jump up on that thing and, you know, get, uh, you know, knock the uh, the fire over by either just like, you know, knocking it down yourself. Or I think you can have uh, uh, Solosia, uh crash into it. But I, I really feel like I was like, nope, it's too high. I can't jump on it. 
And this is one of the first ones, or I think this was the first one that I looked up when I originally played it, how to beat him. And then when they were like, oh yeah, just like, just do this. And then I went and it worked and I was like, <laughs> okay, I literally tried that like 35 times and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Then you knock him down and he falls and you're like, okay, great. The armor's off. And then you're like, oh, the fight's not over. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, when I was battling him, when I knocked him off, he did not come back up and I was expecting him to. But you can have to go down and lure him to come back up into that battle arena area. And that's tedious because he is very fast. Both of the small ones are really fast, and yep. they they will they will stun you for quite a long time if they ram into you. Mm-hmm. That is the what I was uh, foreshadowing earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Is the only bit where the stun is detrimental to the game yeah. is with the two small ones. Absolutely, agree. because if they if they get the if they gore you, and then you're just down. And then you're like, oh. and if you're pinned in a corner, yeah. yeah and then sure. I, on the next one, on the next small one, I, I'm like, I'm next to the ladder that I need to like jump up to get to. And it's like you stand up and you go to jump for it and you grab the ladder, but gore. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, and you're down for like ten seconds. Mm-hmm. And then you just so yeah, it was tricky. Up. So you know what? What I liked about Solosia was that this is the first time, at least in my playthrough that I felt Wander had the upper hand over a Colossus. Mm-hmm. So once you grab that fire and um, Solosia starts backing away, you kind of realize, oh, this thing is afraid of fire, you know? The mm-hmm. tables have turned. Yep. Yeah, you, you, uh, little little god complex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unless you're um, like me and you're doing that and the flame goes out. <laughs> because it is on a timer. It's, it is, uh, happened once, yeah. But uh, like, no, when, like, when it's, it's it's like like when uh, like when Linda Hamilton's shotgun was out of bullets with like one <laughs> shot left, and you're like, oh, I was so powerful f- until just now. Yeah. <laughs> All the power is stricken away from me. This was uh, really my least favorite because, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, he was so small and just kind of felt mediocre compared to the others. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, everything before that is. Uh, fitting to the name Colossus is huge and yeah. lumbering, and then this one's yeah, just kind of yeah. tiny, and it didn't really. Well, feel he, that he impressive. was bigger than Wander too. You know, he was, to, yeah, to play not, devil's advocate, not big. This this was a shadow of the Colossus's pet. Yeah, yes. it felt like it. Yeah, <laughs> and see, that's sort of why I um, nicknamed the two um, canine type Colossi the Temple Dogs. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Temple of the Dog with the. Uh, uh, Chris Cornell Eddie and better. Uh, Eddie Vedder. Exactly. <laughs> I could get into Stone that. Stone Gossard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are going hungry. <laughs> and you know what else we haven't talked about is the path to get to Solosia was actually yeah. one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Um, you end up, like, standing in the desert, and you're like, okay. Where do I go? <laughs> there's, no- there's nothing here. <laughs> and then you start to, you know, you aim sort down a little bit, and you're like, wait, is that a crevasse or a ravine? Right, what yeah. do we have there? And then, you know, you end up going down there, and it's uh, that, that that was kind of an interesting, uh, uh, you know, traversing the environment to get mm-hmm. to this guy was actually, uh, you know, one of the, the, the points about him that I liked a lot. Yeah, the second time I had to use a walkthrough in this game was, just to find him, mm. so I I couldn't find him. Like I'm I'm going in the right direction, but I did not think to look down yeah. into that giant hole. 
Yep, and they talk about this in game design a lot, is getting the player to look up and down is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they have to really kind of, like, you know, whistle or call your attention to something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, you'll be you'll be riding, and you hold your sword up, and, okay, the beams are straight ahead. You put your sword out for five seconds. You put your beam up again. It's behind you. Like, whoa, like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I literally went by nothing. Like, what happened? And you have to look down. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I really had too much difficulty finding them. And maybe I just stumbled across that hole, like, right in front of my line of sight. And it worked out pretty well. Or maybe, but, yeah. maybe you minored in cartography. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um, uh, and I was going to say that um, so you guys mentioned luring him back to the arena. Uh, did, so did you mean you actually lured him like all the way back up to the battle area? Like the way you kind of walked up to get there the first time? Or how did you mean by luring him once you've knocked off the armor? Once he fell off the edge, then you sort of have to uh, circle around that temple-esque type area. Am I right? I'm I not didn't sure do that. What, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure what the intended uh, method of beating him was, but the way I did it was I just waited until he was kind of on... There, there's sort of two cliffs below the arena, mm-hmm. and I waited until he was more or less on the lower ones, and then I would just jump off of that onto his back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really have to lure him anywhere uh, that I noticed. Yeah, there were some... I think there's some down columns that I ended up standing on. and Yeah, I ended up getting kind of trapped between those two at one point. There was like a rock yeah, and a column so I... between those. And he's like yeah. pacing back and forth in front of me. Yeah. So I guess we should go ahead and move on to our next uh, Colossi, number 12. I'll go ahead and say this was my least favorite. Uh, Pelagia, where the, uh, the great basilisk. Uh, this was the one... Um, sort of the giant um, quadruped where you had to hide behind the sort of altar or swim and get behind him to mount him from the rear. I have an interesting Uh, little theory about uh, Pelagia. All right. And that's once you get into that lake type area, before you find uh, the Colossus, you'll notice that there's some destroyed temples. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that Perhaps Wander is not the first one to take on Dorman's task. I definitely think that. It really feels like it throughout the game. You know, if, if like if there are ruins in this game, mm-hmm. something has happened before the events of this game. Like, otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Everything would be intact, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe so. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it seems like the Colossi didn't build these things, so there's... You do get the feeling that humanity once uh, probably, you know, reigned in this area. Do you mm-hmm. know? Does it that make sense? Because they were crafted by a human hand, you know, not by mm-hmm. colossi. Right, so. right. But I'm saying that the destroyed temples are the result of somebody trying to defeat Pelagia. Yeah, and I perhaps guess. failing. Yeah, that's what I thought, I thought too when I was playing. It felt that way. And I had a friend watching me too uh, at the same time, and she's like, "Hey, those ones are destroyed. Do you think maybe someone else had already done this before?" And it just uh, seemed, yeah, like uh, it really felt like uh, this wasn't the first time this has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so, Rich. I'm, I'm, I'm interested that he's most that you said he's probably your least favorite. Mm-hmm. Was it, uh, was it another qu- uh, uh, issue of like the process? of uh, going through it was just frustrating for you or you didn't think it was rewarding once you figured out uh, what the solution was? I think the process was long and, and very involved and, and much much more than it should have been. I felt like, I, I know, I think I had spoken to some people about this and they just tried to swim around him and catch up and go up his back. Well, I was using a technique where I was 
going inside the temples and sort of crouching and hiding Mm -hmm. until he would lose sight of me and then he would turn around and that's when I would get up and run and then you know go up his Mm. back uh, swim to get to his back and climb Um, but then once you got there you had to lure him to the top of a temple by um, he had had these like sort of like teeth or like tombstones almost almost like yeah like reverse teeth (laughs) on the top of his head right and so you would hit these things I got up to the top of his head and I didn't think anything of those uh, like rocks or teeth sticking out mm-hmm. out of his head so I thought okay you know I I must be doing something wrong so I went back down <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. no it was not it was obvious how to get on top of him but it was not obvious once you were at the top of his head right mm-hmm. and that jump and I think they tr- I think they, they yeah oh yeah it was the even traverse. when you got him where you wanted to be yeah I mean you, you learned that to... you could sort of steer him by hitting those you know with your sword and then but just just timing that jump and making that jump over to the top of the temple was hard, and then yeah. and then and you then had to figure out how to make it to his underside. Yeah, and and then you and then when you got down there, you you had a limited number of of stabs, and you had to do it all over again. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought it was I thought it was tough enough just to figure out the puzzle as far as how to get to the sigil that I did not right. need to repeat this three to four times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was just way too much. I my least favorite by far, I think. Yeah. This is probably the one that uh, is, uh, you know, I don't know how to word it. It was the one, it's it's like the one that has the highest frustration level mm-hmm. that I liked the most. Because um, normally, you know, if, if it's a really long involved process that doesn't, you know, have a whole lot, uh, uh, you know, of uh, like ingenuity going for it, it's not something that I typically, you know, like would, would kind of be into. Um I do think it is something that once you know how to do it, I, I don't think the discovery of the process is as rewarding as, you know, like getting through the fight once you know. Um, because, the, again, I, I know I keep comparing original playthrough versus current playthrough, but I had a lot more fun doing it this time than I did originally figuring it out. And I had to figure it out again because, same thing, like I was kind of swimming around him, but he's turning at the same time, and I'm like, I can swim faster than you can turn. <laughs> and, like, it, it was, you know, I, I felt like there was tension there. And I felt like I was getting somewhere, but it was close. And then I was hiding in the ruins, and he was shooting things at me. So, like, uh, I feel like there was enough there. And especially, like, you know, when you get him to kind of, you know, kind of lunge out at you and kind of expose his chest, it gave me a similar feeling as uh, uh, Beardo, um, only more rewarding because all you had to do for Beardo to do that was just to, you know, stand behind a thing and he would come up. So... Um, this guy was a bit more grand. Uh, you know, he had, uh, uh, you know, it was more work to get there. Um, I definitely see how it could be uh, quite frustrating, but uh, uh, despite the process, uh, uh, I still like this guy. Yeah, I think what I did Fair a enough. lot of times was um, when when I was trying to get him to get in a position where I could jump to the platform, I noticed that every time I jumped to the platform, he seemed to just kind of ignore me and go away, or he'd start firing his lasers, but he wouldn't climb up uh, too easily. Like, you really had to mm-hmm. maneuver him perfectly before you did the jump and a lot of times i found that i was uh, like i would jump and then i realized i failed so i jumped back and you could like grab onto the little edges along his face like the mask that he's wearing and then you could uh, wait there until he goes forward and then jump back and like one of your backwards jumps off of the ledge and then it didn't uh, sink in until quite a long time after uh, doing this uh, over and over that you could actually hit the teeth with arrows too not just with the sword 
And once I realized that, I was like, okay, well, if I jump onto the platform once I'm there, I'm good because uh, if he starts to like go somewhere else, I can just steer him back with the arrows, and I don't have to worry about trying to get back onto him again. Hmm. And uh, then I can just hit the center ones, and like I don't know if you guys noticed, but not just steering, but you can hit the center ones, and then make him go forward too. Mm-hmm. So you're saying like once you got on top of those like temple type things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, once I'm on top of those, then I would just start firing the arrows at the center uh, teeth on the top there and make him go forward instead of sometimes where he would just kind of back off and I'd have to quickly jump back on and get up there and hit them with my sword again and then jump off again. So yeah, I probably I like this is the... the this is the second Legolas fantasy you've had while playing this game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really uh, just he wasn't responsive. I felt like he, uh, everything he did was. I mean, I, I know I kind of say these as complaints. I know they're supposed to be slow characters, uh, but mm. uh, it really felt like the slowness here was detrimental to the enjoyment of this battle because, like, you're trying to get him to turn, and he's not turning fast enough. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. is that the method you used? Uh, once I figured out the, uh, the pattern, then yeah, that was what I used. But it was kind of like towards the end because the first two temples, I want to say, uh, I did the... Uh, what I think they kind of want you to do is just the sword method of smacking him with the sword and then getting him up there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's I did that sort of conventional steer him by slashing the yeah, teeth. Yeah, I did that for the most part, even at the end, just to get him close to the temple. And then once I was able to jump onto it, um, I didn't bother worrying about trying to get him to actually climb up onto it uh, while oh, okay. I was up there. I just like, I, I hid d- behind that middle stubby thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, see, when I was doing it, he didn't seem to care. Uh, like, once I was off of him, he just started firing his lasers at me, and he didn't care that I was on the temple. He would just hold back. And unless I shot an arrow at him, or if I jumped onto him, smacked the middle one, and then jumped off again, um, he wouldn't really go forward enough. And hmm. so I don't know, maybe I wasn't waiting long enough up there, or if he just was responding differently to me. Yeah, it was sort of a weird catch as far as making him jump up on the temple i think what i would do is let i would let him fire and then i would run toward him and when Mm. i ran toward him that's when he would jump up yeah maybe in uh, in between blasts yeah so all right so moving on to colossal number 13 uh phalanx uh the uh trail drifter this was the largest colossi in the game this was the one that uh yeah this is another one that was um Airbound, but reminded me quite a lot also of the um, of Hydrus, the uh, Water Colossi, as yeah, far yeah. as like having to go down the back and taking out certain areas and that sort of thing. Yeah, this guy is my personal favorite. Oh, yeah, uh, this one's definitely really good. Um, I still think um, what's his name uh, that we were talking about earlier is my favorite, but uh, uh, this one's pretty good, and uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, the flying parts of it and. And just trying to jump from yeah. the horse onto the uh, the wings or whatever you call them. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Like yeah, the, the like what yeah, whatever you'd call them, like the fins almost <laughs> yeah. or uh, yeah. uh, coming off the side. But it's uh, uh, and I also really like uh, the way that the, visually the way this segment looks because um, when you're looking up in the uh, in the sky and it's just it's just washed out and you just kind of see this. Uh, uh, this thing, you know, the uh, he's flying up uh, overhead, and and you can tell he's the largest one so far. I mean, he he fills the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, that really saturated, like overly, like a uh, uh, saturated uh, uh, light look to it, and 
you know, there's nothing you can do but try to shoot up at him. And if you shoot him anywhere except for, like, those kind of, like, pulsing kind of, like, uh, airbags on his underside, nothing really happens. So once you hit the first one, it kind of deflates, and you're like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So once you kind of, uh, you know, since you're already practiced on, you know, shooting uh, the bow and arrow uh, on horseback, it's, you know, it, it kind of flows a little bit better because you've already been exposed to that. And then once he, you know, kind of dips down, you're almost you're almost thinking, okay, he's going to crash into something just like everything has before, and then I'm going to go jump on him. But he doesn't, and then you see those fins hanging down. You get really close, and you realize, oh, you get like they're they're like ridges. You can grab onto those, and uh, the process of uh, you know so taking him down from the sky to the ground, but he's still moving, jumping onto those uh, fins from horseback, and then getting up and uh, uh, being able to traverse uh, uh, the airbound uh, colossi again. Um, this is what I was talking about before, that even though you can't do this all in one shot, at least I don't think you can, mm-hmm. um, the process of doing it is so awesome that I was glad to do it again. Yeah, yeah this one wasn't was bad for me. I, I didn't think it was bad for me. I mean, repeating the process on, on this specific Colossi, I thought I thought was it was fun. It wasn't overly difficult to, you know, shoot the pads in the air. That wasn't that mm-hmm. wasn't difficult to do. Um, jumping from the horse, um, onto the fins uh, a little more difficult sometimes if you miss them and what I, what I liked about it sometimes the fins would dip down further into the mm-hmm. sand and if you but, if you hit them too low and did not jump up quick enough <laughs> it, it would it would you would get rolled off right that mm-hmm. was that was mm-hmm. pretty cool I, I did like that and then so, the so it's, it's possible <laughs> it's possible to miss when you're jumping to the fins it is Oh, what's that experience like? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, don't worry, Rich. It's not just you. I've missed quite a few times myself. <laughs> this one, uh, I mentioned, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that it, um, it reminded me of Hydrus a bit, and then and that Hydrus would go underwater and pull you down. Well, you know, this one had sort of the same effect where it would plunge back into the sand, and I thought that mm-hmm. was cool because you, you were at a you were in a position where you could see like the body going down into the sand and you like, you had to yeah. try to time your <laughs> jump as to, yeah. you know, not get completely squished or get, get drugged down, which was, which was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. I like this guy a lot. Yeah. He's really cool. Um, did any of you guys have trouble if you were too far away with, um, actually hitting the airbags uh, just because of the gap in time between uh, the arrow hit, leaving the bow and hitting him? I wouldn't say trouble. I just, I, I came up with the method of, uh, uh, I, I tried not to fire it from alongside him. I tried to kind of like uh, uh, get directly underneath him. And then I was just aiming the bow straight up into the first bag. And then I would actually slow down and then go straight up into the second and then kind of like that. And then I found it easier to catch up with him once he kind of came down because instead of trying to slow down and match the fins, I was speeding up until I got to the fins and then I'd jump over. So, uh, but yeah, if you're definitely, if you're too far away, cause the, the arrows kind of arc in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that you kind of had to get a feel for. Yeah. I think the yeah. first time I wasn't quite used to the, the distance uh, between me and him. And so I was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, trying to fire pretty close to directly at them. Like I, uh, anticipate a little bit of movement, but I noticed where one of them was hitting and it's like, it must have been half a mile off of where he yeah. was supposed to be hitting, and uh, so it's like okay, I gotta get closer. Yeah, yeah. See, I liked uh, I liked the juxtaposition of, in this battle of the really intense airborne bits, where like when you're on top of phalanx, r- followed by the more serene parts where you're on land and trying to shoot the, those uh, airbags. Yeah, it's just yeah. so quiet and peaceful compared to being up there. 
Now, were you guys tracking him when he was under the sand? Yes. No, I, I yeah. sort of gave up on him, let him do his own thing. Oh, really? Oh, and then he would kind of pop out, and then you would uh, focus your attention again? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it definitely works both ways. I mean, I think the first time he went under, and I was like, okay, I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, where is he going to come up? Where is he going to... Oh, wait, I have a button. <laughs> and then I kind of did it that way. But, uh, but yeah, definitely... Uh, it's. Uh, I actually wouldn't have minded if that button didn't work when he was underground because, you know, if I can't see him, then the button shouldn't know where he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I that thought sense. that was a bit of a, almost a flaw, but not quite, because, uh, yeah, it didn't really make much sense in the realism point right. of view. But, uh, yeah, I definitely was just following him under the sand because otherwise, uh, the first couple of times I, I wasn't doing that, it was much more difficult to figure out where he's going to come out. All right, so... Zenobia is a 14th Colossus, and he is the second Temple Dog. So, you know, <laughs> one, my, my, my two uh, grouped favorites. Um, and this was an especially exciting battle. Because you... Yeah. If, if you could sort of get away without using the environments in the previous battles, you definitely needed to use, like, the... Uh, the 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 towers and and the rubble in this absolutely right yeah up to this point you're right up to this point there were multiple ways um at at this point they are required to even because you have to get far enough in the you know the traversing the towers to even open up that final area where you can kind of get back to a position of strength so uh until you get to there you know, you you have to be uh, 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 kind of scaling the towers. I loved jumping from tower to tower as they were falling. Yeah, yeah, that yeah that's awesome. what I did. It, it, it was a really cool feeling. Yeah, or at least landing so that you were you're not falling yep. off, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Like working yeah. it out so that you could land back on. Now, so so so, what did you guys do? Like, so once once he uh, uh, Snobia hit a tower that you were standing on, I dropped down like a couple of rungs so that when it fell. So what happened was the first few times, so then the thing is falling, and then I just held on the whole time until it totally fell, and then I, uh, what do you call it, like, uh, you know, I kind of, like, fell down on the side of the column, and then stood up, and I was good. Yeah. I kind of ended up with this system where I timed it, where I dropped down a couple rungs where I'm holding on to it, and then, uh, like, it's falling, it's falling, it's falling, and when it's, like, 10 feet away from the ground... I let go of holding on on it, so I was just kind of floating in the air. Mm-hmm. Then the column fell and hit the ground, and then I landed standing. Hmm. That's really cool. <laughs> I like that. But, uh, my method was I would actually climb up to the very top and just kind of fight the momentum of being knocked back and forth, and occasionally having mm-hmm. to grab onto the top ledge too. But um, once it actually started falling, because I was so high up, I could just jump straight from the top of the one I was on to like halfway up the next one. Yeah, that's what nice. I did. I kind of... As, like I'd be at the top of the tower, and then as it's sort of falling, I'd kind of like Spider-Man onto the next tower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so great. This one. I mean, it's there's a lot of uh, environment traversal involved, like kind of optional, I guess, in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, for you know, for how much I wasn't a fan of the. Uh, uh, you know, Chris Cornell uh, fight. The Eddie Vedder <laughs> fight was markedly better yeah yeah i will i'll I'll admit this was my favorite i think i I, I do think this was my favorite fight i mean yeah you know i've gone through this list a few times to try to decide which my which was my favorite because i I love this game so much you know it's just it's really hard to choose um honestly but just 
just the manipulation and the use of the environment and you know just the fact that you have to traverse and crawl and and jump and uh you know just really set this fight up uh, yeah. it's just something I, I really enjoyed i appreciated that this battle yeah. had a sense of speed too right yep you, yeah you, you felt like you were on the clock yeah that if you didn't get this you know okay like i'm right here i gotta get to over there when right now like <laughs> yeah. this isn't leisure time right Right. Actually, now that I think about it, um, just kind of a little unrelated, but uh, I realized uh, that uh, this is a lot like um, in the second Star Wars uh, movie. Well, by second, I mean episode two, um, uh, with the uh, uh, that arena that uh, they were in when they were uh, trapped, and uh, they're uh, <laughs> Obi Wan standing on top of the pillar, and uh, or yep. sorry, Padme uh, is up on the pillar, and uh, the dog thing yeah. is hitting it. It's exactly like that. I was yep. just so when that, you play yeah. this game, uh, you on, think you're Legolas or some like Jedi <laughs> yeah, in the Colosseum. <laughs> yeah, I just always think yeah. about these references to movies that games seem to take inspiration from. Yeah, and and you never uh, uh, what's it called? The only difference means is you're not you're not chained uh, to this pillar. But yeah, yeah, absolutely with it, like you know, being knocked on and like falling. And over, even the look of the, uh, the dog-like thing, uh, it's very similar. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> One thing I did have a complaint though with this one is just the fact that um, it's the same Colossus as Celosia, and yeah. I was a little disappointed with that. I yeah. mean, I like uh, I really liked the way that the fight went, but mm-hmm. I just same was a bit disappointed. Like visually the same, or yeah, visually and like there's uh, a few distinct uh, features, but a little bit, yeah. yeah but it was yeah. pretty similar. Whereas the other ones felt like they were almost different species, and these two right. were. Very close together, and I I just want to mention this that that you said that um it just sort of reminds me I I don't know how many of you knew this but there were I want to say it was forty five colossi designed for this game forty eight intended forty to be is in it forty eight in total okay yeah Ueda wanted forty eight in the game um but then they they said like that's that's too much um <laughs> so they yeah. they cut it down to twenty four. Four. Yeah, and I guess that's what made me think of that is you've got two that look so similar, um, and they had so much to choose from. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just kind of it's a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for, I think from those twenty-four, they cut it down to, I think there was supposed to be eighteen, but the final four didn't make it into the game. No, there's sixteen total, so maybe twenty. I oh. guess. Yeah. 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 Could you imagine if this game had forty-eight? It would be the most awesome game on earth. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I have a feeling that, that the way that meeting went is that, oh, we're thinking about this many. And then they said, okay, when's it going to come out? And they said, uh, 2017. <laughs> they said, well, we'd kind of like it to come out like within a couple of years. And they said, oh, well, then we'll do way fewer. Yeah. So it it would have been The Last Guardian before The Last Guardian. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I brought that up. Oh, we'll touch on that later. <laughs> Save your it thoughts been, on that. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Polyphony Digital with Gran Turismo. <laughs> it's going to have 80 million cars. Uh We'd like it to come out like within five years. Oh, well then it'll have a lot less stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, doesn't it have a Nurburgring or whatever it's called? That, like, yeah, thousand mile long track. Shadow of the Nurburg. <laughs> um, uh, I was actually watching uh, a video that Grego shared, and uh, this was just today, I think he shared it on uh, the Shadow of the Colossus topic, and it was about um, these final secrets that are kind of myths uh, that people have been uh, spreading rumors about and 
kind of revealing them, but at the same time, they had little bits about interviews with the developers and the producers. And one of them was actually talking about uh, the amount of Colossi that they had cut out. And he was saying that um, they really uh, built the map. It sounded like they built the map first, almost. And uh, they uh, were like, all right, we want 48 to fit in here. And then they were trying to figure out ways to put them in. And they were like, this is just too many for this size of a map. And mm -hmm. so they had to cut it down to a number that fit in the map. And he was saying that if they actually put in 48 or 24 or whatever, it would have been an entirely different map. And maybe not even expanded. Like it might just have been an entirely different uh, location to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, like even in the map, I think they've blocked off some areas by like mountains and ravines mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, places that they planned on including but uh, just didn't need in the end. Mm -hmm. So the 15th Colossi, uh, we're moving into the final two, was Argus uh, or the Sentinel. And um, this was um, this was pretty heavily puzzle laden as far as um, different things that you had to do. Uh, you had to first make him stomp on a platform to raise it so that you could climb and traverse another area. Um, have him swing at you on the second level. Well, yeah, you had to make him destroy part of the... Um... Part of that mezzanine type thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So you got to step up to yeah to get up mm -hmm. there. You have to have him break the bridge so that you can yeah. jump <laughs> on his head, and then uh, you know their sigils were on the head and chest, and then there was actually a third uh, that you had to actually find a small spot to get him to uh, actually stab to get him to release his sword, um, and he had a sigil on his hand, which was oh my gosh. One of the most impossible <laughs> places to get to in the game for me. Oh, that was yeah. the toughest. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's so, one of my least favorites. Yeah. I, I yeah you I couldn't climb to his hand. I had to like get a lucky jump. I think I did too. From like some from somewhere else on his body. Um. Th yeah. This was this is a super frustrating fight. Even knowing how to like not knowing how to do it, having played it before, playing through this guy again, it still took a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put more arrows into this dude <laughs> than any. <laughs> any other because i'm like okay you know what whatever thunk, thunk, yeah thunk, that's exactly have what some I arrows <laughs> whatever <laughs> and he was covered with mm -hmm. them well, by the time i you know like, maybe you'll eventually kill him that way <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah i was like i wonder if i'll be the first one if there's like a hidden achievement yeah, I, 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 I thought like okay this is just going to be a war of attrition <laughs> <laughs> bill turned him into pinhead from hellraiser yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it's so uh, it's the uh and the thing is, every time you figure out one thing, you're like, "Oh wow, that was hard. That's got to be the end of the fight." Nope. nope. And like, you know, like the like when you first, you know, he does the stomp, it kind of you almost kind of find it by accident. I don't know how many people are like, "Oh, that's exactly what would happen." Is it would be like a seesaw. So like, you know, I think eventually by accident, I was just you know on the platform trying to figure something out, and then I see him stomp it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it." Um, figuring out that you had to have him destroy that part of brick to fall down to get higher up, mm. I think was the hardest thing for me because yeah. it's not like you can re like you again. Game game designers have difficulty making players look up, and I didn't look up and see like oh, there's like kind of like loose blocks there that will fall down if he hits it. Well, it, especially in this uh, setting where you're not thinking, okay, I should look up. You're you're yeah. you're, you're focused on um, on the colossus right in front of you. You don't know where to go mm -hmm. next. I mean, there's nowhere pointing that you need to continue to move up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, you know, it's, I guess it's just kind of out of luck. You know, I, he saw me, he swung at me, and, you know, those things just kind of fell into place. 
Yeah. Yeah, for me, it wasn't uh, about thinking I was going to go up, but I uh, I did notice that there on each side was one brick that had already fallen, and which mm. I think again ties in with what uh, uh, Floyd was saying about uh, maybe someone's done this before, but um, I think I saw that and I thought maybe I had to do that again, and then like climb to his hand, kind of like you did in the third battle with the guy's sword. I think that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I wasn't so much thinking go up, but more just get his arm down and then follow it up uh, to his body. Yeah, I, I will say I will say this about the guy. I will I will pay this guy one compliment, and that is this was the most awesome walk up intro cut screen in the game. I thought. Yeah. When you yeah. when you look at that ledge and you see this giant hand come up and just yeah, wrap around awesome. the edge, I was like, oh my gosh, what is <laughs> yeah. what what is going on? You know, like it, you know, because this was as far as the. Um, the um the bipeds this was the largest and to just to see that you know that huge hand oh my gosh he he was bigger than malice uh well i mean uh i don't know i mean did malice have legs i mean he kind of wore a skirt he he did he has to be okay well um (laughs) anyway uh before we go on to malice uh how did you guys get the hand sigil on argus my strategy was to, um, like, on the main level, like on the ground, I'd position myself so that he would try to slap the ground or, like, fist punch the ground, and then I'd try to get in that way. Oh, really? So what, what, did, you, what did you guys hmm. do? Like, take a leap of faith onto his arm? or? Yeah, this is one I can't actually remember off the top of my head how exactly I did this part, but I very much feel it was luck. Like, I, yeah. I don't think I had much thought into what I was doing there. I was just trying to find a lucky jump and a, yeah. a lucky spot to grab onto. I'm sure there's some good way to do it, but I was not doing it. I wasn't landing any jumps onto his arms or shoulders or anything, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to go on the ground. He's going to try to attack me, and that's when I make my move. And that worked pretty well for you, I assume. I mean, I took some damage, but it worked. Okay, okay, good. May I don't know if that's the intended method or not, but... No, no. I mean, I, I, like I said, I was just using the method of, you know, basically just, you know, um, jumping on him from up top again and just descending, trying to make my way down without my stamina running out mm-hmm. uh, to see if I could, you know, make it that area and get a stab in. And Didn't he have like a weird shaped back so it was hard to climb down him? It was, it was tough. And, you know, yeah. and, and he was very tall. So, yes. you know, trying to traverse that much space, you know, without losing all of your stamina was, was quite difficult. Mm-hmm. So, all right, on to Malice. Um, oh, Malice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think we yeah, can all agree. <laughs> I think we can all agree this was one of the more epic, um, um, I, I guess, well, not, not really introductions. Before we but talk about Malice, getting to him, I Argo. Guess. Argo and the bridge. Yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> it's now the the the. The story for me was uh, uh, Rich was kind of texting us like as he's playing through this in our little like text group. Oh app. yeah, you left me out of that one. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Did I? And we're like, what's and we're like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, like my like my my kid keeps like he's watching me play Shadow of the Colossus, and he just keeps saying like he just keeps worrying about my horse. He's like, oh, da- is the is the horse gonna get hurt? Is the horse gonna die? And I'm you know having played through the game. There's not a single thing that I could say. <laughs> you <laughs> I just didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I, I didn't say like, oh well, don't have him watch after the 15, <laughs> or you know, like, 
anything like this. So I was just like, okay, l- let it happen. Rich, I think your son is very intuitive. If he kind of, you know, yeah, tapped into some, you know, cosmological knowledge. My my son, and for those that don't know, my son's three. My daughter's six, and my son had just turned three as he was still two when I was playing this game. And they both still call the game Argo. Daddy, let's play Argo. Let's play Argo. They, the, the, the game is named after the the horse. Awesome. And so uh, that's how much they love the horse. And anytime I would go to an area and have to leave the horse behind, my son would just freak out. Daddy, where's Argo? Where's Argo? Where's Argo? Okay. I was like, he's okay. He's okay. Daddy's going to resubmer- get. Daddy's gonna have shadow spirits enter his body, go back to the temple, and he's going to be there standing Waiting on me when I get back, you know. <laughs> oh, and explain you, that to you, a two-year-old. You have to promise that uh, once they're old <laughs> enough, you're going to make them play this game. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, but uh, but yeah, and like they'll they'll be like fifteen. Like, do you want to go play Argo? <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter's six, and she got captivated by the game too. I mean, she she just loved it, loved it, loved it until the end. And I I, I won't talk about that right now. I'll save that, but my daughter's reaction to the end of this game was just unbelievable, and <laughs> probably some people that played it will maybe applaud uh, my daughter's reaction. So <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for the end. Yeah, please. Uh, but uh, as far as Malice, I was kind of mentioning that one of the coolest things about Malice is getting to Malice and uh, yep. using the sword, holding up the sword to open up the uh, the doors to the gate was awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Yep. Really? I did not know that at all. Yeah. Should have had to do that, though. Isn't there not any other way? There were, uh, like, I noticed that there were, like, holes in the ground, and they were sort of like a trench network. Oh, I think we're talking about earlier, though, like, before Arvo's death. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, like, right right before the temple. Yeah, right before the... Yep. Once you go like straight south from the kind of the main temple you wake up in, you end up at those enormous sealed oh, doors, right. and uh, and then yeah. So I, I thought it was really because and the you know your beam is pointing you there, and you kind of see that little you Seal know or light shining in the yeah. middle of the door, and you're like, okay, is is this is this what I'm what I'm here for? Is this you know the the mm-hmm. end? And uh, and I think he uh, Dorman even says he says okay, like you know one final uh, colossus, yeah. so you kind of know it's it. And then you get your last, uh, uh, you know, temple right there with, I believe, three white-tailed lizards on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe, yeah. So you get like a little last-minute uh, stamina yeah. boost there, and then yeah. So the the Argo scene happens, which is like it, uh, totally unexpected. See, but I want I want to just uh, applaud them on excellent game design because you come up to that door and you know you have to use your sword to open it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. From past experience. You've been trained. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. So you open the door. You you know one last save, uh, uh, and then but yeah, absolutely the uh, uh, and as you and no matter what the weather is like, as you approach uh, 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 Val, uh, Malice rather, um, it's it's a very dark, very ominous, like you know, kind of your 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 cliche, like you know, like uh, it was a dark and stormy <laughs> night, and these crazy crazy projectiles um, that that feel way faster than anything you've, you've seen before. Oh, yeah. uh, and even though he's really far away, you really feel like if you're out in the open for like more than like kind of ten linear feet, or uh, what do you guys use meters? Uh, <laughs> then uh, uh, he hit it hits you hard. So you ca- you almost have to like you know it kind of reminded me. I don't know if it's um, if it's intentional. It kind of reminded me of like like a like uh, uh, infantry combat. 
like kind of like like World War uh, uh, movies where like you know everybody's in trenches. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's a, that's a neat comparison. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's just like okay, get from safety to safety. It doesn't matter, you know, how long it takes you to get there. Stay safe as long as it takes you to get to that uh, that next place. You know what I was thinking about, Bill? I was thinking mm-hmm. about um, American Gladiators and when Nitro would shoot tennis yeah. balls at people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Oh, the was that the gauntlet? I forget what it was uh, called. Maybe it was the gauntlet. I, I can't remember uh, what it was, but yeah. That's, yeah that's if people would die yeah. behind these little barriers and fire things back. Yeah. See, I used to watch oh, that man. show, and I don't know why I didn't think of that. <laughs> that was the first thing yeah, that popped yeah, in my awesome. head. You know, doing my, my thing awesome. was just like you know World War One. You know, like yeah. trench warfare. Yeah. Well, that makes someone should do like a someone should do a rom hack where they like change uh, 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 Malice's head to nitro or ice, <laughs> barring tennis balls. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you're dead on with that. I mean, even the explosions is they would you know um, as the projectiles yeah. would hit the ground were just shattering and um, just yeah. quick and, and and you and you and you kind of roll into tunnels and then as the projectiles hit like you know like the earth is like kind of like shaking and like you know like rocks are falling and everything so you really get the sense that uh, uh, that you're in way more danger than you've been in the whole mm-hmm. game. Well, absolutely, I really like that rock falling effect and uh, it's uh, another real world kind of thing uh, as if like a bombing raid's mm. happening and it seems to have that sort of effect yep. on you definitely so so yeah so once that kind of like main approach uh uh is done and you you know you kind of get up to the uh i mean i guess for for lack of a better term i mean it's 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 almost like uh kind of like the like the skirt of the machinery absolutely or, or you know the organics mm-hmm um, it's almost like a maze of uh, almost like kind of like a rounded pyramid maze mm-hmm. um, trying to uh, you know, it's it's all ledges. So instead of that moss that you're used to, it's all hard ledges. But they're almost like all moving like machinery, mm-hmm. uh, like in seemingly like random ways. But like there is a pattern. Um, but not every you know way that you jump is going to lead you in a good spot. So you kind of have to like remember this labyrinth of uh, kind of how you're climbing up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an interesting, uh, and I think that was the first time you know you had something uh, uh, like that in the game. Yeah, yeah. there was a bit of a. A non-linear way to get to the top too, because there's a couple of different paths at certain points that both of them would work, but sometimes one would be easier. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so you'd work your way up those until you got up to sort of the lower back, and um, if you had your sword, you would notice a sort of uh, a, 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 br- a break or a weak point, and. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Make that stab. Yeah. It, yeah. It wasn't really a sigil. It was more like a scar, yeah, almost, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Kind of, like, kind of like an opening. So it was just enough of a hint to let you know, okay, you're not hanging on here to stab, stabby stab over and over like you've been doing. But, you know, like, hey, look over here. Something's happening. Mm-hmm. And when you stab there, you know, you did get a reaction. And it's really interesting because it's, you know, the, the for, for a game that's been training you to do things a certain way, the thing that's been happening the whole game doesn't really happen the way you've been used to it. Something happens but you have to react to it and figure out what to do for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really kind of gutsy move uh, uh, on a final boss like that. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that um, you didn't actually have to do the full stabbing motion for that one too. You could just swipe at him from the platform. Like that was... Oh, yeah. oh really? Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, th- I didn't know that. I think I've always just stabbed. Yeah, like yeah. that's what I was doing at first, but I fell down so many times trying to get up to his head that <laughs> I eventually figured out you could just swipe at him and I was trying to find any way to make the thing quicker. Oh, wow. It seemed like every time you fell too, you'd always have something to grab onto. So yeah, you, it, I never Most really time, fell yeah. all the way to yeah. the bottom. Yeah, I did at yeah. least twice. <laughs> I think I did. Yeah. fall 
uh, like off his head onto the main platform at the bottom. Yeah. Like the ground. So I had to do the whole thing over again, go through that last trench to come up underneath him, Mm -hmm. which was super frustrating because I was about like two stabs (laughs) away from beating him. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I I have a funny little story about Malice in that um, I I did Cenobia and Argus the same night. And it was now maybe 10.30 or so. And I said, okay, this is the end. I'm going to beat this, and then I'm going to call it a day. I just had this, you know, laser focus on beating the game that I said, no matter how hard it is, like, even though I'm getting pummeled by these, these um, like, energy beams, I will beat him. And even it must have taken me, like, two or three hours. Because he, he, he's tough. Yeah, um, I got I got a lot of texts during those two or three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I will pause the game to think. Um, and, um, but anyway, yeah. I, I said, I'm not going to bed until this game is done. <laughs> yeah, I've got nice like that with certain games. Just you, You're done, you want to get it over with, and uh, it's it feels like it's uh, too good of a game to stop. Mm-hmm. So how did everyone handle... The hands, I guess, uh, as well. Oh, the hands! Like, I thought uh, that was really like did you have elegant and natural type uh, moment in the game. Because you get on his hand and he's sort of moving his hand around. It's like, ooh, what is this little thing trying to crawl up my arm? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like. Have you ever had like an ant crawl yeah. up your leg and yeah, you're kind of like, oh, look at you, little ant. Um, yeah, that was that was really cool. Like once he was. Like, when you get to that arena, he's really, like, upfront and aggressive with those beams. But once you start climbing him, he's sort of really intrigued by you. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't find out right away that you could stab his arm and he would... Or stab his hand, I should say, and it would stabilize. And then you could use that to climb up. Yeah. Um, I don't think I knew about that part. Uh, what I uh, was doing was just... Because his arm was con- his hand was constantly rotating. Yeah, and that really was frustrating. And I think I just would have to wait until it settled barely long enough for me to climb up to the. Um, uh, that was such a like a fraction of a second. Yeah, exactly. Know. And I didn't. I don't think I've realized throughout the whole time that you could stab the hand uh, first and have him stabilize. Or mm-hmm. if I did, I didn't do it uh, right. And just a quick poke in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the problem I had was, you hit him in the arm, and then you go to the next hand, and I just couldn't figure out what to do from there. It was like you couldn't climb up the next arm because of the electrical uh, wristband. Yeah. And I didn't think that it was close enough to jump to his shoulder from there. And so I, I tried was to just... make the jump a couple times and you know learned the hard way that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. Yeah, I actually had to send a text to Rich and he says, <laughs> "Yeah, shoot, um, shoot the guy in the, in the shoulder and he'll move his arm over to sort of, you know, feel the wound and that's when you uh, that's when you do the jump." Yeah, really? and what took me so long to figure what took me so long to figure it out is one thing that you could do to aid you because you know trying to fire on that shoulder was very difficult. I mean, because the the hand was moving. What did you, you could did do? Did you stab the hand to yep. stabilize it? Yep, yep. Just oh, stab okay. the hand. You stab the hand, and then he will like sort of pull his hand up and like sort of like look at it as if he's just interested in what's going on, or just sort of like, oh, I've been injured. Let me take a look at it. And he would just sort of, his hand would sort of flatten out, and you could stand up and fire your bow at the shoulder. Yeah. Well, what he's yeah, exactly. doing there is he's actually, uh, the other arm was coming over and grabbing the hand uh, underneath. 
And you couldn't really mm-hmm. see that too well, but yeah, I think that's what's happening. The other hand is kind of stabilizing the one you're standing on. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, I actually I beat him without shooting the shoulder at all because I didn't know that that was what you're supposed to do. So how did you climb up to uh, the top of him? Well, so I got stuck on the second hand, and then right, the one with those like electric bangles. Yeah, things. and so then I just kept getting frustrated with that, and I fell off multiple times getting back to there, and. I eventually gave up and used the walkthrough. And in the walkthrough, the first thing that I saw this guy do, which maybe was an accident, was he jumped off the first hand to the shoulder, and he made it, like just off of a fluke jump. And so huh. then I thought, okay, this is the way you gotta do it, because it was done in a walkthrough, and this guy beat it this way. So were you able to do that fluke jump? Yeah, and so then I ended up just doing that. And it actually wasn't that difficult, because from the first hand, um, if you don't stabilize the first hand, he's kind of moving it around, and if you wait until it's up at the, like, highest point you can pretty easily jump from there to the shoulder really yeah hmm. and uh it just uh, like it's not something that i would include into without the are walkthrough, you like but... a closet speedrunner or something <laughs> maybe <laughs> um but yeah i had no idea to shoot the shoulder with the bow and i wish i had known that before because i would have totally made it easier but no i was just each time i was trying to jump from the hand to the shoulder and i got it enough times where i was able to kill him with that well, and again, that's you know something I spoke about before. That's that's what's so great about this game is that it can be manipulated. It's not linear. You don't have to do this before you do something. Sometimes you can just you sort of look up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it just it just sort of works out in different ways for for people. And I think that's one of the things that that I really appreciate it. Uh, really appreciate about it. It's it's very um, well, it's not a realistic game, but it's it's very realistic in a sense to where you know one path is not always the way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, and and I, I that's what I really like about us talking about each of these colossi and how you know our battles win. It it gives us you know a, a really good perspective on you know the whole game and the different ways in which um, you know we kind of conquered it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, the problem with mine was just that even though it was. Apparently a viable option. It was very much not the way they intended to be done, uh, from what I could tell, and also from what you guys are saying too. And so it really made it much more frustrating because the way I was doing it felt more difficult and unnecessary, and uh, I didn't like uh, the, the final battle just because of that. I didn't like the final battle for that like trench warfare bit, you know, with the, with the lasers. <laughs> that that was so punishing. It was the first one. I found uh, once you figured out uh, that you have to go to the holes, it wasn't too bad. You just had to kind of be patient. Yeah. But uh, Well, getting to those holes, because he... That that guy's a good shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty difficult. But, uh, you definitely had to do the, the tuck roll a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. battle roll went mm-hmm. through it. So I, I, I liked that part of it. I thought that was a lot of fun. I, th- I thought it made it a, a very exciting final fight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at least from the offset. And then, Bill, a little disappointing that there's only one sigil, though, I guess, on the final boss. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Bill, uh, which method did you use uh, from the hand to the shoulder? Did you use the bow? or? Uh, I did. You did? I, okay. uh, uh, yeah, and I remember uh, uh, I remember spending a long time with this, and I had already uh, I'd already used a, uh, what do you call, I kind of give myself like a gimme when I play a game. Like, okay, like if I get stuck, I'll look something up like one time. I'll try not to do it more than that. Uh, so like I had already used my look up and I was like, okay, I'm not going to look it up. So, but I would get frustrated because I would spend like 20 minutes on it and then I'd not know what to do. So I kind of like, you know, would leave the game and come back. I, I don't know what made me, uh, like pull the bow out. I think I would just started to like, I wasn't even thinking logically. I was just like trying other things. So like once like the hand came over, um, 
I, you know, took the bow out, shot the other, and then so I kind of transferred uh, from one to the other. And uh, uh, the electricity was uh, a bit frustrating, um, but uh, I think I ended up uh, a leap of faith from that second hand to the shoulder. Okay. So uh, you uh, did sort of do what I did uh, with not yeah. having to pull the hand to the shoulder. It was just jumping straight from the hand. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's more or less what I did. It's just I didn't uh, involve the bow at all because I, I didn't think to use it. I was so frustrated. Right. Because um, I think Rich and I did the same method. It was once you, you stabbed the back to get the hand to reach around, mm-hmm. uh, you jumped onto that hand, and then there was not a sigil but like a weak spot near his elbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you stabbed that, the other hand came around. And then he did that, like, parkour jump onto his other hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that sort of takes care of all the colossi, unless anyone has anything that they would like to add or, you know, any favorite moments. I just want to say you feel like such a champ, such a hero when you beat this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's going to kind of play into what we're going to talk about next. We're going to delve a little into the story, first of all, and uh, then we'll kind of wrap it up a little story, bit with the ending. do you want to... Do you want to share like two, three sentences? What's your interpretation of, of the of the ending, or do we want to talk a little about the story first and how it kind of? Yeah, no, no, out? no, of the story. Like, what has uh, led up to all this? Why is Wander bringing a mono um, to this temple? Why are those um, like magi type guys after him? Uh huh. Uh huh. I think I think we get from the very beginning that. Um, you know, there, there's some connection between Mono and, and the girl. I, I mean, I'm sorry, Wonder and, and Mono, who is the girl. Um, I think we, we realize that what he's doing is out of bounds in, in mm-hmm. sorts that he's made this pilgrimage to this temple to do something that's probably not quite right, um. I think we get the feeling that that he is dealing with something that's out of his hands and supernatural and that it is an evil spirit. I I think without the game telling us too much and this this sort of lack of knowledge that we have going into the game being thrown into basically the middle of a story, I I think we have to kind of come up with the story in our head, but we're giving small inklings as far as what's going Mm -hmm. on. They're they're like very vague clues, yeah. Right, right. and even when it comes to the Colossi and how the Colossi react and how some of them are very docile. Yep. Um, I want to hear everybody's sort of theories on, um, you know, the backstory, essentially. Um, but mine is that Wander has essentially gone rogue and he has stolen that holy sword, which has the power to gather light. Right. And it's the only sword capable of um, defeating the Colossi. Mm-hmm. And he's done that to selfishly revive Mono, who, you know, you can sort of uh, slap on any sort of relation, um, sister, girlfriend, wife, whatever. Um, But he's doing this totally without the consent of his clansmen. Hmm. Um, And he knows that Dorman can revive Mono, but he does not know the stakes that are involved. He doesn't know that um, he's essentially going to be the next Dorman. He just thinks, okay, I go to Dorman, he's going to give me a task, 
and Mana will be revived, and yay, you know, yeah. girl back. One thing I was just thinking of now that I hadn't really thought of before is, uh, I almost wonder, because it's clear that uh, Dorman, uh, like once you've seen the final few cutscenes, uh, and it's clear that he's been sealed away by these people, uh, like it sounds mm-hmm. like it was them who used some power to split him into the 16 parts and seal them yes, away. Yes, yeah, that's sort of like the uh, epilogue type yeah, and thing. I, I wonder, because of the fact that the sword is the way to release him from this spell, uh, maybe the sword was also the way that sealed him to begin with, and mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, like in the... Um, that's, that's quite likely. Yeah, and I believe in the manual it said that um, Mono was sacrificed, uh, somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, or at least the, in the wiki, that's what it says, uh, for sure. And um, I almost wonder if maybe Mono and the sword were both a part of the sealing act uh, mm-hmm. for Dorman, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, Wander was uh, actually really against this just because of his feelings for Wa- uh, Mono, and uh, so then they sacrificed them, uh, sacrificed her, and with the sword sealed away uh, Dorman, and then. Wander fought against this and grabbed both of them, ran to try and undo what happened, just to save uh, the girl. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously there's nothing in the game that says this clearly, but it feels like this might be a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a, a little bit of a theory, Bill? You know, I, I don't really pick story apart that much, and uh, uh, I don't know why, Like, because I really do like exploring kind of what it is uh, that I like about uh, uh, certain games, but... Uh, I, I do think that when it gets you know super granular, then I, I kind of start like uh, you know kind of almost like picking it apart too much. Um, but uh, from what I gathered, uh, you know, just from like uh, you know just playing through uh, well, myself, th- th- like was... this game is really open to interpretation. So right, w- what's your um, interpretation basically? Since there's no right or wrong answers right now. Right. I mean, I I definitely think that. Uh, uh, that the uh, uh, the doorman was sealed away. It was definitely broken into sixteen pieces. I'm kind of leaning more towards that it wasn't this group of people that end up coming after him to stop him. I think it's he's been sealed away for a long time. Yeah. Um. So uh. And on top of him being sealed away for a long time, I, I go a step further and I imagine if I'm doorman and I'm sealed away for a long, long, long time. You're not just sitting there waiting for someone to to come to you. You're kind of like trying to play that that devil part where you're trying to draw someone in. Oh, so he's sort of like whispering into Wander's ear, right? Type thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like the presence of Dorman reaches beyond that forbidden land. Yes. That forbidden land is just where that seal is located. Yeah. Um. So um, I haven't read. Especially since oh, uh, you can uh, hear his hints when you're doing the battles too. He's obviously got telepathic abilities. Like this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've, I always thought of it as, uh, you know, so kind of like the, the pre-story, uh, you know, that Dorman was involved in one way or another. Um, but since we, you know, weren't introduced to that at all, um, that's all speculation. But I, I find it hard to believe that Dorman's just kind of like sitting around waiting for someone to come in. And then someone comes in and he's like, oh, check this out. So obviously <laughs> Wander, comes, Wander comes to the land because he wants something. He knows he's not supposed to go there. It's the Forbidden Land. And he's obviously stolen this sword so mm-hmm. that he can, you know, come in and do this. So he has to know that he's coming here against, you know, the rules uh, and for a reason. Right. So what drew him there, I think, was Dorman's doing. So like Dorman coerced Wander. Yes. He said, like, yep. if you want Mono revived, bring her to me. 
Right. I, like, I've been sealed away for thousands of millions of years, but I can do what you want. Right. And and whether it was direct or indirect. And, you know, I, I, again, I hate to, you know, bring up another example of it, but you look at any of these, like, kind of classic fairy tales. Uh, like, the first one that comes to mind is Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Ariel knows, don't go see the sea witch. She's the sea witch. But Ariel wants something. She mm-hmm. goes to the sea witch. And bad things happen. Yeah. Um, good guys win in the end because it's Disney. But uh, I, I do think that there was some coercion, uh, either like by Dor- Dorman or uh, you know some uh, whether it's a minion or like a servant or you know something to get Wander to come out there. Yeah, okay. I definitely think that this is something that's happened over time. It's not that they have sacrificed Mono um, as the one to seal in Dorman. I feel as if that she is a part of a ritual that keeps him sealed in if that makes sense she's not the first that's been sacrificed but that's mm-hmm. possible yeah right that that this is something that um that wander has knowledge of how t- of, of a way to possibly rescue her right um you know no matter what like like we said before no matter what the relationship between the uh, the two is you know we, mm-hmm. we don't know that mm-hmm. and that's one of the things i really enjoy about the game is not knowing this relationship yeah yeah i mean it's it's all it's all speculation it's all sort of like um what what you read into it and what you get out of it yeah um I, yeah my, just... my, my take on Dorman is that there has to be some sort of duality like there has to be some sort of benevolent uh deity um but those like good gods they at least in that folklore context they hardly ever have that power to restore life it's always the uh the the evil deity that can uh Mm. you know bring back the dead and and it's always at some kind of cost and it typically is like a life for a life yeah yeah um after hearing what you guys were saying actually now i'm thinking that um alongside uh the reasons uh, that uh, bill and uh, floyd you already gave uh, the fact that we were talking about um previous wanderers uh, also uh, trying to do the same thing basically it shows that yeah okay Dorman must have been sealed for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, he must have been luring others in before wander mm-hmm. it couldn't have been just uh, mono uh, that was uh, sacrificed specifically to seal him but yeah it could have been like maybe a, a yearly festival where uh, they r- ritually sacrifice a young girl to keep him sealed basically yeah and we're making a, a- we're making a lot of guesses about are, you know, yeah. the story and what's happening. I mean, you know, we're, we're taking a lot of lead way. And that's one of the things I like most about the story of this game. And I think, depending on your personality, you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. And some people like movies and such that are very clear cut. That you know what happens in the end. Everything's tied up in a little package or a little bow. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it's all explained. It's all fleshed out. I'm more the type of person when I go see a movie, I want something that is not fleshed out, something I have to walk away and think about and that stays with me for weeks. That's my interpretation of what a great movie does, something that's going to stick with me. Yeah, same here. It's the same for novels, too. Exactly. And so I think um, looking at this as a this video game as a piece of art or as a piece of media, that's the intention right i mean we're it's it's very vague everything's very vague and we're we're made to draw our own conclusions about the story and the the, the events leading up to the story and 
I I think that's the beauty of this game. That's one of the things I like about it the most, and and I can understand why other people don't like that. Mm. Um, and and I think that you know um, we saw a lot of that when we made it to the ending in the final week from some of the comments that we had on the thread. Yeah, it's all about uh, showing uh, the viewer what's going on and not telling them, uh, like leaving uh, it to their interpretation based on what they see the characters and the um, storyline doing. I guess I'll just state for a moment, um, I, I mentioned that my daughter also watched me play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got to the end of this game, my daughter was... Just, I mean, during the game, she wanted to come up and watch me play all the time. She loved it. She was just captivate, captivated by it. But at the end of this game, she completely freaked out. <laughs> she curled into a ball in her chair. She pouted her lip, and she said, I hate this game. <laughs> and I was like, why? You know, nothing, you know, nothing bad has really happened. You know, in the, in the essence, toward the end, nothing completely horrible has happened, right? I mean, no one's died. We've got a gimpy horse. We've got a, a baby with horns now. Um, but we don't, um, no one's really died or anyone directly involved in this game. I can't speak for the citizens outside of this game, uh, but no one has been directly harmed by this. Some of the Colossus. Yeah, sort of opening of Pandora's box. You know? <laughs> it's probably similar to my reaction to um, um, McCormick's The Road. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed it, but at the end I was like, I hate this, but yeah. I like it too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I just... I like to share these little moments with my, you know, with my kids and stuff. Mm. Um, you know, um, it, yeah, it just, it's just kind of funny. Something for uh, Jamie and I to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, Bill is right around the corner from that. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's happy about everything right now. He's only like, you know, four months. So you just, you know, once he starts understanding what's happening. But, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's, it is, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, as great as the experience is, as great as the game is, like, it's one of those things where it ends and it kind of fades out and you just kind of, it's not like a get up and walk away, like, oh, well, there we go. And what's for lunch? Uh, it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's like, it's over and it fades and you walk away and like the music's playing and it's this very slow, like, you know, kind of like walking away of this entire experience and you're just thinking, oh, like, like, and you're all, and it's it's really cool because a lot of times it takes like a first person experience uh, for me to kind of feel like it was me. Um, so even though I'm third person and I'm controlling Wander, I, I still kind of walked away like saying like, "What have I done? Mm-hmm. What did I do?" Because right. I could have put it down. I could have <laughs> walked away. Yeah. And it, and I like I kind of feel like uh, as I get halfway through like it feels less like I want to beat the game and more like I want the resolution of why I came here in the first place. And, and it's all, and it's, it's in this weird way. Uh, it's almost like, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing there in the first place. And I almost wonder if that's intentional too. Like if you ask wander, if you could go there in that fictional language and say like, what are you doing? If he kind of think about it and say, I, I don't know. Like sh- she's dead. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I just, I'm here. That this this deity is telling me to take down these colossi, and yeah. beyond that, I have no clue what I'm doing. Yep, I had I had nothing. Someone has given me purpose. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Um, so what did you guys think um, overall about uh, the ending? Uh, like, uh, I know I was one of the people, uh, I think Bill was um, questioning this, but I was one of the people saying that I felt the ending was a little bit cliche and predictable, and I think someone else had uh, replied, maybe it was uh, Slacker, I want to say, uh, who agreed with me. Uh, and yeah. No, yeah, Slacker did one that. of those like I agree but I disagree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was I think it was engineer Mike who said, "Yep, cliche, you know, gimpy horse." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't so much disagreeing on the thread, more saying like you know, just asking like you know, in, in what way was it? Oh, and then okay. like when you when you uh, kind of came back with like, well, like this, this, and this, and all of it was true, but you know, in like like kind of like I said before, like I you know, and not that I have a problem with it, but like I just don't usually make a habit of like really really analyzing things like to that degree like yeah, comparing it, it to like yeah. a lot of other things um and maybe it's bad because i could you know kind of figure more stuff out if i did do that but uh i i really tend to like separate things like uh just a recent example there was a movie that i watched that i really 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 liked and i, I mentioned something online like oh my god i love this movie and someone said oh it was too much like this movie and I was like, Ugh. it had like one thing that was similar, but like I, you know, I I really separate things enough where like unless it's like blatantly obvious that it's the exact same story mechanic, um, I usually don't make the connection. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm the same, but uh, I do like to try to um, not nitpick, but just sort of analyze Ex- something, yeah, and, explore, and find yeah. its uh, not necessarily find its meaning, but like get some sort of like takeaway out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say that um, I don't tend to look for specific uh, comparisons, like game to game or movie to movie, but uh, if I see something that feels like a trope, where it's something common to a lot of different things, then that's where I don't quite like it so much. Um, but um, if we're talking about specifics, like, oh, this has been done before, and I don't really care about that because uh, really everything's been done before at this point, and right. uh, there's not really any way to avoid uh, repeating similar sounding mm-hmm. stories um you can get something that's a little bit unique but on a whole there's going to be elements from almost any anything and well i think yeah at this point in um in in any media really it's almost every idea has been done it's just how can you do it better yeah it's it's almost like uh, the alphabet, really. Like, uh, uh, you got every single letter, every single element of a story, and it's just the way you combine the elements together that matters, not so much uh, what the sif- um, separate elements are and the fact that they've been used before. Um, uh, but I think uh, the uh, I'm just looking at the post here that I made uh, that me and Bill were talking about, and my reasoning for why I thought that the ending was cliche was I was saying... It had an almost Anakin Skywalker to Vader thing going on uh, that seems to be common uh, to not too many games, I think, but uh, books and movies do this uh, more often, um, where the hero is trying to do something good for someone that he loves, uh, but in a selfish way that like really disregards all consequences, and mm-hmm. he ends up turning evil because of his actions in a way, and mm-hmm. uh, he's under the influence of a corrupting power figure. Yeah, and you could you could kind of see it coming because like. Every battle, you've got this ominous shadow going into you, and then uh, you've got the kind of the shadowy figures standing around you afterwards, and they seem to I be mad to at you. I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about those um, shadowy figures. Yeah, yeah, maybe we can get into that. With um, yeah, so let, let's go right into that. Yeah. Um, with the defeat of every colossus, Wander would be surrounded by an additional um, shadowy figure, 
but also mono was surrounded by an additional dove mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know like after talking to friends who have beaten this game like that's that's pretty critical to um what's going on and sort of that like i i also notice that wander becomes less and less human like in his appearance mm-hmm. right like you start to see that black stuff streaking out of his eyes and he's starting to grow horns by the yeah. end yeah he's kind of scarred and scratched up and kind of if, if you you know stretch your imagination a little bit malice looks more human than wander does by the end of the game mm. in some ways i, guess, yeah. Yeah. I mean like he, he's still this like you know mythical creature but you know it, like he's not disfigured or like he's, he's still you know hmm. doesn't have anything growing out of him except for those like you know lasers and all that <laughs> yeah i i definitely noticed another thing i noticed about the shadows that i'll bring up is that as your body is lying on the ground after you've defeated a colossi and you've been uh, transported back to this temple you you do notice the shadows and you do notice that there is an extra one each time and they're kind of standing over you and they're looming with their heads mm-hmm. down, looking at you, mm-hmm. as if they, in some way, feel some sort of pity for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's not an aggressive stance. It's a very kind of sorrow, sorrowful stance. It, it, it's very sorrowful, but very... Um, like if someone were looking down into a grave, like it had been lowered. I can definitely see that. I sort of got a more disappointed feeling off of them. The I vibe I was mm-hmm. getting, like, they're really limp right and like their arms are sort of drooping at their sides and like there's no posture to them they're Mm -hmm. kind of just their head neck is you know pitched and arched forward looking over you yeah they're just really sad for what you've done Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, i think it's just trying to show that uh, what you've done is not the right thing really absolutely you're doing something something wrong and uh, they're trying to show you that this more clues kind of mm-hmm. adding on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of my my thoughts on the game. I, I know that you know people have a problem with sort of the story and the ending, and um, I get that. But to me, with this game, the gameplay completely trumps all of that. Oh yeah. I mean, I am I'm playing a game where I am this David and Goliath battle each time. I am the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I'm going and I'm taking on something that is enormous and bringing it to its knees. And there mm-hmm. is just something just so awesome, cool, and, Jamie, you may have to bleep this out, but so badass about doing that. You know, and that, that no, to that's... me, is what really, really makes this game so awesome. And just, you know, this is a game you, you could just come back to at any time and play. Mm-hmm. And and just just enjoy it just for what it is. I mean, you're not coming back to play this game for the story. No, no. What, what, once you've beaten it, once you're you're done your your story playthrough, after that right. is like you just want to repeat all that badassery. Mm. Right, right, exactly. Uh, I just want to pull out a quote here that I, I think is really uh, significant. Uh, and it is from Beauchamp. He says, this is one of those games where I need to put myself in the shoes of the character. Would I do this if it were my wife, daughter, sister, mother on that stone table? Um, and I think that really helps. Um, and yeah, I, no, I do think you do have to put yourself in, in the shoes of the character. Because yeah. it really helps you um, 
even if like a lot of us disagreed with what Wander was doing, but it justifies what he's doing. Mm. Absolutely. And and we spoke about this too, with that the whole sense of utilitarianism, um, that the idea that you do what's best for the masses, um, and how that kind of gets thrown out of the window in this game. And mm-hmm. we also saw that in The Last of Us as well. Yeah, it's that you know, utilitarianism versus the self. Right. Am I gonna do what's right for the world or am I gonna do what's yeah right for me within this decaying world? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and a lot of people don't agree with that, and I, I understand why people don't agree with those types of decisions. But, again, like Beauchamp said, you're forced to put yourself in the the shoes of Wonder and, and that character. And if you really sit down and if you really think about what you would really do, instead of just saying, oh, I would do what's best for mankind or everyone else, um, I, I think you might... <laughs> Yeah, I think you might do some soul searching, um, especially considering people that you're very close to, you know, mm-hmm. and people that you you love a lot. And I, well, I think that you would get to a point where you would heavily question, um, you know, sacrificing that person if you had a chance to save them. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's become a, an overused trope. Um, sure. And if anything has become cliche, this definitely has. Um, yeah, that's more what it's. I it's a like story. altruistic hero that mm-hmm. like I'll do anything to protect the world, right? And you know, like I like how this game explores that notion of selfish selfishness. Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, the all the stuff that I say, I, I feel is cliche, and I don't totally like about the story. It's more in the ending and just like at the very end. Right. I, I like the parts that uh, because this game is such a minimalistic experience, I like where it's open to interpretation, like how we were going to our theories about the beginning of the game. I really like that. And mm-hmm. and the reasons for why you're fighting each Colossus and all that. And all that's really good. It's just when it gets to the end, it feels like it's a bit more uh, um, explicit in what it's doing and it's not leaving much to interpretation there. Uh, it's well, sort of it like saying to, this is the way it, it is. had to wrap everything together. It had to tie in um, yeah. whatever loose ends there might be. Mm-hmm. So I won't call that cliche. It was just it was the game was doing what it had to do. Yeah, it was sort of forced to, but I also feel like they could have left it a little more open ended, and uh, because the beginning was so open ended, it didn't it really need to be tied in well, a bow at the end I, I i will disagree with you there i think the beginning was um really explicit the backstory is totally open-ended yeah because um, okay. it's just you know wander bringing uh mono to the temple yeah but i mean more along the lines of like uh, the reasons why and yeah like you said the backstory not so much mm-hmm. exactly what's happening at the moment of the beginning mm-hmm so uh, one thing I noticed that I'm not sure if many other people picked up on uh, was uh, that when you're being told what to do at the beginning and the Colossus you have to destroy, Dormant doesn't say that doing this will save the girl. He really doesn't no. say anything. He's just like, uh, hey, you're here? You should go kill these guys. And, uh, and you're just <laughs> like, alright, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> and uh, he, he doesn't give you any hope that he's actually going to save the girl. You just are so blinded by your quest to save her that you just assume that this must be what you have to do well you see i like i i think that ties into the um you know mythological legendary um aesthetic that it has going on um the malicious or, or darker deities will never outright promise anything like they'll always mm-hmm. try to lead you astray 
Yeah, and Angel Day just either he either either knows and he doesn't care, and, or he just doesn't know and he's blinded by what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think just the fact that you have the sword too is is a representation of you knowing that that item has a certain power mm-hmm. and yes. that it's a sur- in that that it is associated with a certain folklore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so if you don't know that this being can save the girl, you at least know that this being is very powerful mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is able to do powerful things. So yeah, yeah. That, that was you my. You don't know the extent of its power, right. but you know that it can. Um, do some pretty incredible things. Yeah, I just feel like he's um, sort of digging himself a hole there because he's uh, trying to very much trust the uh, deity that uh, your uh, clan's mates are telling you that is the evil one, basically. Or it seems to be that way. And he's putting a lot of faith into something that uh, is probably not very trustworthy. I guess sort of the last thing, since we have discussed the ending, we should maybe talk a little bit. Um, this, This game is one of the more popular titles uh, to come out for the PlayStation 2 as far as having a cult following. And the designer has only ever released two, two games. games. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, which um, he was actually the animator in Enemy Zero, which was released for the Sega Saturn in 1997. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he did Ico, which we will be playing in the playthrough um, in September, which is going to be awesome. <laughs> Can't wait. And oh, I, I um, just heard somebody whisper "eco." Yeah, <laughs> eco. I'm sorry. Gosh, it's all right. You don't want to wrestle a uh, Duke. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that stuff anymore. Uh, Weird Al just did a tremendous job of uh, pointing out word crimes, so I'll just let him handle still the police sort of, uh, now Linger in your in your brain there. Yeah. I, I, I still I have I still have scars for uh, from uh, Chris uh, jumping on me during the collector cast for yeah, saying exactly. wise <laughs> instead of ease. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, that, that, that's better than my first pronunciation. I, I looked at like Y S is that ease? Is? <laughs> yeah. Cause well, cause originally yes. uh, I think the master system cart has the apostrophe. So it makes it look, look like it's possessive. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Oh, that game must belong to ease. And he's like, <laughs> it belongs to Y, <laughs> but he pronounces Lutes wrong. So we'll give him, we'll give you a pass. Yeah, no, no, no Lutices. <laughs> so anyway let's get back uh on topic here <laughs> right yeah uh team Ico, right yeah fumito udata he, he has only made Ico and shadow the colossus and team eco um which is his group they left sony yeah yeah that that's Good thing, huh? I mean, that. They, it, it leaves you to think that the last guardian might be in de- developmental uh limbo now I mean, if it hasn't been already, now it's yeah. yeah the, the the last the last news that I read about that was that uh, he had left uh, and he was continuing to consult on the project. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, as as Sony continued to finish it up, uh, every time someone asks uh, uh, someone at Sony for an official comment. Um, they say they have nothing to say, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, every time that the press goes ahead and says, "Okay, we can pretty much confirm that it's canceled," Sony does make a point of coming out and saying, "No, no, 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 it's not canceled. We just have nothing to say right yeah, now." Yeah. So, they're kind of saying like, "It's not canceled until we say it is." Right. Yeah. It's yeah. They're, they're saying it's not canceled yet. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. that's what they're saying. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because yeah. um, yeah, that. Uh, E3 2009 demo <laughs> or um, trailer. Uh, sizzle trailer. Yeah, really right. had me it's incredible. Yeah. Um, 
my understanding is that he is under contract to finish this game. Right. If he is legally bound to this game, then there is some hope that um, you know that it will be finished, or at least there will be lots of heavy litigation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was reading yeah. an article oh, yeah. just today about how uh, the, when someone was interviewing uh, a Polygon article about uh, Sony's uh, worldwide studio exec, I think it was, and uh, he was saying that basically if a game is going to be cancelled that they've already revealed to the public, and they will tell us in like clear for, uh, words. And he was saying that he saw an article from a major website saying that the game was cancelled, and he was heartbroken because he said it's not cancelled, it's just in progress. Right. Oh yeah, I think I read that, that was like a tweet or something. Um, it's, I think somebody from IGN said, yep, Last Guardian cancelled. Yeah. And then I, Scott Rode, I think, was the guy. Um, so, like he said, I was, you know, on Twitter, I was having lunch with um, Shuhei Yoshida, and we chuckled over this because it is not cancelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well ch- chuckle all you want, but finish up your lunch and get back to the uh, <laughs> yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, we won it this century. <laughs> yeah, no, no, um... While we're young, T- Team Eco is is bound to completing at least one more title before they can um, do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, I almost wonder if the massive—I don't want to say massive success—but like if the massive cult following uh, of the first two games is uh, adding additional pressure, sure. and that if the current project doesn't have the same feel or you know uh if they don't feel like it's up to that uh, quality standard <laughs> i feel like they think they have the freedom to say okay well you know let's take another three or four years and just figure it out with our you know 18 person team yeah. um so it's the other thing is that they're not like ubisoft that makes like an assassin's creed game every eight months with a team of 145 people uh it's a small small team um doing very you know uh uh focused work yeah. Yeah. um and, large and uh, it's too. Yeah, yeah, it's a big game for a small group to uh, to uh, to undertake. So, um, it, I mean, we're kind of at the same point we've been for the last couple of years. Um, with the only uh, you know bit of hope being that every time someone comes out and says it's not a thing anymore, um, Sony's usually pretty quick to say like, no, 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 no it's a thing. Um, but you know, the, the the cynical people or the skeptical people might say like, well, that's just something they're saying. You know, for those people who are on the fence about buying a PS4. Uh, so that they can have that thing on the back of their mind, like, and we'll also get the Last Guardian eventually, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's I, I'm, I'm at this point. It's you know, there's a lot of people saying it's vaporware. Um, I'm still in the wait and see group. I'm still really yeah. hopeful. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm hoping against hope. Yeah, yeah, I think there's always hope because uh, you think of um, the best example is StarCraft Two for Blizzard. That was yeah. supposed to happen like what 2004 or something like that at mm-hmm. the uh, latest and it just kept getting delayed and delayed and there's like what was it 2010 when it finally came out i think mm-hmm. something like that and uh, that was nearly a decade after they released the previous game and i mean it's, it's, it's still a long is, time is there an... uh, since shadow came out <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's really is crazy how you know and when you consider like how much money this game will probably like i don't think this game will sell gangbusters when it comes out no uh, it'll sell pretty well, mm-hmm. and it'll kind of fade into like you know, like it'll sell a little bit here and there. So, you know, uh, it's at some point like you almost wonder, 
you know, if Sony will just say like, listen, like, you know, we're, we're creating more of a, you know, bad situation as far as like, it looks like we don't know how to run, you know, this game division. Uh, it's costing us X amount of money. People are going to be upset when it's canceled anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, like you really would think at this point, if it wasn't going to happen, they'd say something. So that's, that's kind of like where I'm uh, kind of placing my hope in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to uh, like, you know, make it rational in my own head. But yeah. like, I just, I just want them to say something like, with like a February in it, <laughs> yeah. so, so like, I, I don't know how um, I don't know how true the statement is or, or like how credible it is, but apparently um, Ueda is a very like artistically minded perfectionist yes. type mm. of a creator, and apparently the Last Guardian was done, and you know upon you know like review of it. Ueda said, no, it doesn't have quite the feel I'm going for. Let's, you know, scrap it and start all over again. Well, the long delay, I could see that, but that's a pretty big order even for someone uh, with power. I don't yeah. know. If... No, like, I like if whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, no. But if, if it is, uh, why can't they just... Um, go and tweak those areas that need improvement mm-hmm. like why yeah. does it have to be you know totally you know put in the trash can and, yeah. and you know right. done. and and, th- and this is what happens when you announce games way too early yeah mm-hmm. um and i mean wouldn't you just rather kind of not know that they're working on anything uh, mm-hmm. uh i i just want to go back to the world where like half-life 3 is the only <laughs> game that like you don't think will ever come yeah. out and you really want to happen <laughs> Like, back where things make sense. There is no such thing as three. There's an interesting Polygon, uh, like, um, video about two of their editors just talking about their their beliefs and, and their their hopes for, for The Last Guardian. Maybe we should put that in uh, in the links. So, because um, they're, they're, they sort of elaborate on what we're talking about now. But uh, anyway, Rich did say that... Some of the members of Team Eco have gone their own way and formed a essentially an indie studio, and they are working on two titles, uh-huh. one of which I believe is called The Dangerous Men, and that's going to be more like actiony, shooty, you know, you know. And the second title will be Vain, and mm-hmm. that is going to have a very like. Um, Shadow of the Colossus, eco, Last Guardian type feel to it. Like very minimalist. Yeah, and, you know, I'm looking at an article of it right now and that's the feel I'm getting from the screenshots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully we should try to put that in the show notes too. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So there, there is hope. It's not necessarily the Last Guardian, but at least we'll get something similar. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like when you want a filet mignon, you just get, you know, a try steak <laughs> yeah I, I just wanted to add that i um even though uh, they revealed the game way too early for the last guardian i am kind of happy that they're not giving us dates because uh, i really don't like when we keep getting dates and then delays i mm-hmm. think i'd much rather um, have suspenseful nothing uh, than annoyance with uh, continual uh, yeah if we're talking about you know games that have dates and don't hit their dates yeah Pure Solar HD, man. <laughs> they keep saying, like, oh, well, it'll be ready in December. Yeah. Come November, they're like, oh, we're going to shoot for March now. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so yeah, and it, it, I'm kind of cool with that, like to a point. Like, I'm cool with them saying, okay, the last guardian's a thing. We don't have a date yet. But if that rolls on forever, then it becomes an issue. That's yeah. true. Like, right now, like right now, you have, like, okay, Kingdom Hearts 3 is a thing. Here's a super early trailer. We have no gameplay to show you. It's far away. Okay, thanks for letting us know that it's happening. We appreciate it. Yeah. And then two years from now, Please show us, you know. You, you want updates. You want you want next proof thing. that yeah. uh, that it is actually, you know, being worked on. Right. Yeah, I'm happy with updates. I'm just not happy with dates because uh, dates imply uh, they're setting themselves a deadline. I'd rather let them get it right and take their time than right. give us a date and try and rush it for that. Well, this is the generation of uh, delays, so. <laughs> Seems like it. What, what do you expect? Yeah, the number three does not exist in this generation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to kind of express my just sort of final thoughts on this game. Um, playing it, I, I did play it on PlayStation 2, which I thought even for <laughs> PlayStation 2, the um, the graphics were phenomenal and just such yeah. a beautiful game. Well, probably the most beautiful game I feel like I've played on the PlayStation 2. This game has actually made me want to go out and buy a PlayStation 3. Really? <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you have uh, been persuaded <laughs> and you're you're sort of on the bench to be on the right team. <laughs> <laughs> Never. With the, with, with the worst R2 and L2 buttons, but we can fix them. Yeah. Well, hey, we, we, fix them. we fix that with the DualShock 4, okay? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, get a four if you get three. It works with it now. Uh, not in everything yet. They're working on it. Oh, really? No. I thought I read that uh, the uh, update came out. Oh, okay. I, 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 could, I could be wrong. I thought I just read that uh, a couple days ago. Go ahead, Rich. So uh, did you, you just bought a PlayStation 3 and... No, I have not bought a PlayStation 3. <laughs> oh, but, no, uh... you're breaking my heart. <laughs> but I fully oh, intend like to just to have the <laughs> HD remake of this game and actually, uh, you know, ICO, so... And you also pick up uh, Journey as well, if you like this yes, kind of stuff. Yes, definitely. Do get Journey and uh, dabble dabble with a flower because that is another beautiful game. Yeah, if you if you get the physical version of Journey, it comes with a, a flower, which really, really is beautiful. It's one of the few games that you know I, I like. I'll just look at and like I'm like, why am I almost crying? Like, <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Also, uh, my favorite game in the PS3 is the uh, System Update. I can play that thing for hours, <laughs> and sometimes I have no choice. <laughs> Don't forget installing game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. Well, I want to go ahead and wrap this up, and uh, it just want to say quickly. Did we? Did we sure. thank our participants? That's exactly what I was going to oh, do. Okay. Okay. But I appreciate it. I was going to say, um, you know, when Last Guardian comes out, we said that it may not be a blockbuster seller, but I know 18 people that will be buying that game. Yeah, 18 <laughs> people will definitely buy it, even though one of, one of whom will not be able to play it. <laughs> right. So our participants were myself, uh, Fleech, Wild Bill, 52, Crabmaster2000, Engineer Mike, Two Scoop Steve, Rustly Man, High Wind, Flea, Oat Bob, Rido. I think Eric you got Spade. that right. I did. I paused. Uh, <laughs> Dougley007, Retro Rage, Beauchamp, The Grrr, the grrr. Stigzilla, and Mr. Tech Wizard. So thank you guys so much for joining us. It was um, a record-breaking month for participants, and we were happy to have all of you. The forums were loaded. Conversation was great. Um, and On that's exactly the way uh, a playthrough should be. So And so give yourselves you a much. round of applause for you know beating this mammoth of a game.
Absolutely. You guys absolutely. deserve it. Yeah. Absolutely. And and uh, special thanks to uh, f- to Bill for joining us. We appreciate it. Mm. Oh, no problem. Right. Great game. Happy to talk about it. Hope I didn't uh, steal too much air. No, that's good. <laughs> June Games, Suicoden, and Shadow of the Colossus. In July, join us as we play Chrono Trigger, originally on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and one of the most popular RPGs to come about at that time. We'll also be playing on the modern side a handful of indie PC games, Minecraft, Gone Home, The Stanley Parable, and Dear Esther. Special thanks to all who participated in the playthroughs in June. Thanks for your feedback in the forums. And if you have more feedback, please be sure to visit them and let us know what you think. Also, another special thank you to our two guests this month, Sir Psycho and Bill, for joining us in the podcast wrap-up. We hope you'll join us in July. And until then, happy gaming.